What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Yeah, because I already did a show today, you know, around 4 o'clock. So this is like 7.30. So, um, wow. yeah, so that's why it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, trying to bounce this around like this. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, and, uh, did, did you ever talk to Gus before? Um, me? Yes. Yes, I have talked to Gus on Skype before, yep. Yeah, that's what I must. I was going to ask you that. We must have been Skype, because I, I never seen your name on it on this board. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been on. Um, I you, get on everyone's. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've talked, or you just been on? A, or you just been listening? Um, usually, I just listen. I've only really listened to about ten of your shows over and over and over. And all of Angela's shows over and over and over. I usually go to bed sleeping on the couch with your voice in the background trying to absorb all the stuff that you're saying, but there's a lot of information. With which you listen to Angela's shows? I mean, like... Yes. Hey, um, all, all the ones that had Lord Paradox on them and how you helped. Um, Jesse and Jonathan. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Somebody just called me up asking me what show or number I was on. So, I mean, I heard you say that you were listening to a lot of the shows over and over. So, um, yeah, um, the one the one with Greg or Norman on um, that was a really good one because it explained the the very small words like in, at, by, for that that was a very good one to listen to. Yeah, we had some pretty good ones at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and and it said that you you liked oatmeal. And um, uh, Greg liked his pipe tobacco, so I sent a donation <laughs> so you could enjoy some of those. That's funny. Yeah, Greg, um, he, um, yeah, like I said, it was funny. Um, Greg um, and I, we got along good back then. We, um, and then he just went, you know, started doing some interesting stuff. He joined um, Divine Providence group. He was like the 13th disciple or something like that, and it just started getting silly. And I was like, I, I can't get involved with this nonsense. You know, I, I didn't want to get involved. You know, it was just too much silly stuff. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. 
you know, and uh, the, the leader of that divine province city, he's sitting in jail right now. So I'm glad I just didn't want any part of it. To me, it was just, it was just ridiculous. They were trying to get, they were well, not, they were trying. They were having little old ladies turn over the titles of their cars, their homes, their houses, their bank accounts to these people. I was like, this is just, this is just crazy. There's no reason to tell people turn your bank, no. turn your bank accounts that, over. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's not right. That's not right. Yeah. But that's what they were doing. And uh, like I said, they probably got him for some other charge. But, you know, I heard them, you know, convincing people to become part of their church. And to become part of their church, this was what, you know, they expected of you. You know, they expect you to donate, you know, like bring your titles of your vehicles over to us, bring the titles of your homes and houses and stuff. And that way we show the government that we're um, um, a legitimate church and that we're a nation. You know, like they're trying to start a nation. It's uh, like saying that they're part of a church. Yeah. Um, um, I heard Mike actually wrote two letters for Guyana Lady and, yeah, they left her alone. The CPS dropped the charges. So that was wonderful. When was that, Janine? Um, I I was going over some um, some of um, the Skype letters in in Mike's room, and um, Guyana lady was on, and she said, "I won, I won." Um, you know, Mike wrote two letters and CPS dropped the charges. And I thought, oh, that's so wonderful because Mike and I um, got on to her a couple of weeks ago um, after Carl was sick. You know, Carl, when you were sick that time and you just hung up? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, yeah, Mike and I actually got on the chat with, with Guy and your lady and I... I I just explained to her yeah, that, you know, that Carl had the best interest at heart. Yeah, no, like I said, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, I, no, I just got got knocked off the phone for a second there. No, like I said, I got along fine with the man for the longest time, but then I said, um, he started asking me some crazy questions, you know, um, the man Greg from Chicago, he started asking me crazy questions. And I was like, look, why, you know, why all of a sudden these crazy questions? First, it had to do about sexual orientation, and then the other thing it started to do with, um, I uh, said, it sounds like you're um, working with, like, some sort of religious group. I uh, said, um, like, are you working with Divine Province? And he was like, well, you know, they told me not to tell you that, you know, I'm working with them, and I'm one of their members now. And he said, you know, they swore me in and all this other stuff. And uh, he started explaining what they were all about and how they were all going to make a lot of money and, you know, how they were getting people to turn their car titles over to them and they were using it to establish, like, collateral, like, credit to start their own, like, nation. And I was like, oh, my God, I ain't got time for this nonsense. I said, I just want to tell people how to get in and out of court. You know, I ain't got time, you know, to, you know, little old ladies with taking their titles for their cars and homes and, I was like, that's ridiculous. You guys are just getting silly now. And they were like, yeah, they, 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 they was like, because 
the folks of a divine province tried to get me to talk to them and come up and visit them. They were like promising me like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, I don't want nothing to do with you people. I want absolutely nothing to do with you. Just let me be. You know, it's like, well, you know, we just want you to consult us and give you some, uh, you know, opinions of uh, the words that you use. And uh, Gus was talking about that the other day. Gus said on uh, uh, that even though that he they have legislators up there in New Hampshire, they have like 400 of them, that even though these people are trying to come up with all these wonderful laws and, you know, bylaws and all those codes and all these wonderful, you know, uh, rules and for the people of uh, New Hampshire, they still need a legal department to um, break the words down for them. So uh, that's what you were talking about on the show. You were saying they send it over to, like, legal services, Gus? Gus, you there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. I was muted out. Yeah, they, uh, when the legislators write law, well, write statutes, they, uh, they, they, they only write the idea of what they want, and then it gets sent off to legislative services, which is a group of uh, 9, 10, 11 attorneys or something like that, and then it gets uh, turned into a... Uh, into the language that they're going to present to the committees, and then uh, the committees are going to publish the, the language, and then uh, they invite the public to come over and, and uh, testify as to what they wish. Well, they, there's no testimony because there's nobody under oath. So people show up and give their opinions about what they think should or should not happen with that particular uh, bill, but then... Uh, you know, they have to sit there all day and listen to the attorneys come in and lie about shit all day before they get a chance to speak. So these, what I've been telling uh, the state reps is, you know, when you guys have attorneys come in or other professionals, you know, you know, the commissioner of safety or whoever it is that comes in to testify, these guys are supposed to have access to all the, you know, the, the raw data, all the information. So when they come in to testify, they should be doing it by affidavit, and they should be held accountable for, for their words. You know, if they want to go in and just give their opinion, and, uh, you know, because your opinion is whatever you believe, that's fine. Uh, you can do that, you know, out of uniform. But don't be showing up in your official capacity and, and just, you know, talking about stuff and uh, not being sworn in. Yeah, well, no, I said the reason why uh, I brought that up, what, what you brought up, was something very simple, is that when the common man gets voted in to be a legislator in New Hampshire, anybody could be a legislator in New Hampshire, any Joe Sixpack, a pizza delivery boy, can yep. be voted in as a legislator. They get paid only a dollar a year, and they get, like, free parking, and, some. you know, that's about it. You know, that's about all they get paid. So it's not a, yep. you know, so anybody could be a legislator there in New Hampshire. What I was trying to say is they have to take it over to legal services. So Joe Sixpack and Joe Pizza Boy could say, you know what, these are going to be the laws of the people, for the people of New Hampshire. And the legal services could just say, uh, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Look at all this crazy, we the free sovereigns of Yahweh. Mm, yeah, you know what, we're going to tighten that up here. And then they tighten it up. Well, that's what Divine Province was. Divine Province was a whole bunch of these wackadoos the free, living, breathing souls of Yahweh, and then they got, they heard my show, and they were trying to convince me, can you come here and tighten our paperwork up for us? So it sounds more professional, so it sounds more, 
you know, like instead of this free living, breathing soul of Yahweh dribble that nobody takes serious in the courts, they wanted like to hire me to tighten it up, like legal services. They wanted you to be their law department. Yeah, to make it look legit, because I actually knew the definitions of the words, the punctuation. And then when I wouldn't do it, they got in touch with Greg. And then Greg became like the 13th disciple. He had, so we had a secret, super secret, double secret, uh, picky rings, you know, keep no promises or promise forever, death swear oath, you know, swearing in of me to their inner circle. So I'm like the 13th, he's like, I'm the 13th like disciple. They were only going to have 12, but they let me come in as the 13th. And uh, they really want you to uh, come on, too. I said, I ain't coming on. And then he says, well, you know, can I pass this, you know, this, this their words to you? And can you tell me how I should write it? And I'll pass it on to them. I was like, no. I said, they're just a bunch of crazy wackadoos, and they're all going to go to jail. I said, I don't want nothing damn thing to do with them. I said, this is all kinds of some crazy trying to build a nation and trying to get a, you know, start up their own postal, you know, through the postal union. And I said, they want to get their own, uh, consider their own nation. They're going to try to build up, you know, uh, credit and collateral. They'll try to get loans from the IMF. I know exactly what these guys are doing. I said, I'm not stupid about a long shot. I said, I want no part of this. I said, because they're going to burn some little old lady. Some little old lady's going to have a, a son who's a congressman or a legislator or a senator, and they're going to press criminal charges on these guys, and they're going all to jail. They might find something else that they're doing, but I'm telling you, it's because they're going to burn a little old lady and, uh, you know, a niece or a grandson or a nephew who's going to be, like, thinking that he's going to inherit something, and the next thing he finds out is that you gave all your crap away to some crazy screwball, you know, kind of semi-quasi-religious group. Oh, they're going to shut them down. I said, they're going to shut them down hard. I said, I want no part of this, these, these people. It's, uh, isn't that something... Something like that happened to Al Capone, right? They didn't get him for all the nasty stuff he was doing. Didn't they get him on mail fraud or tax fraud or something? Right, yeah, yeah right. Tax evasion or failing to file or something like that, yeah. yeah. Failure to disclose, but that was something ridiculous. And his attorney wasn't worth a damn because if, he, if Al Capone knew how to be a man, he would have just said, who's the man who claims I owe the debt? And I'd be more than glad to pay every damn dime because I'm just waiting for the man to come with the, with the true bill and saying that this is what I owe. Stand before that bill and say it's true. That's all I want to hear. If that man ain't going to pay it, well, there's, there's no reason for me to be before any court because I haven't done anything wrong to any man. But he didn't have a, he had a lawyer, and his lawyer certainly wasn't going to tell him that's what you need to do. You need to stand up and talk like a man. You know, I guarantee they asked Al Capone, are you a U.S. citizen? He was stupid enough to say, you're damn right, I'm a proud U.S. citizen. I said, okay, and you're not the President of the United States, right? No. Well, then you're the daddy Obama is the President of the United States, you know. Uh, you know, FDR is the president of the United States, or whoever the president was back then. He's the daddy. And you said that you're subordinate. Oh well. You know, we're gonna we're gonna you know train, discipline, and monitor you for your own good. Yeah. So he fell into that citizen game. I guarantee he fell right into the citizen game. He's probably like being proud Yankee Doodle Dandy, waving the flag. Yeah, okay. What flag you waving? The peacetime flag or the wartime flag? Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Going to the court and not know the rules. You'll see what happens. Yeah. Hire an attorney. Yeah, okay. You'll see. But no, I mean, Greg was a great source of... Uh, he was great, man. He, uh, like I said, uh, his mom was an English teacher and his dad worked for, like, ITT Tech. And uh great guy to resource off of back and forth. We had a lot of fun, you know. 
You know, I try to talk like Joe Joe Schmo six pack. He talked technical, and then I got him to start to understand. Like, look, you got to tone it down. You got to talk Joe Joe Schmo six pack to these people, like I do. Don't get also you know uppity and talk to them like you know when we talk about grammar, punctuation, or adjectives, or when we start to talk about parts of you know English language. Tone it down because these people can't keep up with us. Tone it down. So then he was doing really good. He was toning it down with me. And I think we got a lot of really good information out there in the first, like, 10, 20 shows. Just basically what the words, the meanings of the words are. And the words are. Punctuation. I think we did a pretty good job. But that's why I don't go back to that stuff. It's like, because you folks would go back and listen to the early shows, and, you know, I pretty well hope everybody's got it and we're moving on. But I, hope, I heard people asking you the other day, about punctuations, and I really don't know why Carl does what he does. I can't find it anywhere. And it's basically in their legal. It's part of their terms of art. It's part of their writing. It's part of their style. It's part of, like, the way they do things. It's like Roman law. It's like what I do with them. You know, it's when uh, I use the lowercase i. Where did I get that from? Roman law. As most of these courts roll in this country, under Roman law. The rules and the bylaw, and it, that's how they move. You know, they they still, they, they love that Roman law. So, I was like, okay, you want to play into those rules? I can play into those rules. You know what? I could actually modify and make them work for me. You know what? It's not going to diminish my capacity as a man. And you know what? It's actually going to be crystal clear to you. You're going to see exactly what I'm doing. So I'm just using, like, what they believe is true. It's like, oh, you believe that's true? Good. You know what? It works for me, too. It's not going to hurt my claim. As a matter of fact, I think it's going to actually help my claim. So you know what? I'm actually going to use your nonsense in a style that I'm using. I'm not using the words. I'm using the style in which they write. I'm not using the words. I'm using the style. So I said, well, this is going to be just, this is going to be a lot of fun. You know, like that man who called up the other day from, uh, you know, from Ohio. You know, and uh, I said, look, there's 197 terms of art, and uh, you seem to have mastered them all. I said, if anybody's ever called on my show, was that black guy who called up last week. I said, you've mastered them all. I said, you're good. I said, the only problem is that you're not a union bar card member, and they're never going to uh, let you into their little group. So you're wasting your time mastering their stuff. You know, no matter how good you think you are at legalese, if you're not a card-carrying bar card member, they don't care. And like I said, I read that letter on that earlier show I did, word for word, that uh, Larry sent to me from... Cayuga County, Ohio. I said, look, I said, there's a lady who was in Ohio and she wrote wonderful legal conclusions in, in her affidavits. They were wonderful. The judge didn't say that her legal conclusions were incorrect. <coughs> I said, she probably wrote the best legal conclusions that any man or woman who acts as an attorney in the state of Ohio ever did or ever will. She could be the number one, the smartest attorney that that judge ever you know, witness or viewed of their paperwork. Judge doesn't care. Judge says, uh, you know what? I don't see anywhere on the record here that you're a, 
licensed attorney in the state of Ohio. So no matter how good your stuff is that you're presenting to the court, um, I'm going to have to deny it. I'm going to have to say, you know what, it's not true. I don't see that you're a licensed attorney in Ohio. And like I said, all she had to do was say, um, (laughs) the Bar Association is not a licensed agency through the government of Ohio. And I explained (laughs) the reason why they're not a licensed agency to the state of Ohio is just like what Gus was saying about New Hampshire. You could put kids in charge of the New Hampshire legislators. You could have 25-year-old, you probably have 20-year-old kids in the state of New Hampshire be state legislators. If the state legislators are 20-year-olds, do you think the Bar Association is going to want to have a government agency dictate or edict to them their bylaws, what they can and cannot do. Just like I said, if you have a license in the state of New Hampshire or Connecticut or or California, New York, the government can dictate to you how you're going to drive your car, when you're going to drive your car, what kind of car you can drive. They're going to give you every little nuance about your car, and they can say it's the law. It's the law of the state, and this is how you're going to drive your car. And if you don't do it this way, we could suspend your license. Well, you don't. You can't go to the governor of the state and say suspend that, suspend that attorney's license. You can't go to a congressman or legislator and say suspend that attorney's license. You've got to go to the bar association and tell the bar association to suspend to uh, disbar that attorney, and they'll just smile at you and laugh, like, oh, what did he, uh, you know? Uh, Infringe or did he interfere with your uh, rights as a man? I was like, yeah, so good. I'm going to give him a raise. You know, it's like, you know. So, like I said, it's just when I explained it in the show earlier, I said, just like the Boy Scout Association, the Boy Scout Association is not a government agency because if they were, when they said, look, gay people are allowed to be Boy Scout leaders, gay people are allowed to be troop leaders, you have to teach how to put condoms on bananas to eight-year-old boys so they could have sex with nine-year-old boys or they're troop leaders. And it's state law, so you've got to allow us to move state doctrine through your Boy Scout Association. So, obviously, the Boy Scouts, anytime they say, they, you know, the, the government says, well, uh, you've got to let this uh, gay guy be a troop leader, the, the Boy Scout Association of America says, hell no. We'll dictate who is a member, and we'll dictate the bylaws, and we'll dictate the rules of the Boy Scout Association. We don't want no government interference. This is a private association, a private club. Same thing with the Bar Association. The Bar Association certainly doesn't want a whole bunch of kids who are acting as state legislators telling them how they can and cannot act, or who they can and cannot have as a member, or who they, you know, they say, well, we're going to suspend your license. Oh, really? How are you going to do that? We're a private organization. So, and to license anybody or license anything in a state, it's got to go through a, a government agency. It's got to be government controlled. Like a Boy Scout Association can't ish, start issuing licenses, you know, and, and saying, well, I, I give you the power to have the power over the people or power to do this and this in the state. Because to have a license means, you know, giving somebody permission to do something that otherwise would be illegal, unlawful. So uh, the Boy Scout Association can't tell you, well, don't worry about the law. 
we're going to make up the law. And you're okay, it's okay to do that because, you know, you, you've got insurance and you've got a bond and you've got, you, you can do what you want now. Go ahead. You can take that and do what you want with it. So the Bar Association doesn't have the licensing power. So that's why I told um, Dallas like six months or a year ago to do it. I said, I said, look, there is no Bar Association that's chartered to uh, operate in the state of California since 1939. I said that to him on one of Angela's early, early shows. I said, why don't you apply for the charter? Why don't you start up the Bar Association of California again? And I heard on Angela's show last week that he was saying that he was calling up, like, uh, the Supreme Court up there, the clerks up there. And everybody said, wow, that's very interesting. I was like, yeah, I told him six months ago that it doesn't exist. And the reason why it doesn't exist, the reason why it doesn't exist is so they can't be under the control of elected officials. They don't want to be under the control of elected officials. They want to make their own rules. They want to make, they want to, you know, do as they please. They don't want to have to be held liable by any man or woman or any any legislative branch of the, of the government of California. They don't want to be under the executive control. They don't want to be under the legislative control. They don't want to be told by what to do by any state official. It's their own little private club. So all these bar members, the, when I said, I said the, 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 that judge, you know, when that lady, if, if, uh, Larry sent me that letter as soon as she got it, I would have told, fired, told her to fire a letter right back. It's like, uh, as a matter of fact, there is nobody that's on this case for a Deutsche Bank, nor from my side, that is licensed to act as an attorney from the state of Ohio. So if you're denying my ability to come up with legal conclusions based upon I'm not licensed, well, Deutsche Bank isn't licensed either. And uh, Judge, I don't believe you ever were either. Before you became a judge, you were an attorney probably, and I guarantee you don't have a license either. You swore, you know, to uphold the rules of of the bylaws of the Bar Association, but that doesn't mean you have a license to operate to practice law in the state of Ohio. Because if you're licensed, you would be regulated. And the Bar Association certainly doesn't be regulated by some just some guy who smiles good or shakes hands and kisses babies good. He doesn't want to be controlled by that. So, um, like I said, when it comes to that licensing stuff, you know, you just got to laugh at them. Like we did up in uh, Chicago when the judge said, who's trying to practice law in my state? You got a license to practice law? I told this Patrick Peach, Patrick, like Peach Crowley, tell him, hey, you know what? We better shut this courthouse down. We better check everybody's license because honestly, nobody's got a license to practice law in the state of Illinois. So you know what? You better do your judicial duty and shut this whole damn building down and check everybody's licensing. Because I think every single case that's been heard here in Cook County for the last 50, 60 years is unlawful because there's no licenses. So I guess we got to overturn every single case that was heard before these courts because nobody either had a licensed attorney to act on their behalf or uh, non-licensed attorneys moved claims and complaints through this court. So me and his attorney, we were laughing. We thought that was pretty funny. You know, that we thought that was a pretty good joke. <laughs> you know, there is no laws. 
you people can't possibly believe this bullshit. <laughs> that there's a license because there's a license. That means there's a a state controlling board. There is no state controlling board. When you got a problem with your lawyer, what do they tell you? Go file a claim with the bar association. <laughs> like oh boy, having a it's like a boy scout giving you a hard time in the street. It's like oh you know you know you think that the boy scout uh you know, chipped you out of money. The Boy Scout cheated you. The Boy Scout lied to you. The Boy Scout did something unethical to you. So they're like, well, who do I report this to? The police department? Do I report it to a, you know, a branch of the government? No, no, no. You, you, the Boy Scout did you wrong? Yeah, report them to the Boy Scout America Association of America. Well, what are they going to do about it? Oh, they'll, they'll, they won't let them be a Boy Scout anymore. Oh, really? Just because I'm complaining? Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? And it's going to work just that easy. Oh, yeah, it's just that easy. You mean I can't sue the lawyer? Nope. All you can do is move down to this board. They're like, well, that's ridiculous. Who wrote that silly law? There is no law. They just tell you that bullshit because they know you're not going to go check it out. You're not going to say, look, I don't give a damn. What he was acting? He was acting as a Boy Scout? He was acting as a lawyer? I don't give a damn. He's a man. And he stole my money or he promised me this or he told me that. So I'm going to go after this clown. You know, he was derelict in duty. You know, he had a duty to perform. It's just like all my, my attorneys. I had uh, nine of them. And none of them, uh, I said, give me a copy of the case file. And all of them, I paid. I said, look, the only thing I want you to do is get a copy of the case file. So they took my money, and they never gave me a copy of the case file. So should I sue them all and say, look, the only thing I actually do is this. Did you give me it? No. Why not? Is that what I said? All I need you to do is give me a copy of the case file. Give me a copy of the case file and stand out of my way. I can do the rest. Once I know, you know, if I've been charged with something, or if this is based upon a contract. So um, once you give me a copy of the case file, I got it from here. So, you know, like I said, the mother of my kids, she paid eight of them. I paid nine of them. Not a single one remember got us a copy of the case file. So... Just trying to get back on talk show here. Let me see. How do I get that? Talk show live. Go to website. You're logged in. Yeah, but I'm tethered. So as soon as I touch the wire, I get knocked right back out. Then i got to go through that whole process of uh, re-tethering my uh, cell phone to the laptop. Oh, okay. Yeah, I talked to the man Chris up there in Canada. And uh, about the MMS guy, and I said I left some messages for him. But um, you know, I, I think what happened is, like he said, he got um, he went on the internet, and everybody who likes his product, just like you, you said you like his product, and uh, they gave him like something like sixty thousand dollars in a legal fund. I think this guy just took that money and he's just parting his ass off. I don't think he's taking it serious. So I told uh, his buddy, I said, look, his, his court case is coming up. I said, I think he's just going to wait till the 11th hour, and he's going to give me a call. And uh, then he'll uh, take it serious. I said, that's, that's just a, an interesting style that he's got. I said, I don't think he's taking it serious at all. He's very, like, cavalier with this. You're not going to score... Uh... You're, not, you're never going to be able to carry the uh, carry it into the end zone that way. Yeah, 
did um, um like I said it was funny that uh um so like I said the the only thing I could think of is that he's gonna wait for the very last minute and he's gonna ask me for help. And uh he said to me, he said did he he said, Yeah, I've seen that he he offered you. He said they took like his money. They took money from him, or there's drugs for him. And he said, you know, he'll pay you based upon what you get back from him. And I just laughed. I said, yeah, I'm going to fly out there with my own money. I'll stay out there with my own money. And make a claim for him. He's got to know how to make the claim, not me. So I'm going to hope that he could carry the claim. That's ridiculous. He's not going to be able to carry the claim on his own. He needs to practice. I said, he, he has no, it seems like he has absolutely no desire to practice. To learn the stuff, master it, walk in the court, do this, do that. This is just like with me and Bali. Me and Bali, we had five weeks to talk about this before we walked into court. And I kept bouncing scenarios and ideas off his head. And when a judge started with something simple, is the person known as Balraj Man before this court. He kept saying, I'm a man, I'm a man. And I was like, tell me you're a damn person. You know? So he's like, I'm a man, I'm a man. It's like, "Uh uh-oh. And the judge was like, well, if the person known as Paul Rushman is not here, we've, uh, we'll hold this over until... And then I could hear the guy was, like, saying, like, April or June of next year. I said, oh, no, oh, no, I'm I'm, I'm getting out of here, man. I'm getting out of here, and I ain't coming back. I'm done. So I said, and I jumped up, and I said, yes, the person known as Paul Rushman is before this court. And he's like, well, like, what are you doing, buddy? Are you throwing me under the bus? I always thought I appeared as a man. I said, we're going to appear as a person. And then we'll appear as a man. Don't you worry about it. Just like, just follow my lead. Or just trust me, man. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I got back on the board. I couldn't get on the board for the longest time. Let me see what I could do here. If I can unmute people now. Well, is that lady from Australia? Does she have anything to ask or anything? Or? Uh, she's still uh, got an open mic. Janine. Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, uh, by the computer. Yeah, if you wanted to ask me something, I'm by the computer now. I had to put some wood in the fireplace. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in knowing, you know, how, how did you like learn this stuff? How, how did you become aware of like the small eye? Was that through your, your um, learning, your four years at law school, or did you know that beforehand? No, I was, um, I got hurt about in, um, just back in, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I, I actually got injured for like three years. I couldn't physically really do any hard manual labor. And and I love doing hard manual labor. But I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bend at the waist. My diaphragm separated from my abdomen, so I just couldn't, um, twist or bend. And, um, so... I uh, spent three years just reading, like in a law library. And that's when I decided when I was reading 
and writing in the law library, you know what? All the stuff that I'm reading and writing, why don't I put it in the form of a dictionary? So not that only I remember it, but that if I, what was happening is I was reading like what you would call like like classic or ancient English law, and I noticed the style that they were writing in. And it takes a while to pick up the way that they write words, the, the spelling, the capitalization, the, the lowercase. It, it took a while for me to catch on to their pattern. But now if you threw me, if you threw me a book from like 1066, it would take me a little while to read it. But once you start reading it for days and days on end, it comes natural. You could read it just as fast as if you were born in 1066. It just takes a while for your eyes and your brain to grow accustomed to the way they used to write. So it's like, oh, I see how they used to write. I see the way they wrote the letters. I see uppercase, lowercase. Okay, it made a lot more sense back then. And nowadays, you know, they'll say, ah, I see what they're using. They're using Roman law. I see how they're doing it. And, you know, how they're bringing it into, like, into um, into the modern world. I said, I see what they did back in, you know, like a 1,000 years ago. And what they did 2,000 years ago, I see what they're doing now. Okay, I get it. So like I said, um, I... When I started writing a dictionary, I thought it was pretty amazing when I got to um, like 25 words and then I got to 50 words. I thought it was pretty amazing when I got to, you know, 50 words. Because what it was is um, I was realizing when I was reading in these dictionaries, these law books, that I was keep reading the same word over and over. And I said, exactly what the, exactly does that word mean again? And then I'd have to go back to an older book, I'd have to pull that book down again, find that word again, and read it in the context it was written there, and then I'd have to go back into the other book and read it in the context it was written there and say, okay, now I get it. Just like when Gus called me up a while ago, and he said to me, he says, what does the word case mean in this sentence? And he says, you know, they don't have a case, or they do have a case if this occurs, but they don't have a case for this. I said, oh, case means deliberate and wanton act, that you deliberately caused a set harm to another man. And what you were doing was wrong. Then they have a case. So I was like, oh, okay. I said, yeah, I know the exact book you're reading. It's like from 1880, 1870. I said, yeah, yeah, I know what you're reading. I said, but if you go back like 100 years earlier, you go back at Blackstone's, Haley explains a little bit better what case means. So instead of Gus having to go try to figure out how to backpedal what this word case means in this paragraph, you know, he, he just called me up and says, what does this word mean in this paragraph? What is this? What are they going on about? Remember that, Gus? Something about throwing a horseshoe out the window? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, they were comparing uh, the, the word case with the word trespass. One of them, uh, case is a civil action and trespass is a criminal action. Right, one is that... One was accidental and one was deliberate. Yeah, one was uh, willful negligence. One of the example was of a man throws a horseshoe out of a window and a day later somebody trips over it. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's that's got nothing to do. That's, that's a case. That's not a trespass. Yeah, and then if somebody uh, actually deliberately throws out to hit the man and strike him to hurt him, that's wrong or that's a trespass. Yep. So, okay. instead, see, I, back before I learned what it actually meant, I had to reverse engineer it. I had to go backwards 
and figure out what the hell does that word mean. See, Gus was reading something from like 1880, 1870. So when I realized I was doing what Gus was doing, I just said, screw this. And I went to a law library, and I went back, and I found the oldest books I could find from like a thousand years ago, and I came forward. So when I was running into the words from, you know, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, I already knew what they were. So by the time you get to the 20th century, like 19-whatever, eh, it's old hat. It's like, oh, I know all that stuff. Eh, they're just repeating the stuff from, you know, 1300s. They're just repeating stuff from Coco Littleton. They're just repeating stuff that's been said for the last six, 700 years. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. This is just, this is just old stuff. And they're just putting their little spin on it. But it's the, it's the same bull. It's the same nonsense from, you know, six, 700 years ago. They're, they're not proving on it. They might be putting in more of a context in which, you know, more people in the 20th century can relate to. But no, it, it, I understand. So like I said, I just got lucky I got injured. And like I said, I'm sure I hated that I was hurt. I'm sure I hated that it was very hard for me to breathe for three years, and it was very painful. But um, it gave me the ability to sit down and uh, just read and write a lot. And uh, and like I said, instead of me backtracking and saying, well, what book did I get that from? It's like, go back to the letters of Cicero or something like this. I'm not going, I'm not doing this no more. Let me just cut, cut, let me just write it. Let me just get it down exactly what they wrote here, and like I said, I gave Gus like a copy of the of the dictionary, but it's not done yet, because the stuff that was written, like literally from like 500 years ago, or 700,000 years ago, is still like highlighted in yellow, so what I've got to do is I have to take the stuff that was written a long time ago, and break it down into a, a way that people in modern times would understand, and I was in the 21st century, he related to the words that we understand. Like Gus had that example of throwing a horseshoe out the window. Back then, that might have been a common thing, throwing horseshoes out the window. So in 1880, 1870, the man was giving an example about throwing a horseshoe out the window. And um, so obviously, I would give somebody more of a, an example, you know, that we could relate to, that people could relate to in 2015. Like I said, I wouldn't use some for example like, well, you know, when you go through a, a, a you know a record player or a phone book or an eight-track tape, kids want to understand what I'm saying. And you know, somebody's 20, 30 years old, wouldn't even know what a phone book is. Like, what's a phone book? So, well, when you want to find somebody's name, you look in this big book. Really, I just go on the internet. I just type his name in. I just do you know white page search. It's like, yeah, well, there used to be phone books, man. It used to be really big. and used to get one once a year. I said, oh, I haven't seen one of those in 10 years. I'm like, yeah, well, they used to have phone books. They don't have no more. So you got to try to bring it into terms that people can understand. So that's what my dictionary thing is, what it is. Sometimes in my dictionary, I will put the, where I originally got it from, like underneath, and I'll put my explanation of what it means, and then I'll leave it underneath where I actually got it from. Because people always say, where's Cole's getting this shit from? Is he just making this crap up out of nowhere? It's like, okay, this is where I actually got it from. This is the page. This is, you know, like when you want to throw about, like, say, Magna Carta. There was, like, seven versions of Magna Carta. So which one am I getting it from? It's like, okay, I'm getting it from the fifth one, you know, where they you know, they cited, you know, you know, not, not 1215, but they, they made another one in 1237. And, uh, and I actually wrote, like, all the different Magna Cartas, which one did they finally agree on? 
I think the one they finally agreed on was like uh, 1293 or something like that. That the first original one was. That's the one that's mostly referenced to in English law, not the first one. But like I said, if you read English law, you want to know which version of the Magna Carta. It's like, okay, which section? Section 13 or section 16 of which Magna Carta? They had like seven, they had like the original one of them, like six revisions of revisions of them. They, they just kept tightening it up, changing it. And it's, they, they tweaked it a little bit. So it's like, okay, which one are we talking about? And it's like the United States Constitution. It's like, okay, which amendment? They amended it how many times? 30, 40, 50 times? Okay, which amendment are you talking about? Where are we going to find the which 13th Amendment? Which 11th Amendment? Which one are you talking about? So, uh, yeah, so that's that's how I did my dictionary. They tried to bring it down into, you know, what people can understand it. But uh, they could also go back and say, oh, this is where Carl got it from. You know, this is where he found it. You know, this is, this call got this stuff from Sanskrit. Sanskrit, you know, like Sanskrit. Yeah, this is where it came from. Really, this is what it meant way back then. Yeah, this is how we're going to use it now. The legal society changed it or perverted it to read it this way. Well, you know what? I'm going to say, let's use it back to, go back to the original source. You know, but way back in Arabic, way back in, you know, Indian, the way the Indians people, you know, did it, you know, two, three thousand years ago, let's use the original word because that's a lot more accurate than what the legal society is trying to do. They're trying to pervert the language. They're taking the language and manipulating it, just like that George Orwell said that they would do in 1984. There are certain mm-hmm. words that they just banned from the language. They said, no, that's what it used to mean. This is what it means now. So they just manipulate the language to control you. So they're very good at it. So I was like, look, I'm just not going to tolerate it. And I'm going to show people, look, you shouldn't tolerate it either. So, um, but is there anything that you wanted to know other than, like, where I learned this from? Um, no, no, I, I, like, I have my own, my own stuff going on. I've, I've actually spoken to, to Gus about it. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, I, what? Uh, sorry, what was that? What was it about? Was it about taxes? Was it about... Um, no, no, actually, mine, nothing like that. Mine was just a... Um, my father passed over and he left a will, and um, he was a pretty good Australian bush poet. And, um, you know, as a kid, I was the closest to my dad, from, from my other sisters so I would go fishing with dad I would go out to the cattle with him and you know help him with the cattle and the horses and the dogs and things like that and um, yeah when when my dad passed pretty much everything was split up evenly but he left me you know his personal stuff and um, because I have a health condition I, I couldn't go down and get his stuff and my sisters went down and got it and pretty much they are probably trespassed by extortion, I suppose, or robbery by extortion because they said if they didn't get certain items, they pretty much more or less told me that I wasn't going to get the little things that I wanted, which was, it wasn't much. It was like dad's swag and, you know, his bush poetry and things like that. But they were really nasty about it, and I I just wanted to... um you know, I tried to walk away from it for one year, 
um, and my sister sent me an ugly text message and I got really upset with that and I thought, well, I just can't let this go on because my conscience is not clear. Um, and I did a lot of praying and it was very shortly after that that um, I, uh, I don't even know how I got onto your call, but by the grace of God, I would say. And um, I started listening and I thought, wow, this, is, this seems to be the direction that, that God is showing me to go. Um, and I asked for confirmation and I went to church the next day and here was a man who nearly looked exactly like my father, same, nearly same age, same beard, um, same mannerisms, same build. I cried on the poor man's shoulder. Um, he was a pastor. He must have thought I was crazy, but um, that was my confirmation to keep to keep listening to you, um, which I have been listening to you uh, all the time. I'm trying to get as much as I as much information as I can to, you know, get a claim against them and just just get back my stuff. Yeah, that Dad left me. Okay. So you're basically going man on man? Uh, sorry, what going, was that? You're going against family members? Unfortunately, yes, yes. Yeah, that's going to be, that's a little bit tougher. Yes, it is. Yes, it, it is in the will, though. Um, and um, I, I, uh, yeah, it's very upsetting. Um, it just so happened that a friend of Dad's rang me the other day uh, because dad actually had a huge dad actually had a huge poster um, an A3 poster frame from a, a barrister um, who helped dad out and um, wrote it's, it's old, old English type font all handwritten saying what an honourable man my father was and um, it's just little things like that that, that I would like back um, and Anyway, Dad's friend knew about it and he's been in touch with um, uh, lawyers and barristers that knew Dad and um, he just said, don't worry, Janine. He said, we've got some legal muscle down here. And I thought, well, that may be well and good, but I, if I can, I would rather go the, the common law way, your way. So if it means a trip over to the States, well, then I'll do it, you know. Well, um, with your dad's stuff, is there some reason, um, have you tried to communicate with the other side, the other the people who took it? Yes, yes, Carl. Yeah. I, um, even when this was going through, I said, please don't let hatred and, and jealousy and envy rule your hearts. Let's do the right thing and let's follow dad's wishes. And, um, yeah, no. No, it just didn't happen. It, 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 um, no, won't happen. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just saying, did anybody just offer to share? Say, can you have it for like, uh, you know, six months out of the year? Can I have it? I mean, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. They have that you don't, well, that you want. I mean, you said something about a poster and mm-hmm. something else. Yeah, it was um, Dad's handwritten poetry. Um, I would be very um, uh, uh, look. I would be very um, grateful for for just a copy of that. Um, I have 
I have asked my sisters for a copy of the family photographs, yeah. and they just keep they just keep saying we don't have them, we don't know where they are, and I know they were in my sister's house, four big boxes of them. So, you know, they they won't even do that. There's just no reason for it, Carl. There's no reason whatsoever. I I have not done anything to these to these, um, you know, my sisters. In fact, I, I hold them in very high regard because they both worked for a bank for over 20-odd years. So I trusted them absolutely, completely to do the right thing. And, you and how did, like I said, when your dad passed, where, where was all this poetry? Um, it was actually down south in a little town called Gatton. Um, uh, he did. Uh, he lived down there. He had a lucerne farm down there and um, sold lucerne. Um, and um, he lived down there for 26 years. So that's where all his main poetry was. I'm saying, what makes you lead you to believe your sisters dug it? Uh, because they actually went down there while Dad was in hospital and they both went down there and brought all of Dad's stuff back to Townsville. Okay, did your Dad have some sort of a a will or did he have an executor or did he have an, a friend who lived nearby? We were We were all executors of the will. I mean, did, I mean, it's it's pretty hard to if if you don't have it, actually have anybody who actually either saw somebody walking off with it or or anybody admitting to it or an eyewitness. I mean, uh, you know, I'm the I'm the eyewitness, Carl, um, because they actually took a lot of stuff right in front of me when they brought it up to Townsville. Uh, they just they just more or less said, look. Dad gave us this, and if you don't give us this, we're, we're going to smash it. Um, and I just said, well, if Dad gave it to you, you can... I said, well, if Dad gave it to you, you can have it. And um, I've got a whole list of all the stuff that they took. Um, but they... Um, it's just very sad because I just, I just would have been very... I would have been very grateful with Dad's poetry and... You know, um, his rings that he left to um, my children, um, and it's in his will, but um, um, because it's very unfortunate that my, well, it was my sister, she actually looked after, she was, she was looking after the family deposit box with all the jewellery in it. Um, sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, no, um, because she worked in the bank, um, um, my mother put the family deposit box in her name with all the jewellery in it. Um, in Dad's will, he said, you know, the, everything was, um, the residue of the estate was to go to me, which meant, you know, the jewellery for the, for the boys, and I have a witness. Um, um, but in the will, it's written, um, the rings are to be kept in the safety deposit box uh, for the boys by Zeta. 
And Zita knows the truth. She knows they're for my children, but she, she just said, look, Dad gave them to my boys. Um, she knows the truth because it's actually written in the will that the residue of the estate was to go to me, which includes the rings. And as, as Dad said, how can she stuff it up? You know, because if the residue of the estate, if, if all I own are the two rings, that's it. They go to you and Zita can look after them. It's pretty simple. It's pretty common sense. But my sister just said, you're not getting them and that's it. Yeah. It's, it's really not much compared to people who are losing their children and their houses, you know. Um, it's, it's not. It's just the principle of the thing. That's all. Yeah, because um, your dad died. Did your mom? Um, if, you, if your dad died, did your mom pass over too? My mum, when my mum passed, um, she left pretty much all the things to my other two sisters because the other two sisters were closer to my mum. So she left more or less all her stuff to the other two sisters, knowing that. If when Dad passed, he would pretty much leave what was his to, to me, and that's that's what's happened. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame that um, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. Yeah, especially like I said, if somebody goes in there and they grab the. They grab all the property, and if they have, you know, access, I mean, honestly, you know, like down in, in um, Australia, do you have anything called, like, probate courts? Um, yeah, um, see, I don't know anything about that side. I have never, um, the closest I ever got to a court was, um, um, I, I had a case years ago um, where... Um, to, to work for the, the meat works, I had to actually do a, a physical and it um, and I had a murmur in the heart and the doctor um, um, the doctor said that I could work at the meat works and through that I got Q fever. Um, the Q fever that I got was actually it's actually life threatening because it actually um, attacks my heart. So. You know, that's what the doc, this doctor did. So he pretty much, you know, um, gave me a life sentence of pretty much death. <laughs> I've had two heart operations and, um, um, yeah, just, you know, it's chronic fatigue and um, cognitive difficulties sometimes and um, just, well, incapacitating fatigue sometimes. So that's why I've got the MMS. I, um, I listened to your last show about it um, curing um, um, curing um, that that parasite stuff. So I, I got that in the hope that I can fix up the the Q fever. Yeah, because it's going to be very difficult for you to sue them in court, you know, to get the property returned. Because, like you said, if everybody is an executor of the, you know, of the will, I mean that 
That kind of sounds crazy. You know, somebody should have, your dad should have put one person in charge. Well, it's basically, if everybody has a say of who gets what, then, you know, it's like a, you know, it's like a democracy kind of thing. Everybody gets a vote. And everybody's going to vote for themselves. Um, well, haven't the executors got a, a responsibility to follow what's on in that will? Yeah, well, like you said, no third party impartial. If there's nobody like impartial, if nobody witnessed, you know, them stealing it, then it's your just your word against hers. And um, honestly, if you go if you go before a judge, you're gonna lose. You know, if you go in front of a jury, you probably have a good chance of winning. If you could cry yeah. better than the person could cry, if you could put on a hell of an act, you put on a hell of a show. But a judge. He couldn't care less how bad you're crying. He couldn't care less what you got to say. If you don't have any proof, you know, like you don't have like any video or you ain't got, you know, any third-party impartial witness to say that they witnessed, you know, her doing it. And like I said, if there's, is, there, is there something in the will, like who gets exactly what? Um, yes. Everybody an executor. I mean, I mean, what are the, you know, did he actually spell out who gets what or no? Yes. Well, Gus, you, you, you talked to her. She says you talked to her during the week? Yeah, we uh we talked a couple of weeks ago. And can you can you make out any heads or tails what she was saying? Yeah, what, what happened is, is uh, the dad passed away, uh, described uh, pretty specifically who he wanted, uh, which items to go to, and her uh, sister's husband uh, took some of the stuff that he wasn't supposed to take, and uh, he said that he was going to keep it, and if she tried to get it, he was just going to destroy it. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, paintings and letters and, and things that are very easily disposed of. And, uh, you know, I, I told her, you know, if you go to court, if this guy's got it out for you and just can't stand you and you go to court, even if you win, he's going to say, I can't find it. I must have thrown out, thrown it out with the rubbish. Yeah, it's just going to be so hard to... to yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. The only thing you're going to be able to get is the monetary value of it. You know, like to actually get the physical items back, oh, it'd be almost impossible because he's not going to okay. want to... He's not going to want to admit that he's a liar, he's a thief or a crook. He's not going to want to admit it. No. Um, Carl, is there a way that I can, um, like, go down to the police station even and um, say these people have taken um, this stuff and w would they would they do a search of their property because they would definitely find it then? I don't know. To me, it's, you've got to be more, like, creative. You're going to have to be more, like, you know, like get a private investigator to, you know, actually do some work, like go down there and talk to the guy, meet the man, uh, you know, tell the man, that, you know, like if you have a private investigator, just say, look, say that you're interested in a certain style of painting or, and uh, does he know where any of this is available? And, you know, like if your brother-in-law goes to a bar, go hang out in a bar and, you know, befriend the man. I mean, it's going to take it's going to take some investigation. I mean, your brother-in-law is not stupid. He's not going to say, 
yeah, you're damn right. I got it. I know she's not going to get it, and I'm going to keep it, and there's not a damn thing anybody could do about it. Or he's going to say you left it parked in the back of the pickup truck, and I guess somebody walked off with it. You know? So, I mean, you're going to actually have to, like, you know, you know, use your brains. You're actually going to have to try to set the guy up. You're going to actually have to do investigation. You're going to have to find out, you know, who his friends are. Talk to his friends. You're going to, have to and like I said, you know, obviously his friends probably aren't going to talk to you. You know, if he goes to a bar and hangs on a bar, you know, you know, going to, you know, have to have, get somebody in there that he doesn't know, his friends don't know, and try to befriend them. I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot of work. I mean, it's nothing that I think you're going to get in court. Nothing is going to happen in court. Okay. You know, there's a damn thing. The guy just says, it's like, look, you know, it's like we have some very famous politicians in this country, and uh, they get dragged into the court all the time. And it's like they they got the, they gotten like like there's some lady named Hillary Clinton, and uh, they had a dead to rights and all kinds of scams and you know back you know, in some some uh, they had the Whitewater trials, and you know they would ask her a simple question: Did you ever work for Whitewater? She's like, I, I don't recall. It's like, well, you're not a member of the firm. Uh, I don't recall. Do you remember ever walking into this address, this office building, you know, in Arkansas that located this address called the Whitewater Associates? Uh, I don't recall. She just kept saying, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember. And if your brother-in-law knows anything about law, he's just going to keep saying, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember. And a judge is going to have to let him go. A jury will nail him, but a judge will let him go. The jury will know he's bullshitting. Of course. Okay. Um, well, I have, I have a, um, well, see, when they bought most of the stuff up, they actually put it in a storage shed and, and um, they refused to give me the keys to the storage shed. Now I, I have emailed to um, John Grayson, who was the manager of the storage shed, um, I have actually a voice recorder tape of my sister refusing to give me the keys um, to that shed, even though it says in the will that um, it was supposed the the items were supposed to go to me. So I have that as evidence. I also have a voice recording of my brother-in-law um, pretty much giving me a a, a little threat you know, saying, um, you don't get it, you don't get it. After I asked my sisters for the keys, he he rang me up and abused abused me. I, I have that on tape. So, I mean, that I can use that as evidence, can't I? Well, to me, it's not so much as evidence. See, because what I would do, but you're not me, is I guarantee eventually the people that did this to you, like if they did it to me, Eventually, they'd be taking me into court, and my defense would be self-help. My defense would be, since there was no law or no law enforcement officer, there was no man or woman on planet Earth that could help me, I had to go in and I had to help myself. So if I know my child like I did with, um, I'll give you a simple example, and I know Gus remembers this one probably, but... um, I bought a uh, white chow dog from a neighbor that used to raise white chows. White chows. And um, they had um, the neighbor that I bought, I bought it from. 
I came home one day from work, and the girls told me the dog was missing. You remember this one, Gus? You there? Yep. Sorry, I muted out. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, yeah. I just wonder if you remember this story. To me, it's the perfect self-help story. Absolutely. So, um... The, the neighbors, you know, uh, I came home from work one day. I bought that dog from a neighbor's who lived two doors down, closer to town for me, two doors down to the east. And uh, when I got home from work, the kid said, we can't find the dog. I said, okay, I'll go to the west. You guys go to the east. You guys go walk towards town, and I'll drive away from town, and uh, we'll see if we find this dog. So they walked two houses down. And they found the dog inside of this man's house. So I came back around, and the kids came running up the road. And they're like, Daddy, Daddy, uh, well, you know, we found the dog. I said, where is she? He's like, she's in the neighbor's house that sold it to us. So I realized what happened, that she was a white chow, and she was beautiful. And uh, I realized she was, they were probably just going to turn around and resell it in another county. They were just going to take another 10, 20 miles down the road and sell it again, and like double dip. So um, I knocked on the guy's door. I said, you got my dog in that house? He said, no, I don't. I said, uh, like, dude, I hear my dog. He said, I don't know what the hell to tell you, man. I ain't got your damn dog. I'm like, get the hell out of here. And he slammed the door in my face. I said, okay. So I went down to the sheriff's department, and the man's name is Matt Dillon. And uh, his name really is Matt Dillon, but he's only like five foot five. He's a little guy. And uh, he's still down there in uh, Rowan County. Uh, North Carolina, and um, he was up in Davie County where I lived, but now he's over in Rowan. And I went down to the sheriff's department down there, and I said to him, I said, hey, this man's got my dog in this house. I'm calling the dog. I'm calling her name, and she's barking. I know my dog's bark. And he says, oh, I'm sorry about that call. Um, that sounds like, no, it doesn't sound like no call. No, it clearly is a civil matter. You know what? You don't have to sue him. I said, I don't know how to explain this to you. If I wait to sue him in like 21 days, he has to answer, that dog is going to be out of that house sometime tonight. And he's going to be in another town or another county, 10, 20 miles, 30 miles away, and I'm going to see that dog again. He's like, I don't know how to explain this to you, Carl. We here at the Sheriff's Department can't do a fucking thing for you. You're too fucking bad. Just like with my child in that house, a dog in the house, he's like, there's nothing we can do. It's a civil matter. The man didn't do anything out in the public. There's nothing we could do for you. So, see, this is why I help people a lot. Because I know that when you go there and you say, my kid's in that house or my dog's in that they don't care. You can say, my car's in that guy's garage. They don't care. They're not going in and they're not getting it. It's like, look, we have no jurisdiction. We're not going in there to get it. So I said, okay, that's fine. I said, you're not even going to go down the road and, like, scare the guy a little bit for me? He says, nope. He says, there's none of our damn business what you guys are doing down there. I said, okay. I said, so. I said, in about 15 minutes, you're going to get a phone call, a 911 phone call. You're going to be dispatched to this man's house. I'm going to come out with my hands up. Don't shoot. Don't kill me. I don't have a gun, but I'm going in that man's house. He says, you're going to break into that man's house? I said, no. I said, you know where that man's house is, right? It's down a hill. I'm driving my truck down that hill, and I'm going right through their living room wall. And I hope nobody's on the sofa, but if they are, they're going to get stuck under my truck. 
I said, I'm going to bust a hole so wide in that house that my dog will definitely be able to run out of that house. I said, and I'm going to come out of that house, hopefully. I said, if I do, I'm not coming out, I'm not coming out to hurt you or kill you, but I am going into that house. Oh, literally, I am going into that house, and I'm going to get my dog. And if they want to sue me for reckless driving that I lost control of my truck, they can sue my insurance company. They can make a claim against my insurance company since it's going to be a civil matter. So I took off in the sheriff's department, and I thought I was driving pretty fast in my pickup truck, but it was an old 65 Chevy pickup truck. And somehow he went around to the west side of town, and as I was coming down the hill to go into this, slam my truck into this man's house, the sheriff drove his car across the man's front lawn, and he blocked my truck from going into the side of the man's house. I said, I said to Matt, you can't stay here forever. Eventually you're going to have to leave and go someplace else. I'll just wait up at the top of the hill for you to leave. And as soon as you leave, I'm just coming through the man's house. He says, I can't let you do that. I said, well, then you're going to have to sit there longer than I could sit at the top of the hill. So I said, he said, okay, I'll go knock on this guy's door. What does your dog look like? I said, it's a white child. He, he said, you know, so how, you know, if this man says that he has a white child too, how does this dog have any, is there any way that you could tell this is your dog? I said, well, you could do the old open up the door and he'll call the dog's name and I'll call the dog's name and the dog will definitely run to me. I said, or I have a better solution. I said, what color do chows have? What color tongues do the chows have? He said, black tongues. Chows have black tongues. I said, no, not this dog. This dog has got a pink and, and a black tongue. And that tongue has got the pattern. It's like a birthmark of the country of Italy. It looks like a high-heeled woman's boot on my dog's tongue's, my dog's mouth. It's got a, it, the tongue has got the shape of a boot. So when you open up my dog's mouth, ask that man, what color is that dog's tongue? And the, the guy will say black, like all those other chows. He won't know that it's half pink, half black, and it's shaped like Italy. So the sheriff went into the man's house, and two, three minutes later, he came out with my dog. He said, here's your dog call. Have a nice day. I said, has a tongue shaped Italy, right? And he said, exactly. He said, and I warned that man, you know, you know, you know about stealing dogs. And uh, he said, but call, I'm not going to charge him with a crime. Just take your dog. So it felt very uncomfortable for me to live two doors down from this guy who stole my dog. And, like, when I came home from work, it just felt very uncomfortable to have to drive by their house all the time, seeing these people, and not just want to go out and just beat the snot out of these people all the time. But that's called self-help. See, now, I'm not saying, well, go past your sister's house or go past your brother-in-law's house and accidentally drive a truck through the side of their house, and while you're walking through the side of their storage unit, or through the side of the house, if you happen to see the paintings, well, pick it up and help yourself. Because that's literally what self-help is called. And I know that's in my dictionary. <laughs> and um, it's actually good law. It's not, it's not, um, it's not crazy. It's, it, the, the courts actually recognize something called self-help. When you realize there is no other man or woman, no person on planet Earth to help you, you can help yourself. So everybody, like to say, especially women, you guys will call me up and say, well, the court won't do this, and the court officials won't do this. And I say, um, 
you have a husband? And they say, no. It's like, do you understand that's one of the benefits of having a husband? What's that? Is he will promote uh, the, the, the theory of self-help like you have no idea. Like, what does that mean? He will go get it for you. Well, I mean, he will physically go get it. Why? Because that's what a man does. He knows how to secure and protect his property, and he knows how to go and swing a club and go get his property back. And he's got no problem with that, and he'll explain the concept of self-help to the jury. Say, look, I just ain't going to take this bullshit, and nobody's going to steal from my ass, and I'm going to go and I'm going to go get my shit. And people say, oh, that's uncivilized, or that's not, you know, very nice. It's like, mm, it might be uncivilized and not, might not be very nice, but he had my child or he had my dog or he stole my car, and I'm not waiting around for somebody to uh, tell me it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to there, and I'm going to go get it. And, yes, if you want to arrest me, I can live with that. You want to charge me with a crime? I'll just say, hey, you know what? It's civil. It's not criminal. It's civil. Um, oopsie, my truck slipped when I came over the hill. Oops, I, my hand my, it fell off the steering wheel. Oopsie. Here you go. <laughs> wow, I, I can't believe how good that looks like on my dictionary. I haven't seen my dictionary in a long time, Gus. That's, I got a really colorful-ass dictionary, man. Okay, self-governing <laughs> on the letter S. It says um, self-help and law. In the sense of legal doctrine, refers to individuals' implementation of their rights without resorting to legal orders or consultation of a higher authority. As for a financial institution repossesses a car in which they hold both title and a defaulted note. See, the bank can do it. It's saying right there in the law dictionary, though. It says a bank can repossess a car because they hold the title and a defaulted note. They don't have to go get a court order. They could just come on your property and steal your car because, you know what? It's that car. You know, so it's like, well, about the paintings and this. It's like, you know what? Literally, mm, I could come in that building and I could take it because, you know what, I got the will. I got my, my dad's last will and testament says that's mine. So, you know what, I'm going there and get it. Well, let me let me tell you another one that says and the self-help. Individuals resort to self-help when they retrieve property found under unauthorized control of another person. Oh, there you go. How's that? So there you go. You, they, you're retrieving your property found under the unauthorized control of another person. So your dad authorized you to have control of that, and now there's an unauthorized person who has it. So um, there you go. <laughs> and it says degrees of limitation. It says the legal system places varying degrees of limitation on self-help. It says a self-help, often self-help will be legal as long as no law is broken, no breach of the peace. See, so you've got to, like I said, you could say, well, that's why I said you got sometimes you got to get crafty. You got to hire like a private investigator and befriend this guy, and figure out a way to get into his house or figure out a way to get into his storage unit. You know, find a beautiful woman that you know. He, she says, "Oh, I love you madly. Why don't you take me home and let's do whatever?" And she can go in the house and find the stuff for you. I don't know. Sometimes you got to get crafty. It's called self-help. Sometimes you know there's just no state official or state agency that's going to help you. Sometimes you've got to, you know, use your own devices to make the magic happen because nobody's going to do it for you. So, like I said, you just got to get, you just got to get extremely uh, interesting, you know. You got, you got to get crafty because, like I said, one of the yeah. infamous cases, you know, it says uh, 
a drug agent, was murdered in Mexico in 1985. So the U.S. government hired mercenaries to to kidnap a local doctor in Mexico who was suspected involved in the murder and brought him out of Mexico and faced trial in the United States without going through the formal demands of extradition from Mexico. And it says, Mm -hmm. um, the original trial court was of the opinion that to steal, like the doctor, out of Mexico and bring him here was illegal. But the United States Supreme Court decided that the health self-help extradition of this man from Mexico was legal. So see, so the U.S. government said, you know what, we're going to hire mercenaries, we're going to hire soldiers to go into another country, Mexico, and we're going to kidnap, if anybody wants to know, it's uh, uh, United States versus Alvarez, Matt Shane, uh, 1992. So the United States government said, well, a doctor in Mexico killed or knew who killed one of our drug enforcement agents. So we're going to go into Mexico and we're going to get this damn doctor and we're going to drag him over here to the United States and we're going to put him in jail. And you know, we're going to find out, you know, what he knows about this murder of our, one of our federal agents. So obviously when the guy went to court, the original court said, no, you can't just run into another country, you know, and steal this man and bring him over here. You can't do that. And the United States Supreme Court said, no. You know, they can, you know, extradite another man out of another country, you know, and um, even though that they have a treaty covering, you know, extraditions between the United States and Mexico. So, like I said, if the United States of America says, no, we're going in, it's like, well, there's a law and there's a legal treaty and there's, there's a treaty that we have with another country saying we can't do that. Well, guess what? The United States government's going to do it anyway. And when they get caught, and they get brought to court for doing it and saying that's illegal, and look, there's a treaty that says you can't do that, they're going to still say, uh, you know what, mm, yeah, we can. And the United States Supreme Court said, um, yeah, they can. So when you're a man and another man steals from you, you like you could say, you know what, we're going in. And we're going to take our property back, because that's mine. So like I said, you know, yeah. you're a, you, what I'm saying, you're a woman, and you might not have that instinct to just say, you know what, I'm going in. You know, you could say, well... Yeah. Well, Carl, he, he's, a, he's a crack shot, this guy, and he's got about five rifles in his house, and there ain't... There's, there's no way he ain't going to use them if, um, okay. if well, I, I go, ma'am, go in like there, I, you know? Ma'am, I guarantee that man that had my dog, I guarantee he had all kinds of guns and rifles. I guarantee he had everything. But my truck was still going to go through the side of that man's house. That dog was still going to come out. My children were not going to see their daddy back down. My children were going to see that daddy was willing to die for this dog. So if you're not willing to die, you're not willing to die. And I don't blame you. I mean, people got to set certain standards in which they're willing to give their lives. I mean, I can't believe how flippant I was with, you know, losing my life and going to jail and losing everything I had. Because like I said, what the wife and her baby was sitting on a sofa and I came flying through the front window and I ran over the sofa and I killed a woman and a baby. You know, at that time, I did not care. To me, that my dog was no different than my child. If you steal my child, I don't care what it took, I was going to get my child back. So like I said, you could see, but I was doing that in 1990. You see, 10 years later, when they took my kid in the state of Alabama, I had changed a whole different way of looking at things. I said, you know what? I'm going to come after you people with paper, pen, and ink. But what happened in 1990, I realized it was man on man. 
and I realized no paper, pen, and ink was going to protect my child. If they kidnapped my child, if some bad man kidnapped my child, and he was raping and torturing my baby in his home, you think I'm going to wait for the police to go get a warrant? You think I'm going to wait for the police to say, I'm going to help you get back your baby? No, I'm going in there, come hell or high water, I'm going in there, and I'm going to save my baby. I'm going in there, and I'm saving that dog. I'm going in there, and I, you kidnap my baby. You kidnap, To me, you kidnap my dog. This is, you just might as well kidnap my kid. It's like if I was walking down the street, and I said, where's Melinda? Where's Holly? And they're like, I don't know. And we start walking through the neighborhood, and they start yelling from the neighbor's house, Daddy, Daddy, we're in here. Daddy, Daddy, we're in here. What do they want to do? We're going to go down the sheriff's department. First one, they're knocking the guy's door. So you got my kids in here? No, the kids aren't here. Daddy, Daddy, help us. It's like, well, dude, you better open this fucking door. He's like, oh, he's a crack shot. I got a lot of guns. Said, okay, dude, okay, fine. You know what? I'm, I flew my ass down to this police department. Police said, we can't help you. Guess what? You can't help me, police? I'm, I'm, I'm going to knock that house down. You know what? My kids are in there. I'm going to knock it down. I'm going to flatten that place. I'm going to drive my truck right through one side of the house to the other side. And I don't give a damn who's in my way. I don't care if I run over my own damn kids. I don't care. I'm getting in that house. Come hell or high water. Whatever happens, happens. This is called self-help. I'm not waiting around to try to come up with a better plan. I'm not doing it. So like I said, it's just called self-help. And you, like I said, you want to get crafty, you want to get creative, you want to hire a, a prostitute or a whore to try to convince uh, him to open up the door and let him in? I don't know. I'm just saying, you, you, if you've got to get creative, you've got to get creative. You've got to get crafty, you've got to get crafty. If you've got to drive a truck through the side of the uh, storage building, it's like, oh, you know what? I lost control of my car and I went through the side of a storage building. We went through the side of the storage building. Accidents happen all the time. Who knows? I'm just telling you, if you're waiting for a state government official to do something for you, you're going to be waiting a very long time. Because they didn't care. No, they you know? don't. No, they don't. Because, they, you know, he's not doing it out in the public. You know, he's doing something in his home. You know, it's between you and him. It's man on man. So there's nothing really that you could do about it. Okay. It's like, that's why, you know, the United States, man, we, we got this really bad reputation one wild, world, um, worldwide. They said, you guys think this is the wild, wild west. You think you guys are just going to come into a country, shoot it up, grab some guy, grab some Saddam Hussein guy, or grab some uh, whatever guy, you're just going to come flying in here, shoot up, bang up the city, bang up the town, blow the country up, grab the bad guy, and take him out. Yeah, that's exactly what we think we're going to do. No, not exactly what we think we're going to do. We are going to do it. And what are you going to do about it? The ladies say that's uncivilized. It's like, mm, okay, I can live with that title. Wild, wild west? Mm, yeah, I can live with that. We're going to cowboy it? We're going to yippee ki it? Yeah. We're going to destroy everything in our path to get what we want? Okay. We're okay with that. The world's policemen? Yeah. We're okay with that. We're the world's policemen. Yeah. We can handle that title. We got no problem. That's what we were raised. Nobody's going to walk on us and we're not going to tolerate it. You know, because if you let one person walk on you, everybody will walk on you. You got to draw the line and say, no. I'm not taking it no more, and I'm going to fight back. What don't? It's a lifestyle. It's a culture. You know, that's why we always make fun of the French. That's why we always make fun of the Italians. 
you know, they always cut their tanks in reverse. You know what I'm saying? They, 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 they'll back, they'll retreat. You know, like people like me in the United States, we're not backing down. We're not going backwards. We're going to keep going forwards. Well, don't you know the government's going to come after you? Yeah. Do you realize they're going to try to take everything you got? Yeah. Do you realize you're going to destroy your life? Yeah. Okay, and? What else do you want me to do? It's like, well, that's crazy. No, it's called being an American. We're an American. We're not Americans. You see, we don't believe in can't. We, that's a four-letter word. You don't tell the American he can't do something. That's a four-letter word. So we're Americans. We're American. we're not, not Americans. We do it. We say we're going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, a couple of white guys landed here. We took over a whole continent. Millions and millions of Indians. Oh, well. to slow us down. What are we going to do about it? Look what happened to Australia. I'm sure there's millions and millions of Aborigines. A couple of white guys land. They're all, you know, they got that under control, too. It's just a part of our race. It's part of our culture. It's the way we believe. It's why the English rule the sea. It's why English is the predominant language of the world. A little tiny itty-bitty country called England. You see all, every, all their commerce, all their money, all their culture, all their influence, all their beliefs, all their laws dominate the world. Well, well, how big is your truck, Carl? How big is your truck? Can I borrow it? <laughs> yeah, it's, just only, it's called a half-ton truck, so most people know what a half-ton truck is. It's not that big. But um, it's one. It's like the normal standard size pickup truck. But that's just the way we did things, you know. My wife would never look at me as a man ever again. My children wouldn't respect me as a dad if I didn't do what I did. The sheriff wouldn't respect me as I did. And when I got arrested for moonshine later on, the judge, the, the sheriff stood up for me in court and said, this is a hell of a good man. Can you say he was a crazy son of a bitch psycho who'd run his truck and kill every woman and child in his path to get his dog? You know, it's fucking crazy. You know, of course it's crazy, but that's what makes me American. That's what makes me who I am. You know, I'm just glad God had a different uh, way that the, you know, I'm just glad looking back at it, the sheriff beat me to the man's house. I don't know how he beat me to the man's house. I thought I was taking the quickest, shortest way. I don't know how he got in his car and beat me there. But I thank God every day that he did because he blocked me. Because I was going through, and I didn't give a damn. You know, you steal my kid. I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn. I realized that when the state stole my kid like that, I realized they weren't going to kill him. I realized they weren't going to torture him and rape him and stuff. I realized, you know what, he's in the hospital. He only weighs two pounds, nine ounces. Honestly, they're not going to torture this kid. He's in the hospital. He's surrounded by women. He's surrounded by nurses. He's okay. I don't got to blow this hospital up. He's okay. But I'm telling you, man, if some crazy guy stole my two-year-old kid, and here we're in a hospital, I'd blow that hospital down to the ground until I got my kid. I'd destroy everything in my path if I thought some men were holding my kid. But it was women holding my kid? Eh, he, he's going to be fine. They're, they're not going to hurt him. He's going to be okay. But like I said, you know, it's just like sometimes you just got to, you know, different, you know, situations, you know, you got to do different things. You know, if you, if you like I said, if you had a third-party witness that stole a, uh, you know, the paintings, somebody could say, you know, somebody in the bank said that they came in and they were unauthorized and that you'd use that, you know, the bank personnel to say, I don't know how they got a copy of key. You know, they used gave me false paperwork to get into that safety deposit box, but no. If they had all the credentials to get into that safety deposit box, well, they had just as much as, you know, first come, first serve. And you could say, well, I don't know, maybe, uh, so say, I don't know, maybe dad took the, the money out of the safe deposit box or the jewels out before I got here because when I got here, there was nothing left. 
And you could say, you're a lying bitch and, you know, I'm a sneaking whore. And she would say, yeah, that might be true, but still, I have no idea what you're talking about. So like no, that's I said, okay. That, she's, no, she's already admitted that she's got them. Yeah, but she's not going to admit it to anybody or admit it to the court. And she's admitted it to heaps of friends that Dad gave them to her. Yeah, but I'm saying, who's she going to admit that to? If you get her on the witness stand, she's going to admit that she stole the stuff, that it's not hers. And she knows it's not hers because she took it anyway. You're going to get her to admit that? I don't know, maybe. I don't know. Well, then you can try it. But like Mm. I said, all else fails. Nobody ever hears. I guarantee nobody, nobody on any radio show, on any TV show, just explains self-help like I just did. Nobody. Carl, Carl, I understand what you're saying, and I thank you so much. Right, but that's what I'm trying to say. It's like it's fun. It's funny. Like all, like it's not just you, but this. I get about two thousand people a week download my show. So those two thousand people, somebody's going to break this down and put it on a YouTube channel. So you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people who all of a sudden are going to hear the definition of self-help that they didn't even know existed. It's like that's legal. Oh, it's legal. We can really do that? Oh, you could really do that. We could really go into somebody's house. You sure can. We could go to another country and do this and get our kid back. We could go. You're damn right you can. Don't wait for the government to jump in and help you. Let's go out there and do it yourself. Right. Like, well, 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 then I can, I can go grab a couple of friends then, can't I? I can just go grab a couple of friends. pay them some money and just I'm go not, into I'm the not, house. I'm, I'm not giving you any advice. You've got to be creative. Every situation no, is unique. You. you believe somebody's done you wrong, you do what you got to do. That's why it used to be called posses. That's why it's called mob rules. There's all kinds of ways of looking at it. It depends on who's doing it to who. If you're on the receiving end of the mob, or if you're the mob and saying that we're going to get vengeance, we're going to uh, take the medicine to our own hand. It all depends. But last, is there something in law called self-help? That's great, because I don't think I ever gave a self-help example on any of my shows ever. I don't know if I ever did that, but now I have. Okay. Now you have. Thank you. All righty. Good luck. But no piece of wood in the fire. You like that self-help there, Gus? <laughs> oh, yeah, Karen. I was talking to Karen today, and... And uh, when I told her you were already on and you didn't wait till 6, she says, oh, you better go. This is going to be good. He's on fire this morning. He was with <laughs> and she was telling me what you guys are talking about. And I thought, oh, shit, I hope I didn't miss it. <laughs> but Uh-oh. I guess, I, guess I, I just heard it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, like I said, you see what I'm saying? Oh, it's, yeah. Like I said, you know, I I live in a very nice, quiet area. You know exactly where I live. And when my dogs went crazy a couple of, uh, like a week ago, I walked out there with my uh, cell phone with my video on. So if, when I, if I got shot and killed out there, somebody would find my cell phone and record, you know, record the last few moments of what was going on. And uh, when I walked up there, oh, hang on a second.
I'm still on the call. Carl, uh, I think Carl just took a phone call. Thanks, Gus. Yeah. I just uh, put a new page up on my website for self-help with that link, that uh, Alvarez case and a couple of quotes. I'll do some research on this later, and uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks I can find some uh, Blackstone stuff on it. Some some older stuff, some some common law stuff, but for now, uh, I put it under. Uh, oh, actually, let me take a look. <coughs> Excuse me. It's under the common law tab. Common law rights. Uh, there's a tab that drops down. One of them's uh, plaintiff must appear right to travel, self-help, statute of staples, and what is a person? Uh, this is on your, this is on redress for dummies? Yeah, redress for dummies, yeah. Okay, redress thank for, you. Yeah, redressfordummies.org. Okay. If you guys run across some, uh, some old common law stuff. Just give me a heads up where I could find it, and uh, I'll add it to the to that page. I'm still working on that um, that transcript, Gus. I've been um, pretty pretty cook, pretty sick. Okay, that's awesome. Thank yeah. It must be the um, it must be a big clean out because I've been using that MMS. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've I have I've been pretty sick the how, last few days. Uh, how have you been using it? Um, just a couple of drops of each, and I wait for a, for a couple of minutes um, until it activates, and then I've been putting um. um Asorbic acid, about half a teaspoon of asorbic acid to it, and I let leave that for about a minute or two till it activates, and then I drink it. Yeah, that sounds like uh, what Kerry Rivera. Did you watch Kerry Rivera's uh, video on that? Um, if it's if it's the links that you sent me, yes, I have. Yep. Kerry, Kerry Rivera and uh, Andreas Calker are the two people that I that I uh, checked out. You look up either one of them. Uh, straight talk on MMS. You'll you'll get a pretty good idea. There's one of the videos. I just put one of them into the Skype chat. I mean the TalkShoe chat, but. Uh, on on one of these videos with Carrie, she uh, she talks about the uh, the chemical compounds and everything that's going on with MMS, how it's made, uh, the protocols on using it to uh, help kids with autism. And she, she, yeah, she she lays out her kid was uh, I think 11 years old or 15 years old, and he couldn't uh, maintain eye contact and. Uh, 
had this for a while, and after a few days, she said uh, he started making eye contact and, and communicating directly with her and uh, blew her mind. And she's she's in Mexico. She's been studying it for a while. But she's got some, you'll see her name in that video that I did post. Uh, but look up anything to do with uh, MMS, autism, Andreas Kalker, Kerry Rivera. You can find a lot of really good information there. And like Carl was saying, uh, make sure that uh, you keep your enzymes up and your bacteria up in your in your gut, because uh, if you use it properly, it's it's really not going to do a whole lot. It, it's a very very slow process the way she used it. But uh, you know if if you do get aggressive with it, you got to make sure your bacteria count stays up. Now, I I've got my way of using it, which is quite a bit different. I uh, I make it really strong and I use it for uh, dry skin on my elbow, and it, it's really helped out with that. Uh, but I've also, well, I can't, I don't know if that's what did it. I use chaga, which is also supposed to do the same thing. It's supposed to uh, bring your immune system under control. So I'm not sure which one got rid of the dry skin on my elbow, but that's how I use the MMS. I, uh, I mix it with aloe vera, and I use it on... on, on you know, uh, external. Well, the the aloe vera would be very good. The aloe vera goes good, yeah, yeah with the MMS. And have you heard, um, I just received what they call the victory machine from Carlston Research in Canada. Mine's just arrived, and it makes colloidal silver. It's supposed to... Um, kill parasites in the body. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I, um, I've, got, I've, I've had friends for years and years use colloidal silver, and I've never heard anybody be disappointed. I've never made my own. I've never... Uh, I think I bought... I think I bought one bottle in the early 90s, but uh, it's not something I followed through with. Okay. Aloe vera, aloe vera is very good, though. <clears throat> Lots of stuff. Yes, it is. Um, did did you find the um that the um the talk show about um when Carl was talking about um uh, using capital C and a capital R? court of record um, compared to little c and little r? No, I, I have no idea where that is. I've, I've never, I never noticed that, uh, that he did anything about that. I've all, I, yeah. I went through all of Carl's older audios uh, up to, I don't know, maybe you know, fifty, fifty-two, something like that. I don't know if I if I actually made it to fifty. I know I listened to the first twenty that jumped. Uh, they they go from twenty to forty, and I listened to a bunch of those, and then I I listened. Uh, I went back and listened to the old ones, and I've been listening to all the newer stuff for uh, probably from January forward. Yeah, I've heard all those. But 
I keep going back to the first 20, especially the first 10. And then the ones with, uh, on, on Andrea's call, uh, Carl did, I think it was 199 and 204. 202 and 204. I'd have to go back and look. But those are those are really, really good audios. I've got those on, uh, I've got links to, to, uh, Andrea's calls with Carl. They're they're all in sequence according to uh, the TalkShoe number on my website. Uh, but it brings you you know right to Carl's TalkShoe or to Angela's TalkShoe. It you know, it, it links you right up to theirs. It's just not something that's hosted. So yeah, uh, Andrea's call two hundred two two hundred four two hundred five. Yeah, they're good. Yep. Yeah, it was funny, like, speak of the devil. I was just talking about the car being stolen out of the driveway, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the landlord guy just called me up and said, you know, they know another place that's further back, and if I'd like to move there to let me to let them know that they were selling, somebody was selling that place up there, like five acres, and it has a, a house on there and a big garage. This is like the garage is big enough to pull a truck or trailer in. Wow. Yeah, so like I said, this is what I was trying to say, and I think my sister understands too. It's like, look, you know what? Maybe this is a blessing in disguise that somebody tried to steal my car like that. And uh, like I said, I don't know, man. Like I said, you know, people always say to me, ain't you worried about the government? Somebody in the government's going to come here. Like I said, my dad uh, was in the New Jersey Marine, or I hadn't seen him in years. And the uh, bounty hunters found him. It's that, you know, we're looking for your son to drag him back to Alabama. You know, and like, but I never did anything to Alabama. My dad was like, what did you do? He said, they said, did you did it rob the bank? I said, rob the bank? I said, Dad, that's a federal crime. I said, you know, the feds would be looking for me. I said, you know, Alabama wouldn't be sending bounty hunters up here. And he's like, all my relatives were saying the bounty hunters were looking for your call. So like I said, you know, I don't need no nonsense in the middle of the night. Like somebody's, maybe they're pulling the car out to make me come out of the house to try to go save my car. And then some clowns, you know, are going to fucking hurt me. You know, maybe somebody really stealing the call. Maybe just some, you know, government people that just want to uh, fuck with me and just say, "Look, man, if we steal one of his cars, we'll come out here like a hero, going to save his car, and we'll, you know, we'll gun his ass down and make it look like it was a robbery that went bad." You know, so like I said to my landlords, I said, "Man, you know what? Honestly, I don't, I want to do this. No more. I, you know, I like living here and all, but once something like that happens, it's like, you know, I don't feel safe no more. It's like, you know what? Too many people know where I live now, and." um I just don't, it don't feel the same. So I said, you know, you know, I said, then you know, I'm going to uh, put all my stuff at my mom's place, you know, like store everything over at her farm, at my folks' farm, and uh, leave here and uh, just start traveling again. You know, go out to California, go out to Washington State, you know, just go out and start traveling. You know, don't just sit around and just wait for stuff to happen. Go out there and go make it happen. So that's probably what my sister's talking to you about. Like, he's uh, not pissed off, you know. It's just looking at things a little bit different. You know, I wanted to settle down. I wanted to just sit here for a while. And it looks like God's saying, nope, you know, I'm not knowing you yet. You're going to keep moving. We're not done. I said, but I want to be done. He's like, nope. You know, you know, rest of the wicked, no. You're going to keep moving. I'm like, but I don't want to move. He's like, too bad. You're giving your choice. You know, this ain't the place for you. You're going to keep moving. I'll let you know when you're done. 
So I said, but I just want to be done. I was like, too bad. <laughs> you play the you play the game or else. And that's the way I was looking at life. Uh, you know, I'm being like forced to play the game. Play the game. I'm like, but I don't want to play. No, you ain't got a choice. You will play. You will keep moving and like you'll keep spreading the word and you'll keep doing my you know, doing the work that I want you to do. But I don't wanna. Well, yeah, too bad. <laughs> You're gonna keep playing. You know, like I said, it's just it's just weird how that all how everything's just working out. It's just really weird how uh, I decided to take this path. You know, I had no intention on ever doing law. I had no intention on ever trying to write a dictionary or a book. That's ridiculous. I love doing blue collar work. You know, I love uh, doing hard physical labor. I enjoy it. You know, like I was telling you the other day, somebody, they, if they put me in prison, Gus, I told you the other day, I said, the first thing I'd ask is, hey, man, do you got some place called solitary confinement so I don't have to be around all these morons? Because I know if I go to jail or prison, the first thing you know is that every single freaking inmate would be in there asking me for, like, legal or lawful advice. I mean, I've never yeah. got a minute's That's right. <laughs> i never got a minute's peace. I, tell the, I said to the warden, hey, you know, you better put me in solitary confinement or I'm going to sue you. It's <laughs> like, what? I didn't come to jail to be, you know, hear this bullshit from these people 24-7. Give me someplace nice and quiet. <laughs> Give me someplace where I could be by myself. You need to go and hang out with, uh, you know, 10,000 inmates that don't have a fucking clue how they got there. And then they want me to explain to them how they got there. That they all got there, you know, for their own... Uh, their own beliefs, their own convictions. Yeah, well, listen to you, Carl, after Jerry Springer. <laughs> like I said, it's just funny. It's like people out there for their own beliefs, you know, and people are conviction, you know, their beliefs, their beliefs get them in there. It's like somebody says, it's just like I was talking to people before, saying, look at like Greece with the austerity, look with, the, you know, Italy and Portugal and Spain, it's just a, a cultural thing. They have no problem being in debt. They they got no shame. They, they absolutely, it's a lifestyle. It's a culture. They have no problem being in debt. If you look at the word debt in German, it means guilt. The word you know debt in the Bible is sin. The word debt in German is is guilt. So if you say guilt in German, you're saying debt. Like who do you owe debt to? Are you guilty? Like who who do you owe debt to? Are you guilty? Do you owe debt to society? Guilt, death, the same thing. Like they say, the German work week is six days weeks. That's that's typical. Not five, six. I mean, France and every other country tries to get away with four-day work weeks. Not Germans, man. You know, we, we, we like to work. We You know, it's, it's just the way we were raised. It's, you know, it feels good. And like I actually like doing hard physical labor. And when I couldn't do hard physical labor for three years... I just did hard physical reading. I just made it a marathon reading, marathon writing. I just did it 24-7. I did it until I couldn't do it no more. I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. You know, I'm going to work one way or the other, Dan. You know, I'm going to work. And uh, so, like I said, when uh, I applied for... Uh, when I... My, my, the, the, uh, the bank I went to, I said, Hey, man, for shits and giggles, can you run my credit score? And then when we went to run the credit score, and I said, you don't have a credit score. 
It's like, what? You, you, you never even appeared, like what I tell people all the time, you never even appeared in the second dimension. You're not here anywhere. I was like, why not? They said, you never applied for a credit card, never applied for a loan, you never applied for a mortgage, you never made monthly payments to a uh, credit card company, you never made monthly payments to a bank or to a car dealership, but you never made car payments to a pawn shop. You, you, you're not on record here anywhere. I said, he said, they said, everything you do is cash. I said, everything is cash. You know, I said, uh, that's just the way. You know, we I do it. If I can buy it, I buy it. If I can't, well, I wait. So, like I said, it's just um, it's just a lifestyle. So, um, when it comes to, um, like I said, my sister saying that, you know, like, calls saying, like, well, you know what? It looks like he's going to go back on the road again. And he doesn't want to go on the road. He, he just wants to stop. You know, he's very happy just being where he is, and he doesn't want to go on the road no more. But he realizes, you know what? It's time to get back on the road. You know, I say, I don't want to go back on the road. You know, I don't want to leave this place where I'm at. I actually like this place. Was, you know, you were here for seven weeks. You know, it's nice and quiet. Sure is. Yeah, but when somebody's coming up your driveway, stealing your car, and then you try to figure out why. You know, just like, this isn't right. There's no reason to come here and steal my car. I can't imagine somebody trying to steal a car at four in the morning with four dogs barking, and you're a half a mile from the nearest neighbor. You got to be freaking insane. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, right. So like I said, if I, you know, the man in Washington wanted me to come out there, there's a man in uh, Central California wants me to come out there. It's a man named Steve. And then there's another man named Lawrence in the Oakland area, the Bay Area, wants me to come out there. And I'm like, look, I don't want to leave because if I leave, people could hurt hurt my animals. People could hurt my uh, steal my cars. They could come to my house and rob me of everything I got. And by the time I come back home, everything anything that's worth any value will be gone. Because, you know, somebody just going down the road, nobody's going to take no notice. Nobody's going to notice that, hey, you know what? They're just going to think I sold my cars. They're not going to say, hey, wh- wh- where's all those cars going? Hey, where's, why is this, you know, why is this car truck coming up and down the road? Nobody's going to pay any attention. So like I said, man, it's like, you know, I don't need to drama. So I say, you know what, maybe it's best to just keep all my stuff with family and just uh, go on the road for a little while, you know, try to make a hell of a lot of money and um, then come back and get a place where I don't have to, um, you know, worry about, you know, like I said, these folks found another place. They said it's a cabin. It's, you know, way back off, you know, off the road. You know, nobody's been up there since, like, 1995. Like, it's just like a real hot place to find. I said, oh, that sounds good. You know, because when I went to the house and talked to him about that the other day, I said, you know what, it, you know, I just lost the fucking thrill of being here. You know, I just don't want to live like that, live in a place where i got to be worried. i got to worry, you know, that if I take a, a, you know, fly in an airplane, like I say to people, I said, no, you get me to where the hell i got to go, you get me then, you get me back as fast as you can. I don't want to be there, you know, if I could do it in uh, one day, I'd do it in one day. I don't want to be out there where you, just like the guy in Indiana asked me. He said, well, uh, Rod Class lived on my sofa for 10 days. I said, you're out of your effing mind if you think I'm going to spend 10 days on your sofa. By the time the guy made a pot of coffee and came out with a hot cup of coffee, I said, I am done. I am finished. When can I go meet uh, 
the feds? When can we have a meeting with them? When can we talk to the IRS agents? When can we talk to the federal prosecutors? When can we talk to U.S. Marshals down in Evansville? They said Thursday. I said, damn, today's Sunday. Why don't you call them up tomorrow morning, on Monday, and see we come down tomorrow afternoon so I could get done and get the hell out of here. Man, is I didn't want to stay there. I just wanted to, you know, do my job and go to hell home. Like I said, you know, so I don't have to worry about something going wrong down here. You know, the animals being harmed or injured or anything being stolen. I was like, man, I don't want to deal with this shit. Just get me out of here. <laughs> I lived at the top of the toilet tank off, man, and the cat's drinking out of it. I just took a picture of that. And it looks ridiculous. <laughs> It was funny, there's a water bowl sitting right on the floor in the bathroom right next to him. But for some reason, he'd rather take a drink right out of the toilet tank. That's what they do. Yeah, I took the lid off. (laughs) Yeah, so he's just drinking out of the top. (laughs) Yeah, crazy cat. Yeah, but I got lucky. There's not 120 cats running around this farm anymore. There's only six. So like Is that I said, because you know, of the weather? Yeah, the weather and um, and uh, we got like coyotes up here and stuff like that, and possum, and raccoon, and stuff like that. So you know, the predators get them too. You know, they got natural predators, and then they got the natural, you know, illnesses. They get something called distemper, which is just like a uh, respiratory virus, they get in their, you know, they get uh, mucus building up in their lungs. And uh, it's like pneumonia. So, you know, half of them die of that. There's nothing you do, like viruses, there's nothing you do when you get a virus. You just got to ride it out. There's no cure for a virus, even for human beings. There's no, there's never been a, uh, a viral, you know, cure for any viruses. You know, just the symptoms either there or the symptoms aren't there. And I actually had a, uh, a huge, uh, you know, like nose-to-nose, toes-to-toe battle with a, a teacher in high school, uh, Mr. Scalia. And he, Scalian, Scalian. But he was an older guy. He was like 60 years old. And I said, look, you know, you've been in academia since you were a child. You've been you've been inside of a... Some sort of a school building since you were three, four years old. You're what, 60, 70 years old now? You have no idea what you're talking about. You've never been out in the real world. I said, I'm 17 years old. I've been working on a docs for a couple of years now. I'm telling you, you ain't got a time. You ain't, you, you ain't got a clue what's going on in the real world. Because he was trying to say that men and women are equal. I said, Do you realize what happens with equality? Do you understand when you try to say that everybody's equal? Do you realize how perverted that is? Do you realize that we're going to turn into Venezuela? Do you realize that? Venezuela, like, yeah, all the cars are equal down there. Yeah, and somebody puts shiny rims on their cars. You know what they do? The whole city surrounds this guy's car, and they strip his rims, and they destroy his rims out in the middle of the street. And the guy's got to be lucky he doesn't get hanged or been thrown in jail because he thought he was better than being equal. He thought he was going to stand out. And they understand if you stand out in a society or culture, people it breeds jealousy and contempt. And then other people will feel that they have to, you know, top the other guy in showmanship and they got to outdo the other guy and then it's just a perpetual battle to the top to see who's going to outdo the next guy. I said, do you understand that if you just keep saying that we're all equal, you're trying to turn us into a communist state like Venezuela? I said, I know exactly where you're coming from. 
And this was like in 1982, 1983, I was going around with this teacher when I was a kid. And then he said, well, man is the greatest uh, power on planet Earth. I said, oh, really? Well, man is the greatest whatever on planet Earth, the animal the greatest whatever. I said, oh, really? I said, I can tell you something that will destroy every single man, woman, and child in a half a heartbeat. He was like, what's that, a virus? I said, what's a virus look like? And you guys could Google it, and it's true. No human being, no instrument from a human being has ever recorded what a virus even looks like. We just guess what it looks like. And this was even back in like 1980, and I said this to the teacher. I said, yeah, people guess what a virus looks like. It kind of looks like they think it looks like a crystal, like a crystal-shaped thing, and it thinks it's got like like a tripod, like legs that like, you know, grab onto, and there's some sort of like a crystal. I said, but nobody knows. Because no matter what powerful micron microscope we man has invented, no matter what magnification, nobody has ever seen a virus. Like bacteria, sure, there's all kinds of crazy spiral-looking viruses. And, uh, you know, it looks like amoebas. And, oh, there's all kinds of viruses. Oh, yeah, they got pictures of all kinds of bacteria. All kinds of bacteria, but there's no pictures of a virus. I said, why is that? And he's like, huh. And he's like, oh, I don't know. You know, eventually man will invent, you know, I said, look, they got electron microscopes. They got things I could see in, like in the size of an atom. They can't find this thing. I said, you know what that's telling you? When you can't see it, but it's but it exists. I said, you know what that's the concept of? And he's like, no. I said, that's the concept of God. But there is a God. Yeah. You can't see it, but it moves you. You can't see it, but you kill every man and woman on planet Earth instantly. I said, you can't see it, but you know it exists. I said, that's what I said to him. So see, I was getting into like this theolo- you know, theological discussion. I'm a 17, 18-year-old kid who at night works on the docks. And this guy's been in academia since he's, you know, he's like 70 years old. I'm slapping him around like a yo-yo. And I was taking the last seat in the last row, just looking out the window, bored to tears. And every time he said something, I'd go, oh, come on, you can't believe that. You're not going to indoctrinate these kids with that bullshit, are you? So I was like, oh, what do you got to say about that? So when he said, well, men and women equal, I'm like, and all the girls went, boo. I said, oh, yeah, you really want to be equal to a man? You really want to pay child support when you get divorced? You, you, you really want to go out there and do hard physical manual labor like a man does? I said, you know what? I've seen thousands and thousands of guys on the dock. I've never seen a woman. Why? Because they're not stupid enough to go step on those docks and freeze their asses off or sweat their asses off. They're smart enough to use their charm and their beguile and their wit and their charm to stay inside of a nice, warm, cozy house while some stupid moron slugs his ass out there for 50, 60 years on a dock. I said, that's why. They're smart enough not to be that stupid to try to prove something to somebody. And it was so funny. It's like, yeah, and me equal to a woman? I said, you think I could raise a baby? You're out of your mind. You think I could get pregnant and carry a baby? You're crazy. You think I know how to take care of a child? Not in your lifetime. I said, it'll never happen. I said, how do I like my kids slowly roasted over an open fire? That's how I like kids. I said, no, no, that, that's why we've got women, so women can tolerate them. I said, I can't tolerate that, that whiny, cry, baby nonsense. So I just want to go out to work. Just let me go work out somewhere on some docks somewhere and get away from that noise. But thank God women like it. And so I'm glad we're not equal. That's because there'd be no kid taking care of the guy. And everybody just say, you know what? Let's go work on a dock. I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from this noise. I, I'm not tolerating this. I'm done. There'd be no kids alive. Why? Because the guy's like, I listen to this. I'm out of here. So then after a while, they were like, oh, okay, we see your point of view. I said, yeah, and this was like 1983. I said, you know why? 
Eagle Rights Amendment wasn't passed when it came up for ratification for an amendment of the United States Constitution back in 1970. That's because women were smart. Women are like 60%, 70% of the voters in the United States. They didn't even vote themselves equal rights because they're not stupid. They know they got it good. They know they're not going to do the same amount of jail time. They know they don't want to pay child support like a man does. They don't want 50-50 custody of their kids like they have up in Canada. The women still here in the United States, they can still get 100% custody of their children, no matter what they do. And the man's got to pay for it. In Canada, no, it's 50-50. You go to these communist countries, it's 50-50. Women don't want that. They're not stupid. They're not going to give up 100% of a free ride. They're not dumb. So it was funny that the, the kids were actually writing notes. When I was giving them examples, they were actually like turning their chairs around and taking notes from me. So three days of me being in sociology class, the first day the teacher told me, look, I want to see you after class. I said, yeah, I ain't got time for you. And, you know, now you're on my time, and I just walked by him. The second day, he stood in front of me in front of the door. I said, look, I really got to talk to you. I said, later, you know, I got things to do, Gramps. I ain't got time for this. And then the third day, when I went to walk out, he stepped on my shoes. So I, and it's funny, even he's a little old man. He steps, if somebody steps on your feet, you can't pick up your feet. I didn't try to know that trick. That was a pretty good trick he taught me. So he was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to talk to you. I said, look, you're on my time now. Get off me. And he knew I wouldn't touch him. You know, I just, back then, I wouldn't touch somebody older than me. He's like, look, I got to talk to you. He said, look, I got to teach these kids. I said, no, you got to indoctrinate them. I said, I know the communist manifesto planks that you're trying to drill into their skulls. I know exactly what you're doing. He says, yes, but I got to do it. That's my job. I said, dude, that's cruel. I said, the kids can see right through your bullshit. As soon as you speak and I speak, I give them the point, counterpoint, they know you're full of shit. He says, look, he says, I can't teach my class, you know, he says, if, if you're here. I said, what are you going to do? Deny me an education? I said, you know, I can hold you liable. I can sue you. He says, no. He said, I'll give you an A. Just don't ever show back up to my class. And I should have said, no, give me an F and I'm going to show up here every day. I said, but I said, no, an A? Yeah, okay. So I took the A and I never went back to this class. But that's how he paid me off. He's like, look, I'll give you an A and then let's show up here again and listen to my bullshit. I said, okay, fine. But part of me is like, look, you know what? I should have stayed there, should have sat there and, and helped the kids out and explained to the kids, no, they, they're bullshitting you. This guy's bullshitting you. He's full of shit. He's blowing smoke up your ass. You know, he's, he's just bullshitting you. So see, I let a lot of those kids down. Because I remember when they, in the graduation class in 1983, I remember the valedictorian came out and he says, I hope that, you know, to see everybody here in 20 years and we're all millionaires. And I, I should have stood up and said, that's about the sickest shit I've ever heard in my life. I was like, what do you mean? Is we, in 20 years, we're all going to be millionaires and we're going to take our million dollars and we're going to all dedicate it to helping the disadvantaged. And we're going to take our million dollars and we're going to, you know, um, find the cure for uh, cancer. I was like, how did the, how did the, the culture from 1983 switched so fast from like 1970 to 1980 when 1980 it was like world peace eliminate hunger how did it go to being for the lifestyles of the rich and famous how come everybody wants to have this gold-plated yacht in 1980 1983 when in 1970 everybody wanted to save the world and have world peace and eliminate world hunger what ha what's happening to you people i mean i should have stood up and said what the hell is what the hell are you going on about you know, this is what we're supposed to be doing in 20 years. We're going to have the cure for cancer. We're going to eliminate world hunger. We're going to have fresh, clean water in every village in India. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to come back and brag about it. Not this nonsense like we're all going to be millionaires and drinking champagne and caviar. What, what the hell are you talking about? What, what a wasted life. 
so I got very lucky that I, uh, you know, went through the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. And I, I, you can see how the culture and society changed just in those few years, how things went from, you know, the Eisenhower 50s to the hippie 60s to the, you know, dropout yeah. kind of 70s, like, you know what, you know, we don't care anymore. And then to the 1980s, and I got lucky. To me, I got into this nice groove, the 1975 groove, of we just don't care anymore. Vietnam was just ending. We're done with politics. We're done with crazy presidents. We were done with newspapers. We were done with TV. We were done with everything. We were just done. We had it up to here. No more moon landings. No more nothing. No, we were just done. We were like, you know what? There's got to be something else other than this nonsense. So, like I said, I got lucky that I fell into that really nice groove of the 19, you know, late 70s. And uh, when the 1980s came around, it was, everything was superficial. Didn't care. I don't care. This is all, you know, this is all just, you know, window dressing. This is all superficial, this is, you know, superficial bullshit. Ain't putting up with it. You know, yeah, but like in, in 75, you would have been, what, 12 and you knew all this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a real hip kid, man. I, I, see, I love talking to older people. Everybody, yeah, I talked, everybody I talked to was older than me. Like I said, uh, like I said, if you uh, uh, like like I said, all the Italians, you know, all the Italians, they weren't my uncles, but they were my uncles, and because uh, my dad, you know, they they adopted my they they kind of adopted my dad into their family, not legally, but they found him in the cabin hiding out in the in the upstate New York when he was a kid, because his dad went back to Germany, his mom died, so he was just running from the law all the time, my dad. So they found him hiding out. So they kind of took him under their wings and taught him, you know, how things work. So he was able to teach me how things work. So it was very important for me to listen to, you know, I didn't have, like, people my own age that I hung out with. Or I wouldn't know what I know now. You know, I'd just be a stupid kid like everybody else. I got extremely lucky. I had a lot of older people, a lot of older men who had no problem teaching me the ways of the world. That kid, you know, like, this is how things work. Oh, really? I see. Because, like I said, even when I, uh, it's funny if anybody's on the show, and if anybody ever said, to, like, uh, when I worked down in uh, Florida, I uh, just moved down there with my wife after the moonshine nonsense, and the judge said, you know what, just go move to another state, do yourself a favor, because if you get caught spitting on a sidewalk here in North Carolina, you're gonna have to, we're gonna be looking at a federal felony. You gotta start all over from the beginning. So uh, if you move to another state, he says, do you have any other states that you can move to? I was like, yeah, I can move up to New York, uh, Virginia, uh, Florida. He said, well, pick a state and go. I said, well, it's it's winter time. You know what? Florida sounds like a good option. Let me go to Florida. So as soon as we were driving into Daytona Beach, that's where a lot of motorcycle people go. We drove into Daytona Beach. There was a nightclub, strip club. There was uh, that said it was looking for uh, bar help, you know, bar backs and bar help. So my wife became the bartender, and I was a bar back picking up like the kegs of beer and uh, throwing people out of the building. And uh, w- within uh, two three days, it was a Friday night, and uh, the manager said um, to me, um, you, "You're gonna you're gonna lock up for us." I was like, what? You're the new manager. What? I said, you only know my name is Carl. He says, we know who you are. 
I said, no, you don't. I said, I came into town three days ago. I've only worked with you guys for three days. And they were like, yeah, well, come back here. This is the safe. And we come back here on Monday morning. There better be $15,000 in a safe. If there's more than that, you could keep it. If there's less than that, we're going to have a problem. I said, no. Whatever's in there is exactly what it's going to be. If it's less than 15, it's less. If it's more than 15, it's 15. He was like, look, you guys pay me 10 bucks now. I'm very happy with that. Look, I'm just doing my time. You know, I told you people I had to stay here because of the moonshine charge in North Carolina. I just want to keep my nose clean, do my job, get my $10 an hour, and uh, pay off the court costs and just get on my life. And then they sort of I said, wait a second, this, this, this sounds ridiculous. This is, you're a biker gang. You're the outlaws. You, you got thousands of members that could be the manager of this place. Why are you picking me? They said, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do drugs. They said, that's right. They said, none of the beer is missing, none of the booze is missing. They said, what? They said, oh, yeah, we count the beer, we count the booze, and we've never seen a bottle of beer missing. We didn't see a booze empty. Everything is where it's supposed to be at the end of every night. I said, that's right. I had no desire to take anything from you people. I want my $10 an hour. I want to be let alone. And they said, well, uh, I said, honestly, how do you guys know me? And they said, you're a good kid. I said, you can't call me that. I said, only... Uh, Certain people get to call me a good kid. How do you know I'm a good kid? They said, oh, we made some phone calls up to New York. I said, oh, who do you know up in New York? He said, the same people you know. I said, okay. See, because that's what an Italian calls somebody who's outside of the family. They call him a good kid. My dad was 67 years old. He was still called a good kid. He was like, that's a good kid in the neighborhood. We could trust him. He's not Sicilian. That's right, but we could still trust him. He's a good kid. You know, he's dependable. He don't drink. He don't smoke. We call him up morning and night, 3.07 a.m. On a Christmas Eve, he'll come out and he'll fucking do what he's got to do. He's a good kid. Yeah, Sicilians are really, really funny. I, one of my best friends was Sicilian, and um, it, it took 10 years for the father to actually respect me as, 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 as a person, you know, as a woman. It takes a long time for them to build up our trust. And like I said, my, yeah. sister, married, my sister married a Gambino. You know, so like I said, it was, you know, I've gotten extreme, uh, my lifetime, I'm telling you, I'm telling you folks, the hand of God moves me in such weird ways. In 1990, I was down in Virginia taking care of a woman and two kids that I had just met in Daytona. And the woman on a scale of one to 10, she was like a one or a two. She wasn't beautiful. She wasn't anything, but I knew her and her kids needed help. So I got stuck in Virginia helping these people. And uh, it worked out good because if you guys Google 1990, the, all of the Gambinos in New York got arrested. Everybody went to jail. They rounded everybody up and, you know, Gotti went, everybody went to jail. And uh, it was so funny. My sister called me up and she said, you know, the, you know, the FBI is looking for you like crazy up here. You know, you better call them up. Eventually they're going to find you down there. So I said, okay, fine. So I went to another state and I made a phone call. And I said to them, can I help you with anything? And I said, you've got some questions here. I said, look, I will tell you everything about Carl Lentz. I will not tell you about anybody or anything else. I will tell you everything about me. I've got nothing to be ashamed of. I've never hurt nobody. I said, nobody was physically ever hurt by me. I always tried to work things out. I was always like the, the fix-it guy. I was like, you know, got a problem? We'll talk to Carl. He's Mr. MacGyver. He'll, he'll solve the problem. He'll figure something out nonviolently. So they, you know, So I said to them, I said, look, you go do your little detective work you got to do and get back, to, and I'll, I'll make a phone call next week. So, uh, see, I didn't know that they knew where I was. They didn't know where I was at that time. They didn't know I was taking care of a woman and two kids. So I called them up the next week, and I said, so, did you check out who I was and ask people who I was? They said, yeah, everybody says you're a good kid. I said, that's right, I'm a very good kid. 
You know, I was almost 30 years old. I said, you're damn right I'm a good kid. I've always been a good kid. You always count on me. I said, uh, I said that's right. So they said, well, they said, all your stories checked out. You're right. You never did anything violent. You never hurt nobody, shot nobody, beat up nobody. That's not me, sir. That's my style. I try to solve the problem. I try to tell the people, look, <laughs> you're going to have violence coming on you like you've got no idea. You better work with me and we'll settle this or you're going to be, uh, you're going to get a world of hurt coming down. When these people come here, they're not playing. So I'm like your last resort. You know, if you want to just tell them you're going to work a deal with me, I'll tell them I'm working a deal with you and we'll figure something out. I said, you do not want these people in your life. I have no idea why you dealt with these people in the first place. These people don't play. So that was my style. My style was to try to go in there and, and uh, be the middleman, try to patch everything up. Almost like a, like a, I can't believe I'm not Jewish. It's like, man, I'm such a good negotiator. It's not even funny. You know, it's like, I know what you want. I know what he wants. I'm empathetic. I feel what they feel. I, I know what's going to come down from the other side. You know, this is what's going to happen. Do you realize what's going to happen? And then I try to explain to, like, the Italians. You realize if you do this, do you realize what would happen to you? So, like, okay, you got a solution for this? Let's do this. Let's let's offer him this. I'm like, okay. So, like I said, I was very uh, reasonable like that. So, when... Uh, the next week came by, I called him up, and he said, yep, your story checked out, Everything, everything's, you know, works out fine. And they said to me, uh, oh, yeah, and by the way, yeah, like, uh, they were kind of like, and you don't think we know where you are? They were like, oh, yeah, and by the way, take very good care of that woman and her two kids. Uh, stay down there and take good care of them. I said, how do you, as like, uh, I was saying to myself, how does he know I got to take care of this? They found me. I said, these motherfuckers found me. So when they want to find you, oh, they'll find you. So they found me and the two kids, you know, and the, and the mom, you know, the two kids. So when they said, uh, I said, well, when can I come back to New York? They said, uh, never. I said, well, never is not for a long time. I mean, honestly, when can I come back to New York? They said, never. I said, no, I mean, I mean, that's where I go to, that's where I work. They said, you ain't never working up here again. So it's like, oh, come on now. You can't be, we're serious. They said, you ain't never coming back up here. Don't ever come back up here because there's nothing up here for you. Your life is down there. Take care of that woman and her two kids now. You know, you better stay down there with them while you can. Don't come back up. So I said, okay. And I never went back up there to live. You know, they, they told me not to. I, I, I took them seriously at their word. You know, just take care of that woman and her two kids. I happened to find that woman and her two kids living in an abandoned house in Florida. And I felt bad for them. And I said, come on, let me get you out of here. And I said, let me take you back to your family. You know, they were Indians. I said, let me take them back up to your people. And they say, it's better down here than it is up there. And I didn't believe it. And then when I got to where the Indians lived up there in North Carolina, I said, holy crap. An abandoned crack house in Florida was a lot better than living under a house in the mud in a clay floor where a creek ran through. And they were like living in, uh, in a cot under a basement. In, in the mud. I said, oh my God, this is how these people really do live. I said, oh Jesus, Lord, I can't leave these kids here and this woman. I said, come on, we're going to, I brought them up to my mom's farm. And uh, my mom definitely didn't, you know, see the humor in what I was doing. But I said, look, they're good people, we got to help. And uh, so I, I'm glad I stepped in and helped them because when all that crazy shit hit the fan in 1990, I was busy taking care of some Indian woman and two kids. And I should have been in New York making a hell of a lot of money. But for some reason, you know, God told me, no, don't go up there. Take care of this woman and two kids. I mean, she wasn't beautiful. She wasn't, you know, 
she looked like olive oil. She was a little scorny Indian. Two kids. You know, she couldn't read or write. But for some reason, like I said, God works in weird ways. You know, like I said, I wanted to just stay here, and Gus knows where I live, and I'd be very happy to spend the rest of my life here. But it's like, nope, you know what, Carl, you got to get back on the road and, you know, go, uh, you know, people want you in Washington and California. Some people want you in Australia, you know. You got to go. You know, you're not done. Keep moving. Yeah, well, you've got to you've got to have a look at it, Carl. You know what what you've got there is actually a gift. The gift of being able to be in a certain place and read a situation as it is and know what's actually really happening and what's going down. And you've got the gift for that. Wherever you go, you're able to read a situation, and that's and um, you know and and listening to you know God, and that's what what's pulled you through. So obviously, he's got something planned. For you, that you're probably not even aware of, but that's half the journey, isn't it? Yeah, that's where I look at it. You know, I, I don't like looking at it that way. You know, I always say a lot of times, man, I just want to be just Joe Schmo average. You know? Like just doing, you know, really boring things like, you know, go to baseball games, soccer games, football, you know, just doing nonsense. You know, I, I don't want to be uh, on no missions. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be. Uh, I, I like uh, just you know, like I said, doing physical labor. I'm very happy doing physical labor. I'm very happy just digging holes all day if I had to. I got a backhoe. I could dig giant holes in the ground now. I mean, I'm very happy just you know, doing that kind of work. Yeah, well, bring it over to Australia. I could use it over here. So when you come, just. Yeah, put it on the plane with you. We'll we'll knock down a couple of houses. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm very happy doing manual labor. I mean, Gus, tell you, and Gus actually videotaped me uh, doing some uh, shows on Saturday nights while I was laying across the engines of cars, working on cars, and you know, underneath shelves and cleaning up under shelves and you know, on top of uh, underneath the truck. And he was videotaping me. Uh, I said, like, what are you doing? He says, people ain't going to believe that you're actually like working on a car or like under a shelf or scrubbing floors while you're doing your show. I was like, yeah, because, you know, when God gives you the ability to do physical labor, do it. God gives you two hands and two arms, two legs. Use them. You know, don't just sit around and think you're going to read a book all day and think you're doing work. You know, you know, do something. You know, you know be productive. You know, you want to read? Okay, that's fine at all. You know, do that when you can't do any physical more physical labor. And that's when I really started getting into the books, when I when I could not physically do any more physical labor. So when I couldn't do any more physical labor, I went into the books. For three years, I couldn't do physical labor. So once, you know, and like I said, so like God works in weird ways like that. Because I didn't want to be stuck, you know, reading in the library. I was very happy, you know, doing physical labor. But if I didn't do all the reading, it wouldn't be so easy for me to teach you folks what I learned through reading the books. You know, reading how other people uh, other people have done things. But so, that's what I mean. 
that that's your gift. You're able to you're able to read that stuff, and um, you're able to understand it. And you not only are you able to understand it, you're able to re-give it back in a way that everybody else can understand it too. That's a special gift. Not everybody has that gift. Yeah, that's what I say to people. It's like there's a famous old black man from the South that a storyteller was called Uncle Remus. And that's how I feel, that I could talk to people. And like I said, he was one, to me, he was one of the greatest black folk heroes ever in the United States because he, uh, the white children would, you know, wandered into his little world and he would talk to his animals. and But he really was talking to the white kids, like indirectly. He'd talk to the animals and tell them stories, like his dog or his cat or his chickens, because the white kids were afraid to come near him. Because he was a big black man out in the woods, out in the swamp. But of course, it was the white kids' parents were too busy acquiring wealth, like the dads were too busy going into being politicians or lawyers in the big city of Atlanta, and moms were too busy with their frivolous nonsense at home, you know, trying to, you know, set some sort of um, a style or whatever, like, you know, and the kids didn't have the, the contact of their parents, didn't have, like, really interact with their parents. The parents had their own agenda. The white people had their own, the parents had their own agenda, and they weren't passing down knowledge to their children. So the black man was passing knowledge down to the white kids that their parents weren't. So, uh, you know, and this is all I'm trying to teach people, like fables, tales, myths, legends, you know, um, that's what I'm trying to pass it along. You know, the stuff that I loved when I was a kid, the stuff, the stories I was told when I was a kid. You know, uh, you know the examples of just going out there in the world and, uh, you know, not setting the normal pattern. It's like I said, when I was a 17-year-old, my uncle was in charge of a, a technical, I went to a, a mechanical arts school where you learn a trade, like, uh, transmissions, I learned diesel, I learned automotive, and I was very, very good at it. And uh, they tried to get me to um, take on jobs where I was, you know, going to be making more money than, like, my uncle and my father combined. It was like they would have set me up in a transmission shop, and they said, within a year or two, you could wind up owning it. And I said, no. I said, well, why don't you just put a bullet in my head and kill me now? They were like, what? And I said, why don't you just put a bullet in my head and kill me now? I said, you already planned my whole life on me. I said, you already got it all figured out. I said, you're going to put me in this shop for a year or two. I'm going to own a shop. Within five years, I'm going to own two shops. Within 10 years, I'm probably going to be the transmission king of the United States. I said, I said that is one boring life. I said, you know, I'm going to have you know, one wife, 2.2 kids, 3.7 dogs, and 6.6 cats by the time I die. And I'm 60 years old. I'm going to retire and go to Florida, Miami, and play shuffleboard until I'm 82 and I'm going to die. I said, look, I said, don't do me no favors. Don't help me get no jobs. I said, you know what? I'd rather just, uh, this said, well, what do you want to do with your life? I said, you know what? I'm going to go to California. I was living in New York at the time. I said, I hear they got sunshine out there. And like, well, what are you going to do out there? I said, I don't know. Maybe I'll pick apples for a dollar a day. And then when they can't pick apples, maybe I'll go pick oranges. And when I can't pick oranges, maybe I'll go to Mississippi and pick watermelons. They're like, what? I said, look, I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to see what this world is all about. You know, not, you're not going to stick me inside of an a automotive shop for 50, 60 years. I'm not playing this game. I'm not doing it. You're not going to sit me in a, put me in a little groove and say, 
you're an auto mechanic, and that's what you're going to be your whole entire life. I, I'm playing this game. Like I said, God bless people like Gus, who did it for 32 years. And, uh, and then Gus will tell me, you know, like, Gus has got a pension now, and Gus has got, like, a steady income now. I don't. But Gus put in the time. He put in, uh, you know, he dedicated himself to doing 30 years. And then sometimes he tells me, like, Carl, I wish for 30 years, instead of me putting in my time, I wish I was like you. And just bouncing from place to place, different experiences, different types of people, colors, you know, different, all kinds of different situations you got yourself into over the years. It's like, no, somebody had to be you and somebody had to be me. And now I'm learning it and doing it my way this way, and now you're learning it and doing it your way. So you can relate to the people who put the 30 years in, and I could relate to, you know, people like me, who are just like wandering around trying to figure out, okay, what's this all about? So I said, there's nothing wrong with your style. It's just a different style. So like I said, that's what's funny. Like I said, when uh, I hear Gus talking to me sometimes, like I said, I guess sometimes just some of the stories, they just sound crazy. You know, it's like, you really went there? You really did this? Yeah. And they, well, why? Because I, I could have stayed home and I could have got, you know, the full-time job for 40, 50, 60 years. I could have been extremely successful. You could be called Lens Transmission Shops from coast to coast in the United States. But it just wasn't me. I wanted to... No, it wasn't you and staying home and watching baseball and things like that. That's not you either. Yeah, but like I said, I always was very happy to just say... Like I said to somebody today, and somebody called me up and said, look, sir, I said, he was very nervous talking to me. He says, I didn't think you'd talk to me. He says, I found your name and number on the internet. He uh, said the IRS took some of his property. You know, they they took it. They're taking a hundred percent of his uh, pension. They're taking a hundred percent of his Social Security, and they took something else from him. And uh, they levied everything. I was like, that's insane, you know. Uh, and I said to sir, sir, do you have a hard time breathing? He says, I can't believe I'm talking to you. I said, sir, I'm nobody. I said, I'm, I'm just as much Joe nobody as you could possibly imagine. And he says, no, you're somebody. I said, sir. He says, I listen to your show all the time, and, and it's amazing what you say. He said, sir, I'm nobody, okay? I'm just everybody, and I'm nobody. I'm just like you. I said, just talk to me. So, like I said, he was talking to me, and he, and he was just getting very nervous. And I was like, sir, what's wrong? You have a problem breathing? You know, and it's like, I, he's like, I just can't believe I'm talking to you. I said, what do you think I am? Who do you think I am? I said, sir, you know, do you understand I slept in, like, storage units at time? I slept in cars for years? Do you understand I was homeless for a very long time in my life? Do you understand? I'm not rich. I'm not a millionaire. You know, I'm not Jesus Christ. I made lots of mistakes in my life. I said, you know, I'm not perfect. But just just relax. So he's like, I said, look, you know, just why don't you just call me up during the show? We'll talk during the show. Maybe you feel better, you know, than... Uh... So it's like, I, I can't believe he's... he's uh, you know, some people are like they they can't believe they're talking to me. It's like, dude, I'm I'm just a guy. Yeah, but Carl, people people are listening to you now, okay, and they listen to you know what you know, and you go, and they say, oh my God, this man knows so much, but they don't know everything that has got you to this point to be where you are today. You know the hard road that you've taken. So, therefore, you know what you've had to do to get there, and that stays in your heart. 
but other people don't know the hard road. They just hear a, a wonderful man on, on, on a talk show going, wow, and just hitting them with all these truths, truths that are touching them right in their heart. They can't deny it. They don't know how they know it's true. They just know in their heart that it's true. And they are so humbled by that fact. I mean, I'm so humbled by that fact too. Can you understand where we can, where we're coming from as well? We go, wow, this is this is so heartfelt. It's um, you know, it's it's a real attitude of gratitude with us. Can can you understand that? Yeah, I think so a little bit because my brother, he's only had like two jobs his whole life, and uh, and I just couldn't imagine that. You know, I just I just don't understand. You know, it's just like no, you know, you gotta. Like I, like I said, my dad, he couldn't wait to go back on the ocean. You know, so when I was 16, he went back out. He got a boat. He went around the world many times. Became a diamond dealer in Africa. He couldn't read or write English. He was, he was a good man, crazy. But I couldn't imagine going to Africa and thinking I'm going to deal in blood diamonds. This guy, you know, this guy's crazy. You know, but he went out there and he tried it. You know, he died on the ocean. He died during Hurricane Sandy a couple of years ago. Then they said his boat survived the hurricane. And he survived the hurricane, but he must have died of exhaustion a couple of days later. Because they found him in a boat intact, but then they could do an autopsy, and they said he survived the hurricane. But he took his, everybody else left their, like they left their ship or their boat near the dock, and they got destroyed. But my dad said the best way to go after a hurricane is go straight into it. Just take it head on. So that's what he did. And he beat the hurricane. But eventually, like he was in the 70s by then, and... His body just couldn't take that tough guy, badass attitude no more. You can't just go straight into the hurricane. You know, he's just like, well, we're going to ride it through. And I was like, Phew. I mean, I couldn't imagine if I was up there in Jersey, in New York area, and he says to me, well, the hurricane's coming. Let's take the boat out into the hurricane. I said, you're kidding me. The boat's insured. Let's let's just, just go, you know, inland five, ten miles. And so the boat gets destroyed. We'll go get another one, man. He was like, no, this is our way. You know, we take it straight in. And I was like, dude, you know, you're 70-something years old. What, are you crazy? So like I said, I come from a really good, uh, crazy old guy, and what a great way to die. I mean, if he's going to die in the 70s, what a great way to die. You know, and uh, people are going to be saying, yeah, remember that guy who took his boat out? Yeah, he made it. He survives like the old man in the sea kind of story. This guy's crazy. But... You know, I'm sure he had some massive stories that he could have told people. I'm sure when he sat around, you know, docks all over the world or, you know, bars all over the world and, you know, he had some serious, you know, one day, like I said, I was in my 20s and said, you know, somebody said, hey, you know, where's your dad? I said, I don't know. Somebody else said, oh, you didn't hear he was a diamond dealer? A diamond dealer? You're kidding me. I was like, no, where's he? Yeah, somewhere in Africa dealing diamonds. Oh, he's with that crazy blood diamond nonsense going on over there? Yeah. Holy jeez. <laughs> okay. You know, so it's like, okay. <laughs> Did I ever think about doing blood diamonds? Uh, no. <laughs> so when people say to me, well, Carl, you had some pretty interesting wild times. It's like, um, I think my dad was even crazier than me. I think I come from a long line of crazy people. You know, but they're good crazy. But, you know, they're not crazy when they're out there hurting people. But they're just kicking, taking the world by the horns and kicking in the ass. You know, it's like you realize the world's going to kick you back one day. You do know it, right? It's like, yeah, but when that happens, it happens. But what stories? It's like, okay. 
And like I said, my brother's very mellow, and he's going to have actually no... And that's what I actually told my brother. It's funny. When I was like 20 years old, one of the last times I ever saw him, I said to him, I said, hey, you know what? When we hit 50 years old, why don't we get together when we're 50? And uh, you tell me what you did over 30 years, and I'll tell you what I did over 30 years. And we'll... uh, We'll compare stories and see uh, which way was the way to go. Was it the way to go to just have one or two jobs your whole life and ready to have a wife and rear kids and uh, just do the normal? Or was it better just to kick the world in the ass and see what happens, what comes out? <laughs> so he's like, okay, fine. So we haven't like really talked to each other in almost 30 years. And uh, one of the last times I saw him was funny. We were at my mom's house at a big family gathering for Thanksgiving. And my sister-in-law, she's Greek, said to my mom, which one is your favorite kid? So there's like seven of us around the table. And she said, oh, Carl's my favorite kid. And my my, my sister-in-law said, no, 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 Pat, you're not supposed to uh, name a child. That's like, you're supposed to say, all my children are my favorites. I have no favorites. And she was like, oh, no, Carl, he's my favorite. And then all the brothers and sisters were like looking at her like, yeah, Carl, he's the favorite. And they, they were like, and she was like, no, you people are crazy. Your mom's supposed to say you love No, Carl's crazy. He's all over the world. He, we don't know where this guy is. He pops up and he sends us postcards or phone calls. Either he's in trouble or he's having a great time or he comes home and he tells us, well, all these great adventures he has. So, no, he, you know, like she looked around the table and said, she's going to be a school teacher. He's going to be an insurance adjuster. So, like, she's going to want to change the movie theater. She was just going around the table explaining who everybody else was around the table. But Carl... You know, one day he'll be a pilot. The next day he's a brain surgeon. One day he's going to be doing law. He's a judge. And who knows where this guy is? This, this guy's all over the map. You can't pin this guy down. You have no idea what this guy's going to come up with next. You have no idea what he's going to be doing. You have no idea where he's going to be. You have no idea what he's going to bring home or drag home. He, he ain't got a clue. You know, he makes life interesting. Because he, you don't know where he's going to go with this next. And that's, like, to me, what the trick is with court. The judge doesn't know where you're going to go with this next, or he sees where you're going with it, and he's starting to laugh his ass off. And it's all entertainment. It's, they're judging you. It, you, you, you know, you're putting on. It's you're, you're acting in court. So I'm just going before the court, and I'm putting on a hell of an act. And I just hope people believe in the show that I'm putting on. Do you people believe it? Do you feel it? Do you see where I'm coming from? Can I get you to believe what I believe? Can you see what I see? Does it make any sense? Does it ring true? Do you feel it? Am I moving you? Can you can can you can you understand what I'm doing here? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got it. You sure you got it? Good, good. Okay. So like I said, it's it's um when somebody said on a YouTube video, it's like Carl is like a con guy. I said con. I said con used to be a beautiful, wonderful word. Con meant confidence. It meant that somebody would come in and build up confidence in you, that you could do anything, that you could fly through a wall, that you could jump off a building, that you could. Uh, he came in there and made you believe, any, you know, whatever it took. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to take this boat and we're going to drive it through the hurricane. Like, oh, man, you're crazy. Oh, no, 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 trust me, man. I've done it plenty of times. It's like, you're kidding. Oh, no, I did it off the Cape of Good Horn. Oh, no, believe me, this is easy. You're kidding me. No, 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 watch how we're going to do it. It's like, okay. And then when you do it and you lift it through it, you're like, holy shit, that, was, that wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't. We lived through the hurricane, didn't we? And like I said, him and his boat made it, but he just died of exhaustion. A couple of days later, he just died of exhaustion. Not the hurricane didn't kill him. You know, his body just said, that's enough. That's enough pushing pushing the world. That's it. You're done. That was your last great adventure. 
So, like I said, it's better than him being have tubes up his nose and tubes up his behind and, you know, peeing and shitting all over himself when he was 90. You know, so it's better than he went out this way. And, uh, you know, so it's like, what a way to go. That was a great way to go. Yep. Great way to go. Yeah, doing what he loved doing. So, like I said, you know, that's why I say I say to people at times, you know, I do what I do. You know, so if I go around, I do what I do, and something happens, something happens. But people say, what a way to go. You know, he was doing what he thought he had to do. So you just got to do what you got to do. And you just got people who say to me all the time, you know, you're going to foreign countries and you don't know if you're being set up. You don't know if you get there, you're going to get arrested, you go to jail. You don't know if they're going to, you know, somebody's going to put a bullet in your head and just say, oops. You, he had a gun in his hand. He was making a run for it, so we had to shoot to kill him. Oh, well. Shit happens. You know, you just hope you get to go home. You get to see the people that you care about one more time. It's just one, one of those things. If it happens, it happens. You know, you just say, man, I just hope uh, there's a reason for all this. You know, I don't have a clue. And that's what people used to say to me all the time. It's like, look, I'm not here. For me, I'm here. You're supposed to be living life for your kids. You know, to make a better world for the people who are going to come behind you. And I said, because obviously God's not going to tell me everything I need to know. And they might not teach my kids and my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids and my great-great-great-kids. But maybe eventually someday, you know, we'll get to some level where people understand what's going on. And until then, you just do your job the best you can. And you just hope the people behind you appreciate what you did. And that's why, like I said, every great society starts out with, you know, explorers. And then it comes to conquerors. And then comes the settlers. And then comes the industrialists. And then comes the entitled generations. Every gener- every society throughout history, that's always what happened. You got the you got the ex- you know you got the explorers, the frontiersmen. Then you got the people who settled down in, on an island like Australia. You, you first you got the explorers, then you got the frontiersmen, then you got the settlers, and then you got the industrialists, and then you got the entitled generation. And then once you get to the entitlement generation. That's usually the end of your culture. That's usually the end of your society. Because they just wind up, like, you know, eating each other, killing themselves. There's no place else to go. They reach a certain level, and uh, they just become a bunch of lazy slobs. You know, and there's no more, like, you live at Rome. And that's what they're saying that America is becoming. America is coming to a, a society of the entitled. The only thing that's lucky about the United States of America is we have people coming in from all over the world. So if white people get fat, sloppy, and lazy, well, the Mexicans will come in, or the Chinese will come in, or the Vietnamese will come in. Somebody will come into the United States, and somebody will pick up a shovel and a rake, and somebody will keep working. Somebody will start at the bottom, and somebody will feel that they got to get to the top and get their kids up there as well. So we're very lucky that, you know, even though the white kids might be getting fat, sloppy, and lazy, Mexican kids will, you know, go out there and still work out in the fields and pick apples and oranges and tomatoes, and they'll work hard to get their kids a better tomorrow. They won't feel entitled. So, like I said, people say, well, you know, it's going to turn into like a Hispanic, you know, you know, nation here. I said, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Those people are hardworking. They're Catholic. They're good family people. I got no problem with that. I love white pack Mexicans. I love people who just come over the border. They kick ass. They work hard. They're honest. You know, I lived in a wetback ghetto down in Phoenix. You know, they loved me. I worked six days a week. I respected them. They respected me. We got along great. 
you know, with no pleasantries, no talking, hi, and, you know, how you doing, no hugs. I wasn't walking there like a UNICEF uh, poster boy trying to pass out lollipops and candy to kids. No, I did my job. They did their job. I remember I got so sick one uh, weekend. I got sick on Friday. I left my apartment door open. My truck door was open. All my tools were in there. My keys were in the, in the tumbler in my apartment. I woke up on a Monday. I saw two Spanish ladies looking through my door in my apartment. And I didn't move for three days. And I went outside of my truck. All my tools were there. Uh, I had CDs. All the CDs were there. Nobody stole my truck. Nobody stole my radio. Nobody stole all my tools. I had thousands and thousands and thousands worth of tools in my truck. Nobody came into my apartment. I think they were just looking in there to see if the white man was still alive. But nobody stole anything. And I was in a wet back ghetto. That's, these are people who live like 10 people to one room. And they didn't steal anything from me. They respected me. They probably couldn't believe it. A white guy was living amongst them. It was just the cheapest like apartment in, in the city. So it was funny because I was teaching some uh, Chicanos, kids who were Mexicans but who were born in the United States, I was teaching them how to do cabling and uh, how to do fiber. And uh, I, I said, oh, we got to go back to my apartment and get a meter. And I was driving into the ghetto. The kids are like, where are you going? They said, I'm going down to 43rd Street. They said, 43rd. That's, that's wet back ghetto. I said, yeah. I said, where do you think I live? They go, there's no way. I said, yeah, I live in Peoria. What back ghetto? Yeah. He says, well, when, he said, when I ran away from home when I was 17, I had no money, so I ran down into the ghetto because that's always the cheapest place to live. He says, I want to live with those wetbacks. I said, are you kidding me? Dude, you look just like them. He says, oh, Chicano, man, I know wetbacks. I said, oh, dude, come on, get over it. I said, these people are good people. I said, uh, and he couldn't believe that I lived. He's like, oh, my God, you live amongst these people? I said, yeah. They're hard-working people. They see I'm working hard. They see me busting ass. I come. I wake up in the morning when they go to work, and they see them coming in later than they are at night. They know I work hard. They respect me. I respect them. And, uh, no, they never stole anything from me. So, uh, like I said, now I'm up here in the middle of this mountain somewhere, and actually somebody tried to steal my car. They only got about 100 yards down the road because they couldn't figure out how to get it in reverse, but I couldn't believe it. Some white person tried to steal from me. You know, and I lived with all these uh, wet-back Mexicans, and they, I don't even even thought about stealing from me. They're like, oh, that's the white guy's truck. I'll leave him alone. He's a good guy. I mean, they were very respectful people. I remember I came home one night, and they were playing Mexican mariachi music, like da-da-da-da-da-da-da, wide open. You know, it's dark. I was like 9 o'clock at night. There great big, huge open pit fires going on. And they turned the music down. So I put my two big buckets of tools down on the steps. I was going up to my apartment. And I, I did my hands up in the air. I said, Arriba, 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 da 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 And I put the music back up wide open. I said, like, good night. And I just walked upstairs. I was like, no, don't don't, don't stop your party because of me. Thank you for respecting me that I'm a white guy and I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. You know, but no, go ahead. Keep keep the party going. Don't mind me. I'm exhausted. I'll sleep through a hurricane. I'll sleep through anything. So they were very decent people. So, like I said, if this country turned Hispanic, I got no problem with that. They're good, hard-working people. I don't think they'll steal from me. I think they'll be just fine. You know, I'm not afraid of them. So, um, like I said, it's just, uh, you know, if the white people won't get off their ass and do any work around here anymore, and if it's all Mexicans that are doing it, okay, God bless them. If they want to take over, well, if they're willing to work for it, I got no problem with it. So, like I said, it's just... um, you know, um, it's just the fear of the unknown. And so, like I say, when when you guys go to court, 
you just guys have been decent, honest people your whole lives. You worked 20, 30, 40 years of the same job. You've never walked into a courtroom. You don't have a rap sheet that hits the floor and rolls. You know, so you're like, what do I do? And the lawyers are just waiting to steal everything they can from you guys. They're just like, oh, boy, easy meat, 50, 60 years old, good little Susie Cupcake. She's been honest the whole life. And uh, we could take everything she's got and tell her, oh, this is very serious. And you know what? You need to how much money you got. Uh, 40000 Well, go get 50000 and we'll be able to help you. Or, you know, you better do it. You know, you're going to get in big trouble. You're going to lose everything. It's just a racket. And I tell people just, well, who, who's the person uh, who's claiming the guilt? Who's claiming I owe the debt? You know, it's like, well, you know, especially when the government comes into your lives. I go, then you owe a debt to society. Great. So who's this member of society who's coming forward and saying I owe a debt? Just give me the damn bill and I'll pay the damn bill off. I got no problem paying the bill. It's like, oh, well, you owe 50 million kajillion dollars. Mm, not a problem. I'll pay it. You will? I'll pay it. I'll owe you up, but this is the best I could pay. And it's as fast as I could pay. And this is the best I could do. And I sure know you don't want to hurt your fellow man. I sure you know you don't want to take blood from a stone. I sure you know you don't want to take more from me than uh, I could afford. That I can, you know, I'm sure you don't want to hurt me. So when it comes to the government, they have to back down. You know, when it comes to your fellow man, oh, they could take you everything you got. If you hurt your fellow man and you didn't pay the debt, oh, they could take everything you got. They don't have to forgive and forget it. They don't want to. You know, like you said, your um, uh, brother-in-law, you know, took your stuff. You don't have to. You can just forgive and forget and just say, look, you know, go ahead, keep all of my dad's stuff, do all this stuff. I don't care, keep it all. You know, you could you could just do the you know forgive and forget, or you could drive the truck to the side of his building and go get it. You know, either way you want to do it. You know, you want to do it the Jesus Christ way and turn the other cheek, or you want to do it the Jewish way and run your truck to the side of the building. You want to do it the Judeo-Christian way? That's right. That's why that makes my country wonderful. We have both options on the table. We have a Judeo-Christian belief in the United States. We could do it the Jewish way. We could rip out, you take my eye, I could take your eye. And nobody's going to say anything bad about it. He's going to say, well, yeah. it's a well, I reckon. I reckon if I if I I reckon if I put a claim in before the court and had a trial by jury, I'd have a pretty good chance of winning. I reckon. You'd have a damn good chance. I'm sure you'd win. Um, because you know, because I've got I've got letters from professors. I've got letters from doctors. I've got letters from everybody saying I have a life-threatening illness. That you know that even even you know even a little bit of stress is very very bad for me and it's life threatening. So that's how bad it is. So these sisters they want to put that much stress after after the man. You know my father. He was a poet. He was a philosopher. He was very similar to you know, people who you grow up with, Carl. You know great great storytellers. Wonderful, wonderful man. You know, that's where I was, you know. We, we had a pub. My father was a publican. And on a Sunday night, after we finished up on a Sunday night, you know, everybody would go upstairs. Me and my dad, we'd go down, we'd light a fire on a big log cabin. 
you'd have people like Ducko Fraser, who was Aboriginal, and he'd sing around, he'd sing around a campfire and sing songs, and he'd sing just like Charlie Pride and tell stories of old folks gone by. That's how it was for me, you know, when I was growing up. Yeah. It was, you know, it was just, yeah, so I'm very similar to you. Uh, you know, I was, I was brought up with the old folks, the old ways, you know, that they would, they would tell us the stories of, um, you know, days gone by, the old Bush era and, and things like that. And Dad was very, very similar like that. Um, so I was very similar to Dad, and that's why Dad and I got on. So, and a lot of people knew that. All his mates knew that Dad and I were very, very close. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. One of the, when I was a kid, uh, one of the greatest storytellers that was in the neighborhood where I lived was a deaf. The man was deaf, and he couldn't hear. And so it's funny because I remember his grandkids. The other time his grandkids would run up to him was when. Uh, uh, some call like an ice cream man would come by with his van full of ice cream, and the, the deaf kids, uh, the, the, the his grandkids would run up to the deaf grandfather and just make gestures like "Give me money, give me money," because the ice cream van is coming. So he didn't, he couldn't hear it, but the kids would jump up and down in front of his face. But the old man would be telling me stories, you know, for hours. I'd just sit there and listen to the old man tell me stories for hours, and it was so funny when I was talking to my mom one day. About ten years ago, I was explaining everything about her grandfather, and she never even met her grandfather. He, she, her grandfather died when um, her grandmother and grandfather died when she was uh, before she was even born. So I was explaining to my mom everything about her grandfather, and uh, my mom's like, "How do you know this about my my grandfather?" It's like, "Cause I talked to your mother, my grandmother, and I'd sit and talk to your mother for hours." And she said, my, my mom never said anything about, you know, my grandfather. About, and I said, yes, but she talks to me for hours about her. And I said, I know every damn thing about your family that you could, couldn't possibly imagine. I said, you will never know what I know about your family. It says not, it says it's kind of my family. But I said, I got a, you know, Lentz family, I got a Garner family. I said, there's two families here. I said, and you don't know your family anything compared to what I know about your family. I know so much about your family, it's not even funny, that you don't have a freaking clue, you know. And she was like, you know, just I was telling her stories about her grandfather. So it must be funny that a son is telling a mother about her grandfather, you know, and telling life about what her mother went through, you know, during the Great Depression, you know. And my mom must have been like, wow, you know, I never knew my mom went through all that. I was like, yes. And this is how your grandfather died, and he was very depressed, and... You know, it's funny, you know, and she was like, I never knew all that stuff about my grandfather. So, yes, like I said, it was, to me, I gained a lot of knowledge from history, from historians, from people who could tell me something about the past, could tell me, why am I here? You know, why do I do what I do? What's the purpose of being here? And if you don't talk to people who are older than you or historians, you you don't know why you're here and you don't know where you're going or why you're going, where you're going. And to me, I feel very bad for people who don't know history because they've got to feel extremely lost, that they must have no sense of direction because nobody explained to them why they're here or where's here or how did we get here. And that's why I drive, I know the government's people crazy. It's like, look, your government has existed for how long now? 30, 40 years? 
Look, I think I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way, the way that's been working for the last 10,000 years. I think I'm going to stick it to the old-fashioned way, the ways it's been working for the last 10,000 years. I think I'm going to stick to the old the old style, the old way, the, the, the truth of the past. You know, I love your new modern approach. I, I love your beliefs. You know, that's lovely. Why don't you go out there and experiment on somebody else, but, you know, don't try, you know, your new uh, your philosophies and new beliefs on me. You know what? I think I'll stick with the old ways. And I think what's happening a lot of times, is, especially like in this country, people are trying to go back to the old ways. Like when I was growing up in, uh, like, say, even just like women, say women in the 80s or the 90s in this country, they were getting all kinds of massive, ridiculous plastic surgeries. They were just getting ridiculous with the plastic surgeries. They were doing it to their bodies, to their faces, everything. You know, my sister's kids nowadays, nobody cares. They don't care if they're a little overweight. They don't care if they wear makeup. They're not worrying about their hairstyles. The girls aren't, uh, you know, going to like, uh, you know, when I was a kid, like they're called beauty balls and stuff like that. People aren't spending, you know, a day under a hair dryer getting their hair, hair done. You know, they, they stick their head back and they go down the door. You know, people going back to the way things used to be, just like, yeah, you know what, caveman style. You know, just going back to basics. People aren't worrying about all the, the frills anymore. People are getting back to what's more, is, uh, you know, what feels more like natural. You know, That's like good. they're not doing the glamour anymore. The, the kids aren't trying to become glamour models anymore. They're just like, hey, you know what? You know, we'll take it as it comes. So you know, can you say, well, that's just a sign of laziness or sloppiness? Yeah, maybe. Well, you know what? Maybe they could say, you know what? I didn't see where it made the women from the 1980s to the 1990s any happier. Getting all these crazy big boob jobs or getting these million-dollar husbands. I don't see it. I don't see where they got their happiness from. I don't see why I should go and follow them. So it's just funny watching the younger kids, you know, they're not, I don't know if Australia's doing that, if the kids aren't, you know, chasing stuff like they used to do here, like in this country. Everything was so uh, superficial. Everything had to be, you know, gold-plated caviar, champagne. You know, kids aren't into that anymore. Kids are going more back into it in like a 1970s style. Like, you know what, who cares? You know, let's just, you know, let's just figure out where the hell we're going. This this old way didn't work. How about we just try, you know, this, and how about we just relax a little bit? Like, why are we struggling? That's why they call it generation rent in this country. You know, the kids aren't trying to buy houses anymore. Kids are like, you know what? It's not even worth it. You know, let's just rent or let's just stay home with mom and dad until we're 50, 60 years old. Who cares? You know, we're not even going to bother trying to have wife and kids and families anymore. Who cares? You know, we have wife and kids. You know, somehow, you know, we're going to get divorced and the husband and wife is going to take everything from us anyway. Like, who cares? It's like they're giving up. You know, so it's it's kind of weird like that. How I don't know how Australia's doing. You know, if the kids are seeming like, who cares? You know, we give up. Yeah, some, some of them are like that. Some of them aren't. Yeah, like I said, I just figured it's just a little bit different culture down there. You know, I mean, the kids down here, everybody goes to college. I mean, all my sister's kids are going to college. I mean, like, every single kid is in college. So it's not like they're not going to college or trying. It's just that when they get there, they're like, okay, why struggle? You know, I don't know if they're saying to themselves, look, we're going to go through a divorce and lose everything we got, you know, or uh, we're going to, you know, 
the government, you know, that, you know, why work hard? Because, you know, they're just going to take it away from us anyway. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, like I said, Gus sent me a link the other day. And it's basically saying that, um, you know, like men in this country who are like, uh, like 90% of the guys who are like 20, you know, 20, 30 years old, you know, when I was a kid was married by the time they're like 21, 25 years old. And now most men aren't getting married until they're 35, 40. You know, they just like, you know what? They're, they're, they're just, they're just worrying about what they want to do. And they, you know, go around the world and they want to just, you know, <laughs> just see what's out there. Kind of like what I was doing, you know, just like want to go around the world and see what was out there. Like I didn't have my first kid until I was uh, 35 years old. I was in no hurry. <laughs> now I'm sure Gus had his first kid by the time he was 20, 25 years old. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I never fitted into the status quo either. You know, I was. I was out jillarooing, so I was shearing sheep and mustering cattle, you know, and I was doing the hard physical yards. I was fencing, putting up fences, you know, um, you know, checking boars, you know, ro- you know, mustering sheep on motorbikes and just different things that women didn't usually do. There was only a few of us that actually did it, you know, in the 80s. Yeah, like I said, there was... Um there's this man, um, I don't know if it's a man or whatever, but there's this guy, uh, he's on this call, and I think he's been trying to talk for a while. His name is Truthnick. I don't know what he wants to to talk about. I'll let you say. Hey, Hi. how are you doing? Hi. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me in. Um, so I've got, um, I'm sorry to sway the topic a little bit, but I've got a, a, a sentencing hearing on Wednesday. And last time I talked to the judge, um, uh, you know, the prosecutor said, we're looking at less than a year. Uh, Judge said it's possible if the circumstances are such that uh, I might not even get any jail time. Um, And so I'm kind of, you know, on the fence about the allocution and how I'm going to go about, you know, I've heard suggestions. Let me get this suggestion up here. Um, Oh man, that you know. If, 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 you to, if you listen to people on my show, I'm sure they got really good damn opinions on an allocution. Yeah, there was stuff like uh, if anybody feels they represent me, they're fired, um, and you know I do not consent and all of this. But you know, if I'm real nice to the judge, she's probably going to be real easy on me. So I'm kind of undecided as to how to approach that. Yeah, like I said. Um, you got really lucky because there's shows like uh, Mike's show is on on um, Mondays. And I think Gus used to do one on a Wednesday. And uh, like I said, especially Mike, uh, he's uh, they write uh, letters like crazy. And uh, and uh, did you ever talk to that guy, Mike, in Canada? Yeah, I have talked to him. I didn't know that he was, you know. I'm trying to get this writing letters down, and I have a feeling as soon as I get that practiced, because given what I know and what I've studied the last couple of years, that once I get the letter writing down, 
then I'll be, you know, fearsome. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I think once everybody gets the the letter writing down and get the concept of the words, you know, just get the understanding and the simple meaning of the words. And like I said, the one guy, I think, I don't know if Gus was listening from the man from Barbados the other day, but he said, call, he said, the craziest thing happened in court. He said, the judge said to me, keep it, you know, keep your words to one syllable. So when a judge in England is telling the man, he says, call, that's exactly what you say to everybody all the time. You say, keep it down. If you if the word if the word you're trying to use is two syllables, try to figure out how to get it down to one. Talk extremely simple. Like a simple man would just, you know, say it as simply as possible. Just say it as simply as you can. And that's why I try to tell people, you know, like I said, when that one guy explained like the simple phrase like I love you, what that means. Don't say I love you more today than I did yesterday. Or I'm going to love you more tomorrow than I do right now. Don't do it. It just makes things too freaking complicated. The woman will say to you, what do you mean I love you more today than I did yesterday? What you said, Lisa, you said you love me, but you really didn't. And you're going to go around and around and around. Just keep it simple. Just say I love you. Well, like I say to people, like I say, well, let, you know, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, that my Tarzan bone, get back Tarzan bone. You know, give me back bone. You know, just keep it simple. Keep it one syllable. Don't say, like, um, well, it was a willful uh, intent to commit larceny. Just say, get back bone, steel bone, no steel bone, steel bone, bad, no bone, bad, steel. Just talk, try to get it down to one syllable words. So I thought that was funny when the guy from Barbados actually said that to me. He said, you know, the judge actually said that to me in open court. Keep it to one, you know, do yourself a favor. You know, make it one syllable. So then it was like, so I like, call. Oh, that's exactly what you say on the show all the time. You tell everybody, make it one syllable. Like Bali's, uh, the smallest like claim ever, I guarantee you, in an English court was, you know, my man claimed the wrong a trespass. You know, see Exhibit A. And Exhibit A just said uh, a breach of enclosement and showed all the breach, you know, how the, the his, you know, how the breach of, of the, of the enclosement happened, how it occurred. You know, photos, dates, times. He actually used the police report as his exhibit. You know, the policeman said he jumped over a locked gate. The man had no warrant, you know. He had no probable cause. He was just going on the property to inspect to see what was on the property. You know, nobody called up and filed a complaint. Nobody said there was something going on. The policeman just said, you know what, I want to see what's going on in this farm. I'm going to jump over this fence, and I don't care it's got a lock on it, and I'm going to start walking around taking pictures, and I'm going to see if this man is in violation of some sort of city code and ordinance. It's ridiculous. So that's why we made a simple claim, that even though the man's wearing a uniform, he still has to act in a certain manner, in a certain, a certain rule of law. You can't just open up a, a locked gate. You can't just jump over a fence. You, you can't do it. You got to get commission. Just like I said in the Royal Navy, like we weren't too far away from like the naval yard. I said, "How would you like it if, if I walked, jumped over the naval naval yard's fence and I started taking photos of the Royal Naval Yard's, uh, you know, submarines? What would you think I'm doing? You would think I'm some sort of a spy, or it's like, no, I just want to take some pictures of some submarines. 
He's like, well, why'd you jump over that lock gate? Uh, well, you know, policemen jump over lock gates all the time. You know, hey, buddy, we can just jump over lock gates. Lock gates don't mean anything. Just because there's no trespassing, well, you know, you're a public servant. I'm the public. I'm going to jump over. I'm going to see what my public servants are up to. That's ridiculous. You're going to throw my ass in jail for the rest of my life. Can't jump over gates. You can't jump over. It says no trespassing. That doesn't mean, you know, totally ignore the sign and, you know, just jump over it anyway. I think you people are crazy. Just because you're wearing a uniform doesn't mean that you could jump over gates. So, like I said, uh, when you do an out, yeah, it's funny, somebody's trying to spell allocution. Yeah, on the, on the chat board. That's just, the allocution is just the final statement you want to say before sentencing. That's all allocution means. So you want to explain to the court and the world why, you know, you shouldn't, you know, be doing, they shouldn't do what they're doing to you, or why you explain to them why you felt that you, it was your right to do what you did. You know, they usually do when you get on the gallows and they say, you got any last words before we pay a sentence, or do you have any last words before, you know, you know, you swing from the neck. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of great allocutions, man, that I've, I've known through history, like King James or something like that before he got his head chopped off. You know, there's a lot of great speeches just before they pass sentence. You know, so long. Um, yeah, I was kind of under the impression that it was a, a more powerful thing than maybe it really is. What do you think about, uh, what is your position on this crossing the bar stuff? And, and basically asking the judge, is that an order to cross the bar? Yeah. Well, the, the King James I'm talking about is King James the Sixth. Sorry about that. And somebody actually looks up King James and his allocution before he got killed. And like I said, it was the same thing when I did in Bali's trial. Bali spoke perfect English, and the other two people really didn't. So what was funny, I said, hey, in the rules of England here, if you don't testify or you don't cross-examine or you don't present any evidence, during the trial, the rules here in England are that we could be we could give an allocution at the end. So even though the rules in almost every single courtroom is the prosecutor gets the first word, the opening statement, and the prosecutor gets the last word. If we say absolutely nothing during the whole entire trial, we can make an allocution at the end. So I said, look, Bali, we'll open our mouth up during the trial because we'll open our mouth up for you. The other two people here, they'll say nothing, because I'll say everything that needs to be said for all three is through you, Bali. And then when it comes down to the to the allocution, I'll write a hell of an allocution, and I'm going to make this court cry. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake this courtroom up with the words I'm going to use. I said, I'm going to give a hell of a speech at the end. So, um... During lunch, I wrote a hell of an elocution. So at three o'clock, when um, the, the the attorney for the other for the, the Punjabi, he he spoke you know Punjabi, the interpreter, and he spoke English. Obviously, I couldn't read it into the court. The interpreter had to read it from the court. The interpreter had to tell the court, "This is from the other two you know people sitting right here." You know, this is what they want to put into the court. This is their words that they would like to put into the court. And um, part of me wishes I had a copy of that allocution. 
you know, how uh, I explained that we're from a different society, we're from a different culture. We came from, to this, you know, to the great English Isles, and uh, we wish to live in peace amongst our, you know, fellow man. You know, we uh, felt we were trespassed upon, stuff like that. I mean, you know, we still feel that we've been done wrong. You know, we still came here, you know. It was just, it was just a great speech I wrote at the end. And like I said, sometimes I could really pull them out. Sometimes I could come up with some really, really good, heartfelt, you know, because like I said, I know famous speeches in the past. You know, you know, I go rely upon what other people have used to stir, you know, you know, their people to get them to fight in major battles or to get them to understand why I did what I did. You know, why, you know, you might not feel that I, what I did was the right thing, but I do believe it's the right thing. So, uh, like, well, like, look at, you know, a famous allocution was John Brown, you know, and just before the Civil War started. You know, he said, like, you know, this, this, this nation, you know, for all of great sins it's done to a, you know, a, a whole race of people, only blood will cleanse its, this, this nation's wrongs of its sins. So he's like, I predict that there will be a great war. You know, so, I mean, he gave a hell of an allocution, you know. So, like I said, allocutions are very powerful, you know, and, and some of them are so famous they go down in history. You know, they're immoralized, you know, immoralized in all time. You know, that, um, you know, like it's, uh, like say the tale of two cities, you know, like, uh, it's like there's a far, far greater thing I've done today than I've ever done before. Stuff like that, you know, there's, there's, there's some really good, you know, uh, speeches that people make, you know, before, you know, they, they go down in history. So, yeah, I mean, can you can you pull it out, you know, can you pull it out of, you know, can you pull a great one out? Probably. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, let me see, Brian, John Brown's trial, let me see. Uh, this was John Brown's elocution, the statement he was he was committed to make in his own voice and his own word without interruptions. See, that's what an elocution is. So I said, "Oh boy, we're going to give him a hell of an elocution." I said, "We're, we're going to we're going to you know we're going to really nail this court." I said, "I'm going to give a hell of a final speech and see if I could uh, you know shock these people." Yes, he says, this was John Brown's allocution, the statement he was permitted to make in his own voice and his own word without interruptions from lawyers or hostile questions from cross-examiners. It was instantly recognized as a remarkable speech, and it was imprinted in newspapers and magazines all over the country, where Americans of all principles and all political persuasions can read it, appraise it, and ponder its significance. So see, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's I'm going to, you know... He declared that the country faced their irreparable, irrepressible conflict between the North and the South, and that Abraham Lincoln, uh, he says, the house divided against itself cannot stand, and that the United States government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. That all Americans free, you know, can, um, he said, the law of God, you know, against, you know, wicked, cruel, and unjust enactments. You know, so he, like I said, if you read John Brown's final. Allocution before he died, what was was uh was 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 unbelievable. So I mean, when I read his allocution when I was a kid, I said, "This is un- this is great. This is this is a this is a hell of a death speech." Before they pass sentence on, they still hanged him. 
<laughs> you know, but, well, hell, what a way to go. You know, his speech was, you know, like I said, it went, it went, uh, it went all over the world. You know, so I'm sure there's plenty of other people that felt the same way he did. But he said, you know what, he's going to um, free the slaves. You know, he's going to do, you know, do it with his own group of people. He was going to, like, basically take on the whole United States government to free the slaves. You know, like, how many people, everybody probably thought he was freaking crazy. You know, and... um, Yeah, see, like here it goes. It's like it has one of his allocutions here. It's a traditional formal question directed by a court to a defendant convicted of a felony before sentencing, asking whether or not the defendant has anything to say regarding why the sentence should not be pronounced against him or her. And it says, I believe that to have interfered as I have done and as I freely admitted I have done is in behalf of God's despised poor. I did no wrong but right. Now, this court should deem it necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice. I say, let it be done. So this is the courtroom allocution of John Brown, American hero to the slaves. But like I said, he he had a hell of an... That's just part of the allocution, but he had a hell of an allocution. That's just part of it I just found on the internet real quick. So as far as he's concerned, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I might have interfered with the United States government, which makes him a terrorist, because when you interfere with the government, the interference of the proper function of the government is the proper definition of a terrorist. So he says, I freely have admitted, and I've, and I've done it, and I did it in behalf of God's poor. And I do no wrong, but I do right. Now, if this court deems that it's necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice, let it be done. So like I said, you know, he could have just, you know, there's other ways he could have said it. Like, I would have said, well, you know, I did no wrong, but I did right. And I have yet to have a man come forth in this court to make a claim that what I've done was wrong. Yes, I've had government officials. Yes, I've had government offices. Yes, this is an administrative court or a military tribunal. But I evoke the right as a man on this land to bring forth the common law. And my fellow man will concur that I have done no wrong but that I've done right, you know, because in the name of God, God sees that I did it, you know, not to benefit me, but to benefit those who could not, who could not help themselves. So if I have to give my life so others may be free, or I just gave my life so in, in the, you know, to help others, you know, so be it. I've, I've got nothing to be ashamed of. I got nothing, you know, I've nothing to, I could lay my head down and rest and believe I've done no wrong. You know, so like I said, it's just what you believe. And can you convince the other people around you that what you believe is true? That you've done no wrong. That you did not wake up in the morning with deliberate, willful intent to cause any harm to any man or woman. And to this day, not one man or woman has stood before this court and testified as such. So like I said, there's all kinds of good ways you can do it. And like I said, when, when it's in your, when, 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 if you've really done no wrong and it's really in your heart and you really believe what you believe, you know, it, it comes out real. Like I said, you know, I asked, you know, when I was over there in, in England, I said, can we give an allocution? 
And they were like, like, yeah. I said, well, what's the rules of allocution in, in England? I said, because I want to be the last one talking. I said, because that's the whole thing. The closing act is the one everybody's going to remember. They're going to remember the last performance. You know, they might remember, you know, the, the guy might have sung 20, 30 songs that night, but everybody's going to remember the last song. So I said, how do we, how do we get in? How do we get to say the last word? How do we get to do this? So then I found out that, you know, if we say nothing during the trial, we give an allocution at the end and nobody can interrupt us. And that's what I told John in um, um, when he did his tax case up in New England. I said, first give the court notice on how you're going to appear, that you're going to appear as a man, that you're not going to appear as a defendant. Just lay out the rules of how you're going to appear. And I said, you tell them, look, you can let the other side, let the other side present their whole entire case. Don't say a fucking word. Just let them do what they do. Don't look at them. Don't object. Don't 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 do any of this lawyer nonsense. And uh, like Gus told me, um, he was objecting every five seconds. He was like, I object, I object, that, I object, and he got thrown out of the courtroom. And they had to go sit like in another courtroom down the hallway for like eleven days. And I said, don't don't play this lawyer game. You're not a lawyer. Don't object. Don't do all this nonsense. Just sit there silent and just let them do whatever they want to do. And at the end, you give an allocution. And you talk. And you talk. And you talk. And if they try to interrupt you, you say, excuse me, did I say one word in the past two days, 10 days, 11 days? No. I sat there quietly and I listened, and you talked. Now it's my turn to talk. And you just tell the judge, that's the rules. I'm giving an allocution. I'm making the final closing statement. I didn't testify. I didn't cross-examine. I, didn't do, I am making a statement. And don't interrupt me. And the judge will recognize that, and he'll have to say, fine. You know, he's right. It's an allocution. So um, did the judge say you can make an allocution or did the judge say, you know, tomorrow's, the, you know, if you got anything to say, you know, before I pass sentencing, you'll have your opportunity to do it tomorrow? Uh, he said something about we can have a pre-sentence something where I have to go see a probation officer. They have to get into my past. Or he said you have the other option of preparing something yourself and coming and saying it before he didn't use the word allocution, but he basically set up set it up so that I could do that and gave me almost a month to do it, where the prosecution wanted to finish up the Friday after that day. Uh he actually gave me until this Wednesday. Wow. So basically, yeah, I think that's what he meant. Well I'm saying what's funny too is um why can't you do both? Why can't you see the probation officer and do an allocution? Well, I could have. I could have pushed for that, but I thought it would be better because one thing I didn't want to do is is I haven't answered any of their questions. I haven't re- really, I haven't said anything in regard to the hearing other than proof of claim of jurisdiction, proof of claim that I'm sub- that I am and am subject to the codes, acts, and statutes of your society. Other than that. Until those questions are ax- answered, I don't answer anything. Wow, that's good. 
That's good. That's good. That's what I was trying to say to John. Just basically put everything in the form of a notice. You know, Gus even had him do that one of the last days of the trial. You know, he finally put it in writing when when a stupid $2 an hour, a $10 an hour security guard at the front door said, put it in writing. When Gus, Gus said to him, he said, hey, how about we try this... Uh, we walk into the building as a man. We're not coming in here as a as a person. We're not coming in here. He said, he's like, how about you just leave your driver's license at the door when you get to the courtroom? You say you're a man. And, and and the judge, you know, he put it in writing, and the judge announced it to the court that there's a man now present. I said, yeah. I said, how, how hard is it for you guys to understand this, how you're going to appear, how you put it in the form of a notice before you get into the fucking, you know, courthouse, the courtroom? And let the judge know that there's now a man before him. Well, how so difficult is this to do? Tell him how you're going to appear. <laughs> I said, if you're, you know, you're a bass guitar player or something, or you know, a guitar player, you're going to want a certain amplifier there when you appear. When you get there, it's like I, I can't use this amplifier. Why? This, this is not not the right amplifier. It's like, but you told me you play guitar. Yeah, but I play bass guitar. Oh, bass guitar. So it's a different equipment. Yeah, it's totally different stuff. I, I can't, I can't perform here. I can't, I can't, I can't do what I do here. I, I you know, I, you know, I, I, this, this stuff is, you know, there's nothing I can work with here. So it's like, if you don't want to be a defendant, you don't want to be a defendant. So I can't work with that. I can't, I can't accept that title. You know, I could accept this title, this title, this title, but I, I can't accept the title of the defendant. That's ridiculous. You know, I don't have the, the ability to, to uphold it, to stand behind it. I don't have the ability to understand it. I, I you know, I, I, I'm going to make a fucking, it's going to be a disaster. I'm not good at defending. I use the the role of prosecutor still open. I'll take that role, but defendant, no, I'm not very good at defending. So, like I said, no, you, you did good by basically saying, you know, well, what was the actual original charge? Well, originally it was uh, production for the purpose, proceeds of crime. They dropped everything except the production. I got simple production, and that's probably why the prosecutor is asking for less than a year. They really backed off on a lot of things, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I at least tried to show up as a man. Yeah, that's great. No, because like I said, it sounded good what you're saying. You know, it was like, yeah, that's basically... uh, I put it in writing and I say, you know, the notice is before the court. You know, would the court like to, you know, would the judge like to read it out to the court? You know, would he like me to read it out to the court? Who would like to read it out to the court? You know, and you can make a simple statement, you know, that I do not believe that this court has jurisdiction over the man. I am not a member of your society. You know, I'm, I appear here as, you know, as a man, which you may refer to as special appearance. You know, like I said, you know, that's what I would do. Something like, you know, you could refer to it as a special appearance. You know, compare that with special appearance. And that's what you would do when you were making a special appearance. You know? Did you say that anywhere in long, you know? Uh, are you the guy, you know, you know, the guy who called me up at the end of his trial, right? Are you off? Yeah. Are you off? Yeah. yeah, that's me. Oh, no, recognize your voice, man. It's like you must not be, you know, must not be dabbling in the substance anymore. You sound more concise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't uh, done any of that since about three years ago when I got busted, and I actually have uh, dystonia, 
uh, muscular discontrol in my in my neck, and uh, cannabis is a treatment for recognized as a treatment for that. And they they don't care. They just they just want to get as much damage on me as they possibly can. I don't know, man. You just sound you know sound more alert tonight for some reason. I probably had a lot of adrenaline when I was calling you from the courthouse. Yeah, there's something going on, man. I was like, holy shit, this guy's out of it. It's like, yeah. let, me take, let me take a guess, pot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a long time since I had any since then, but what I was was I was struggling to get across to you what all had happened in that, you know, five-minute phone call. I was trying yeah. to relay to you, you know, everything that happened in that trial, and it all happens at blinding speed. Oh, yeah. So, I guess yeah, it's the first time you're talking to me, too, you know, so I can understand. You know, a lot of people, um, they have a hard time. You know, it's the very first time making a phone calls to somebody like me. It's like I heard a lot about you, and, you know, I'm in court right now, and i got to make a closing statement. Hey, yeah, you were saying, like, oh, yeah, I made a 30-page closing statement, and the judge stopped me. I was like, yeah, thank God he stopped you because the judge... <laughs> You just, yeah, as I said, you didn't see the jury, you know, weaving a, weaving a noose. <laughs> well, you know what? He he warned me that I that I was going to have two more minutes before he stopped me, and it sh- shook me up because I thought I was going to have all the time I wanted, and then I forgot to get to jury nullification. So I asked the judge. Now I I kind of figured he was obliged to give me all the possible remedies I, I that are available to me. And jury nullification is one of them, and yet the judge refused to include that in his final instructions. Yeah, because you said you you didn't you didn't bring that in either, did you? I meant to. I told him that I, I meant to. He he distracted me with uh, uh, stopping me early. Otherwise, I would have gotten to it eventually, and I would have hurried to it had I remembered when he gave me that two minute warning. I should have gone straight to jury nullification to inform them that they have that option. So they never were informed that they have that option. And and I think that, again, proves the judge is not impartial. He's very much for the prosecution, which we all know. But now it's come out in court that he, you know, on the record. And that should help me in the appeal, I would assume. Yeah. Like I said, I, I just I don't really like appeals, you know. Most appeals to me, um, the only thing I'd ever do on an appeal is just say, you know, uh, you're making a horrible mistake because this court never had jurisdiction over the man, and they never showed that they got jurisdiction, and they were never able to prove that jurisdiction. Well, that's it, and they seem to be oblivious to that fact. He just declares that anyone born here is subject to our laws without any proof. It's all just his opinion. And obviously his opinion is law in the courtroom that's kind of showing. But, uh, you know, it seems to me in the appeal process, at least I have a better chance of kind of forcing them to oblige by those laws. Whereas in this initial trial, they just seem to be oblivious. Either that or they're excellent actors. Yeah, because like I said, it was funny. Uh, I had a um, when I um, filed my appeal. You know, the, the judge explained to me just filed the appeal to get a copy of the case file. I said, "Why?" I said, "Appeal is ridiculous." He says, "But you get you'll get all the evidence that they used against you. You'll finally get it all." 
He says, you know, you've been asking for evidence for years, and you and you have none. So he says, you know, this is the only way you're going to get anything is file an appeal against these people. He said, let me pass final judgment against you today and file an appeal. And he said, do you know how to file an appeal? I said, no. I said, you know, I've never thought it was anything worth learning. And he said, well, he says, I'll show you. And then he took me out in the hallway and he explained to me how to file an appeal and what an appeal was really all about. And um, so it was funny. He passed judgment against me and he still went out the hallway and we were talking out in the parking lot by his, uh, he had like a cheap, cheap, like uh, I'm, trying to, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the Jeep vehicle he had. He didn't have a Jeep Jeep, but he had like a Jeep Renegade. He, he, it was kind of a bigger Jeep. So we were just talking, you know, next to his Jeep, and he was explaining to me about the appeals process. So he's a real good guy. And uh, so, um, but to actually get an appeal, to, to like I said, to actually, you know, get something overturned, you know, I really don't understand what the benefit of that would be. You know, you know, because if it gets overturned and you got to go through a trial all over again, it's like, well, what what's the purpose of going through a trial all over again? You know, what's going to be different this time than it was last time? You know, you you want another trial in front of this judge again? You know, so he's like, okay, you know, we'll give you another trial. So hopefully this time I do a better job. Uh, I kind of figured if, if the appeal overturned the conviction, that it would turn into an acquittal. Mike just slid off. The whole lot of people thought that father's bad, pot's bad. You know, then the more they wake up and they said, okay, you know, the pot's good. And I say, you know what? You know what? They came up with more. Even though we know it's bad, for some reason now they said it's not bad. Okay, we agree. It's not bad. I mean, people are in the Can you hear me? Of course, there's laws. 
people leave this in the little tunnels. And he has a license to drive. And he'd say, well, that might be true. He might need a license to drive, but man, there's no government to the car. Without a license to take his property and get that. And a little old lady would think that the judge was crazy and that you were crazy. Carl, Carl, can you hear me? Carl, uh, there's something up with your mic. We can barely hear you. Hey, Carl. Hey, Carl. 
guy's calling like four times now during my show. Yeah, this guy's called in like four times during my show so far. I keep text messaging him that, uh, doing the show. I have an emergency of the family with a foreclosure on people who are in honor. Can you talk to me later? I'm sorry to get on the show. But don't get off. Can you hear me, Carl? I think he's he's back on now. Oh, we got to do a show. Hey, Carl. Hang on a second. I got a text message All right. this guy. Like you said, this guy, he, he calls well, me like we, a dozen times, man. We didn't hear anything you show. said in the last three or four minutes because your microphone was, was uh, had fell, must have fell off. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, you know that... Um, that set thing that I bought today that didn't the microwave you inside your head or something like that to call them Bluetooth, you call them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, they, you know, like the cat pushed the button or whatever and started it up. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But, no, like I said, this one guy, he keeps calling me up, man, during my show, and I keep writing him, I'm, I'm doing my show, I'm doing my show. Yeah, like I said, I was reading this John Brown thing, and said... Had I sowed interfered in behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed what I have in this interference, it would have been all right. And every man in this court would have deemed it an act of worthy of reward rather than punishment. This court acknowledges, and I suppose, the validity of the law of God. I see a book kissed here, which I suppose to be the Bible that teaches me all the things whatever soever I would that men should do to me and should do even so to them. It teaches me further that to remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. I endeavor to act up to that instruction. I say I am yet too young to understand that God is any respect of persons. I believe that I have interfered as I have done and I have always really admitted that I have done it in behalf of his despised poet was not wrong, but right. Now, if it is deemed necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice and mingle my blood further with the blood of my children and the bloods of millions of these slaves in this country whose rights are disregarded by wicked, cruel, and unjust enactments, I submit, so let it be done. So like I said, you know, so some people, they have hell elocutions. You know, you can make a hell of a closing statement. And that's what I was trying to tell John. You remember like, what I was saying, Gus, like to say nothing and wait to the end and just yeah. hit, him with every, hit him with everything you got. Yeah. It's, it's just like a, like a Muhammad Ali rope-a-dope. You know, just do nothing during a whole entire fight. Just take there and take a pounding. You know, do absolutely nothing. And at the at the very end, hit him with everything you got. <laughs> You know, it's like rope dope. You know, just take a take a beating. Just sit there along the ropes and take a beating. And at the very end, you know, get up and hit him with everything you got. So, um, you know, it's just like I said. It's just you know, you just watch styles in the past and see what works and what doesn't work. Like I said, like John was trying to go blow for blow with these people. You know, like lawyers do on TV movies. You know, this guy says this, then you say this, and you object, and he sustains, and he, you know, overruled, and he objects, and, 
It's like, look, I'm not playing this this ping pong match with these people. I'm playing this tennis match. I'm not in court on the tennis court and going to hit one over the net and hit the no. I'm not playing this game. I'm not playing it. You know what? You just keep hitting the ball over the net. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing You know what? You just keep doing what you do. And I'll wait, and I'll say, you're done. You're done. You're finished. You're all done. Anything else to say? You, you, you got it out of you. You're happy. You did everything you need to do. Good. Now, can I say something? Yeah, and then hit it with everything you got. That's all they had to do. So I was patient. I was, you know, did you hear me say anything? Did you see me interrupt this guy? No. I was like calm and, yep. I was just whistling Dixie the whole time, right? Totally just counting, stealing tiles, not a care in the world. Why? Because he never established jurisdiction, and that's rule number one. What's jurisdiction, Jerry? This is jurisdiction. And he explained to them what it is. And they net to establish it. So you don't believe me here. Let me ask the judge. Hey, judge, is this is, is anything I'm saying not true? Yeah, feel feel free to speak. Just just go ahead. Just let us hear your humble opinion. And the judge would have to say, "Well, it's true. You know, he never uh, he never um." We never, you know, the, the the state or the IRS never did establish jurisdiction in accordance to the common law. And they say, okay, yeah, he's he's telling the truth. So it's it's a uh, yeah, like I said, it's a uh, it's funny. I don't know if you can hear it. There's a like a dog tap that. That one of the dogs is top dancing on the bedroom door trying to get in. <laughs> this is so funny, man. Like trying to do a show. Got like six cats. Uh, you know, I came into the bedroom where it's quiet. I left the door open, so I got six cats sitting on top of me. <laughs> I showed you the picture of the two cats sitting on top of me one time in my head. And I got a dog trying to bust in the door. So it's pretty funny trying to concentrate. And uh, we do all that noise and cats, you know, it's pretty funny. So um, there's this boy in seven guy. I have no idea what he wanted to ask. But uh, who? Oh, boy in. What's that? I was wondering who you were talking about, and then I realized uh, what you said. Hey, I found uh, the life trial and conviction of Captain John Brown having to do with the uh, insurrection at Harper's Ferry. Is that? Yeah. Same thing? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, I just like how he, yeah, like how he said, you know, like you said, he said, look, if if I did this, if I did this to save rich people, like if I did this to save, you know, the like the the people of this court, you know, like your friends and your families, and you know, or the rich, you know, or, or people who are attorneys, if if I went in here and and I did what I did to save their lives, you guys would be giving me freaking medals. But I went in there to save, you know, the, the, the lives of black people. And uh, you guys think I'm, I'm an evil bastard. <laughs> you know? He's like, I, I did, I thought I did what I had to do to preserve life. You know, and so I'm sorry it wasn't your rich friends. Yes, they were, you know, black people. But that doesn't mean, you know, that, you know, they're any less of people than you are. So if I did what I had to do, I had to do what I did. You know, if I got to die for it, so be it. That's what I believe. I believe I did the right thing, and I don't believe I've got anything to be ashamed of. 
I said I was just looking for the the part in the speech where he says, you know, this this land is going to have to be washed with with blood, and it, it, to, to cleanse its sins. You know, the only thing I could see is, you know, a great letting. You know, a great letting of blood. You know, to wash this country of its sins. So I mean, you know, like stuff like that. You just remember. Um, you just remember certain speeches your whole life. You just remember certain things like Kennedy said. You know. Like, you know, the, the soul content of the ocean is the same as the soul content in man. You know, we are one with the sea. You know, we, we've come from the sea, you know. Like the same solidity of, uh, you know, salt in, in the ocean. He says, it's like, you know, did anybody ever realize it's the same as the ocean? Do you realize? You know, so there's just certain speeches, you know, saying like how we're going to be the first to go to the moon. And, you know, that this, you know, it's just some great speeches that, you know, you know, that you remember your whole life. You know, you might not know them literally word for word, but it's based, you know, it's how you uh, live your life. And like I said, that's what you do with an allocution. You try to nail them hard, you know, with just a couple of sentences. You try to explain it to them, and you try to knock them off their position that they've been trying to maintain the whole time. It's like, look, you know, like, you know, like the like for the IRS, it's like, hey, you know, Jerry, let's give it a hand. Let's give a hand for the the federal prosecutor. Ooh, what was your name, Bob? Bob Smith. Yeah, let's give a hand. What a performance! You know, seven days. You know, he he's been up here doing this for eleven days now. You know, give him a hand. He's really earned his money. Yeah. The only problem is, um, you know, uh, you know, the law of the land is, um, man has a right to meet his accuser. I have yet to meet my accuser. I've yet to be handed the bill. Nobody's yet to come forth and claim that it was true. You know, stuff like that. He could have just went down, whole list one, list two, list three, list four. He could have just kept going, boom, 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 boom. You see what I'm saying? He could have just kept going down one, one after another. And like I said, he should have just sat there and looked totally bored out of his mind. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, folks, you, 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 I seen you looking over me every now and then. You saw me bored out of my mind, taking a nap, sleeping, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you guys want to take a nap and want to go to sleep as well. You know, and just say, you know what, this has been a total waste of everybody's time. Because I put a notice before the court, before this even started, you know. Like, first, a notice of my appearance, and then two, you know. The nature and the, the, the of the wrong, and who is the plaintiff? When are they going to appear? So, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's some uh, guy named, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, not some guy's name. I'm sure his mama didn't either name him Guest Ten or Ten Guest. I'm sure you know his He's just Guest Ten. But he's like he's he liked that. Uh, what happened with that Guiana lady? So that's good. You know, how she did go to the church and how the church did get her a, a home and uh, how she did leave the state and how the church told her that they'd provide help for her if anybody of the government tries to come near her and, and mess with her or the kid. I said, yeah, because I can't be everywhere. Yeah, Mike, uh, Mike helped her out with that. wrote a couple of letters for her. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying the big thing was getting her the hell out of the state and going to the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fuck the letters. And letters are nice. She's in Jacksonville, and it's 40 miles. Yeah. Tops to get out of the state. 
Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. The big thing is just to get to the damn church and get help. Because you're not going to find anybody outside of a church in the state of Florida that could help you. It's not going to happen. Everybody is part of the secular society. If you look to the secular society for help, it doesn't exist. It's not going to happen. Where can you go in the state of Florida for help? You've got to go to the faith-based organizations. You've got to go to the Catholic Church or a Buddhist church or a, a Hebrew a temple. You've got to go to a mosque. You've got to get the fuck into a faith-based organization. They understand the concept of man, woman, child. They understand the concept. They have certain beliefs. And the government can't interfere with those beliefs. And you've got to be a member of that group. And they will back you up. And they will protect you from some crazy secularist, you know, um, uh, centralized government. She asked me for help. Write a letter. A letter for fucking what? A letter to fucking who? They don't fucking care. You write all the letters you want. You ain't got backup, honey. You a poor, black, unemployed woman from a foreign country? That kid is gone. Gone, gone, gone. I don't care if I wrote you the world's greatest letter. I don't care if Jesus Christ wrote your letter. That kid is gone. Writing a letter is not going to protect you. You're, you're unemployed. You're poor. You're black. You're from a foreign country. You've got, like, no friends here. You That kid is so effing gone, it's not funny. But you know what? You got the number one health care provider in the world. You got the Catholic Church. You got probably one of the biggest trump cards that will shake the crap out of a state government. Don't F with those people. You got the Catholic Church, you know, hammer in your back pocket, slam them with it. Oh, I'm going to write them a letter. Oh, really? And they're going to be so freaking scared of your letter because they know you got so much backup. Oh, yeah, really? What backup you got, lady? None. Are you going to carry this one? A couple of things, Carl. Huh? It was a combination of a couple of things. Um, I, I, I actually was talking to her, and I told her to go get on her best dress and get to the church. Yeah. And then, and then Mike followed it up with a couple of letters. Yeah, but I'm saying letters from from a black. Dude, they're going to do. They're going to do a credit check on her. That's the very first thing they're going to do. They're going to say, how much money does this lady have and how worried do we have to be about? What can she possibly do to us? And if she doesn't have the church in her back pocket, she ain't got no tools. She's got paper. What happened? Carl's phone went poof. Hang on, he'll be right back. Janine and and Carl got dumped at the same time. Janine did? Oh, no kidding. How'd you get unmuted? I have no idea. I thought there, I thought it was the end of the call. 
And then That's I what I thought. We still got an hour left. Kyle says he uh, he's been buy, buying the uh, the Bluetooth things, <clears throat> and he says they keep disappearing. I said I bet you the dogs think think it's a chew toy. Then <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he said he left the door open on his pickup truck one night. So the dog could sleep in there because it was really, really cold out. And uh, came out in the morning, and his wallet was on the ground. Stuff was chewed out of it. <laughs> yep, that's a dog, especially leather. Dogs love leather. Yep. Uh, you got to give them a couple of shoes, old shoes or something, if you're going to leave them alone. Yeah, I remember when we were little kids, we had a dog that used to chew everything. And uh, one day, my dad had a, an old truck parked in the driveway. And one day, we uh, put the dog in the truck, and then we kind of forgot about him. He chewed everything, the armrest, the steering wheel, gear shifter, everything. <laughs> wow. We got in so much shit that day. Yeah, Carl was over at Jimmy's house cleaning up the yard, getting stuff moved out, and uh, he put one of the dogs in one of the cars, and then uh, a couple hours later, he went home, and uh, and he's like, where the heck's the dog? And then he remembered he had left her in the uh, in the car, so he, he went back. She was just on the back seat sleeping, no big deal. She, she, didn't, she didn't freak out. She didn't panic. Uh, he's trying to keep her warm. It's been cold. It's been cold uh, this year. It's a lot colder than uh, the last few years have been. We've been down below zero quite a few times. Carl's, the weather down at Carl's place has been a lot colder than it's uh, than is typical too. <laughs> Ed says the people in Canada are probably probably laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I mean, this, yeah, I remember visiting my family up in Canada. We used to go up every New Year's Eve and party up there. You know, the whole family would get together, and uh, you know, it just, I mean, snow, snow's no big deal. It was uh, all all my cousins have a little electric wire that comes through the front grill of their pickup truck, so they can plug their trucks in, so, so the blocks don't freeze, because. <laughs> Because the antifreeze is just not enough. <laughs> that might be it. I'll give him. Uh, I'll give him a call. See if it goes straight to voicemail.
I can't hang up on Mark. Called me three hours ago. I still can't hang up on him, so I can't call Carl. <laughs> oh, man, this is ridiculous. I know AT&T's got a real awesome system for doing that. Oh, well, I'm going to hang up on you guys. I'll be back in a little bit. Oh, that means I'm not... That means I'll be muted when I come back. I'll have to jump on the board. What the heck? You still there, Nick? His friend Wally's still here. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, we're the only two unmuted. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't. I, in fact, I just uh, texted Nick to see if we were muted or unmuted. This is so interesting. This is the second call I've listened to, and I'm not in any trouble, but just hearing this information and knowing where to go to get when I do get into trouble or just knowing from listening, man, this is fantastic, guys. Really enjoy this. I'm in Michigan, and we're about nine below zero right now. Supposed to drop yeah, to in, 11 uh, below. I'm in southern Ontario. I'm not sure how cold it is right now, but there's still lots of snow outside. Yeah, we, we, we're, in a, we're in a winter storm watch until tomorrow, and we're supposed to get to 11 below here. I'm in northern Michigan on the west side, Lake Michigan side. Kind of like Carl up in the middle of the woods. <laughs> yeah, like I said, um, what do they call it? Um, yeah, it's funny. People keep sending me messages during my show. It's pretty funny. But um, um, yeah, no, like I said before, I got cut off. I was talking about um, that lady with the kid and uh, I said that it was very important for her to go down to the church for help and um, you know people like you know like I said when people say well you know you know Michael's helping to write a letter it's like mm, okay letters aren't as important as making sure that you got backup she's got no family of any means she's got no relatives in this country of any kind of you know any kind of you know we're going to stand there and be able to support her. She's got no community here that she could turn to. So she's going to have to find somebody for support. So she's going to have to find the church. And I know almost every single person that listens to my show is not a member of a church. 
probably can't see the, the, the benefits of being a member of a church and don't participate in any church activities. I can only guarantee most every single person that's in my show doesn't belong to a church. So when I say to people, look, if she's got a baby, you got to go to the church. You know, don't worry about writing letters at this time. Make sure you become a member of a community. Get back up. Get actual physical people who will stand next to you and behind you. And people that when the state comes, they will put somebody, a member of the church, in front of you who knows the law, who will explain to the state, whatever crap you're trying to pull, you can't pull it here in our church. Go take it someplace else. You know better than even step foot in our church with that kind of an attitude. Take it someplace else. Because I guarantee it's never happened in the United States history where a policeman has came into a church and taken a baby from a woman in the church. I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to hear the story where the cops are crazy enough to walk into a church and take a, a baby out of a woman's arms who was surrounded by priests and nuns. I'd love to see that happen. Because this country would go up in flames in a heartbeat. Nobody's going to pull that crap. But if somebody's telling me this lady's living in a Section 8 housing project, she's got no job, and the cops keep kicking in the door every two, three days, eventually they're going to come through. Eventually they're going to have it up to here, and they come through. No letter is going to get that kid back. No letter is going to keep them from coming through that door. Now, I don't tell people when they get a driving ticket, go get to church. I don't tell people when they get a bankruptcy problem, go join the church. I don't tell people when they got a credit card dispute, go join the church. I don't tell people when they got a parking meter, go go join the church. I mean, you don't hear me saying every five seconds, oh, go join the church or this, go join. No, no. This woman's got like a newborn baby. This is the best time to protect that kid from any kind of centralized government coming in because the centralized governments around the world recognize the status between secular and faith-based. And they and they will draw that line, and they won't cross it. But if 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 you don't have that protection when it comes to like say a child, they're just going to come around out over and claim it as their property. They're just going to say, no, and what? That's our property. We have the duty and obligation of that property to secure and protect it. You know, we that we you know we are the guardians of that baby. Oh, really? Since when? Well, we wrote it into our bylaws. I'm just like, mm, well, you know what? There's a law that existed a lot longer than man existed. It's the law of nature. And you can't interfere with that. You can't cross this line. So like I say, when people say, you know, well, you know, well, you know, I guarantee, especially, you know, uh, Angela probably didn't really like it because I heard her saying to Gus the other day, it's like, well, you're a lot nicer than Cole. Cole doesn't have any bedside manner. I guarantee she was talking about how I talked to that lady and uh, that Gana lady. I was like, that's right, because I could talk to Hunter on purple. And I was talking to her and I was purple on Wednesday. Friday and Saturday for hours. I got much better things to do in my life than to talk to every single person who calls me up and says, I got a cop knocking on my door and they want to take the baby. It's like, oh, okay, good. Well, you got family? No. Okay. You got money? No. You got another, you can move to another state? No. Okay, well, uh, go to the church. First, I try to tell them, look, you got family, they can back you up, support you, get you out of there, hide you protect you from the, can you get out into another state? You got relatives someplace else? No, no, no. Hmm. Definitely then go to the church. But you staying in Section 8 housing, you staying as a welfare mom, you're collecting money from the state. You know how easy it is for them to show that, look, you have no means of supporting this child on your own. You don't work. 
the mother doesn't work, the grandma doesn't work. How are you going to support this kid if, if all of a sudden we just cut off your, your funds? How are you going to exist? And you're going to get a lot of people like in, in a society, in a group, or you know, like any kind of a jury kind of thing, they'll say, oh, no. You know, if you've got no means to support, good thing the state came in and took, this, took the kid away from you. Nobody's going to give a damn about that piece of paper you wrote. They're just going to say, oh, thank God for the state agencies. Thank God that the state's jumping in and protecting children where the parents won't do it. You know, why are these people having kids anyway if they don't know where their daddy is? If they, if they don't have any money coming in. You know, grandma has no money. Mama has no money. Grandbaby's got no money coming in. Where's the, where's the men? Where's grandpa? Where's the dad of this baby? Oh, and, and, and society's just going to be burning by taking care of another mouth to feed for another 80 years. Oh, isn't this just lovely? And you don't think society's going to have the, uh, should it have a voice in this matter? Should it determine whether or not, you know, this kid's going to stay with this woman or not? Of course you're going to get people to say, you know, of course society should make some sort of a, should have some sort of a, a voice in this. So that's why, you know, they say, you know what, to, to cut out the voice of, you know, the secular society, go join a, a faith-based organization. Say this lady moved in with a church or something like that, say with a church organization, well, she had to live like on some sort of like a, a church compound somewhere. You better believe they'd put this lady to work. The mother would go to work. Grandma would go to work. I don't care if they're raking leaves. I don't care if they're sweeping out a vestibule. I don't care if they're polishing the, the church benches. They're going to be put to work. They're going to find something to do. They're not going to be sitting around all day long watching Wheel of Fortune and Price is Right. They're going to have responsibilities and duties like everybody else in that community. They're going to be put to work. They're going to get calluses on their hand and they're going to sweat like everybody else. They're going to sit on their asses until they're 80 years old collecting welfare. So if you guys don't know the method to my madness, I really don't care. You say, well, you know, write letters. Letters to who? She says, all right, letters to the governor. You don't think the governor's going to say, who's this woman? Somebody do a background check on it, just like they did with me. You better believe they did a background check on me and a background check on uh, on the mother of my children, you know, instantly. Like I said, when they talked to my mom and uh, my stepdad, they they told, they said they had this mountain call of paper about every single thing about you that they could ever find on you. They pulled school records. They went back to the They pulled everything in the state of Alabama. It's, my mom said it was like five, six inches tall. Just paper, and they tried to pull this out and say, do you know this about your son? Do you know this about your son? Do you know this about your son? Do you know? My mom's like, of course I do. I know all this stuff. Everything you tell me, I know. There's nothing in there that I don't know. What the hell does that have to do with why the hell do you have this kid? Did he do something wrong? Well, no. Did you know this about him? Did you know about this? He's like, She's like, yeah, I know everything about him. They had a my mom said this, they had a mountain of paper in front of their desk and just trying to convince my mom to join their side. To say, look, you know, your son, you know, has done this in the past. He's done this. Do you realize when he was, you know, two years old, he used to wet his bed. At three years old, he still wet his bed sometimes. You know, this guy's a chronic bedwetter. For years, he was a bedwetter. It's like, yeah, until he was three years old. Yeah, I know that. Oh, well, that's, that's unheard of. You know, this, he should have stopped, you know, he should have been potty trained by one and a half. And whatever, you know, trying to make me look bad no matter what they could do. And they're going to have a mountain of paper. So you better believe, like I said, when Jesse and Jonathan said to me up in Canada, she said, should I get the case file that they got against me? I said, no. And Jesse, after she got it, they said, now go get the case file because now you're going to use their words to make a claim against them. You're going to, use, you're going to show what they did. They were putting false, you know, accusations before the court. 
And she said when she got the case file, it was six inches thick. And as she was turning each page, she was crying more and more every time she turned another page. Seeing all the filth and hate and lies that they were saying about her, what a horrible mom she was and how she didn't love her kids and how she didn't take care of them. And she said she just broke her heart every time she flipped another page. So this paper that they're going to put in the court against you is going to make you look like an evil monster. I don't give a damn what piece of paper you put to them. I'm telling you, they're going to flood the court with a mountain of paper and make you look like a monster. Just like they did to John. They, 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 whatever mountain of paper they used against them, they were able to talk for 11 days straight. 11 days worth of paperwork that they were able to talk. It's like, look, these guys talk for 11 days. You know what? How about you give me 11 minutes? And I'll convince you that everything they said for the last 11 days is nothing but horse shit. And because that's what they're going to do. When Jonathan and Jesse went to court, they had 20 affidavits against them in a court case file. So when the next day they said all 20 affidavits against them was gone because she reported a crime. And the judge was a mandated reporter. And he had to report the crime to the proper authorities because he heard a woman swear under oath that she was robbed. And she could point out the actual robber in this courtroom. And he had to take a report and do something about it. So yes, was it nice that she put a piece of paper in the court? Yes. But then she had to actually stand up in court and perform and point her finger, point to the robber, and point her finger, and point to the judge. So right, but at certain times, do I say that you say something in court? It depends. You know, with John, he should have just said, hey, look, you know what? That's how I'm appearing, and I have nothing to say, and at the end, I'm going to give an allocution. At the end, I'm going to make the closing statement. Does everybody agree to that? Fine. Then do whatever the hell you want. Drag this on for one day, 11 days, 111 days. I don't give a damn. Drag it on for a year. I don't give a damn. Because I'm going to have the final word. Is that fine? Everybody agrees? That's good. And then just damn smile. And then hit him with everything you got for the last 11 minutes. Just nail him. And you say, you know, okay, great. Still, you know, nobody, like I said, the O.J. Simpson trial was the best example I ever give to people. It's like all these old ladies who were sitting on the jury they all just said, we all knew that we can never get a murder one conviction on the guy. Oh, yeah, we all know he did it, but there's nothing we could do. Under the law, there's nothing we could do. We knew that they didn't have an eyewitness. We knew there was nothing that Marsha Clark can ever convince anybody in the jury because we know the law. We know the rules. A man, a man must appear. So if O.J. Simpson's attorneys, they said, look, within 30 days, every single one is an attorney jury knew she, this, the city of Los Angeles was never going to convict OJ. Never. We all knew it for 30 days. So why they dragged it on for another 380 days? She's like, God only knows. Because we already knew after 30 days, she was wasting our time. So like I said, you can either make a hell of an opening statement and ask, can you make a closing statement? But if you make an opening statement, they usually don't let you be the last one to talk. So I just say to them, you know what, if you get, if you get set the terms and conditions, make an opening statement if they let you. But make sure you make the closing statement. Make sure you're the last one talking. And whatever the rules are for their court to be the last one talking, agree to them. Say, fine, as long as I'm the last one to talk. Can I make any opening statement? They're like, well, if you make an opening statement, you can't be the last one to talk. So like, you know what, fine, then I'll, just, I'll make the closing statement. I'm fine. And then as they're presenting their evidence all during the trial, just make little notes. So I remember on day one they said this, huh? 
Remember on day two, they said this. Oh, please, give me a break. Remember on day three. Remember on day four. Remember on day five. And to me, that's the way I would do it. I just take it down one at a time. Just go day by day and just make your closing statement. I say they still didn't have jurisdiction. The man still did not appear. The man still did not testify that I've done wrong. The man's note that has come forth before this court. Has anybody seen the bill yet? No, neither have I. You know, so like I said, to me, it's just a different ways of doing things like that. You, you know, everything's not a cookie cutter. You can't just write a letter and think all your problems are going to go away with writing a letter. To me, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, not in all situations it's going to happen. She's going to have to get a church behind her. So that when she's got a church behind her and she goes into court and she's got people at the church with her, you, you, I mean, if she's got a couple of nuns sitting next to her, holy crap. That's what I said to Mike in Canada when he first called on my show a year ago. I said to him, hey, what denomination of faith group do you belong to? None. Oh, really? So you're doing try to get your kid back, huh? Yeah, you're going to write a letter, huh? you got a woman on one side and a man on the side writing letters. Mm, lovely. If you belong to a church, can you bring any people of the congregation in there to show them that you're a good, upstanding citizen of your community and that you're a good man and a good father and they're willing to speak highly of you? Do you got any letters from any of the priests, reverends, deacons, pastors, preachers, anything? No. Really? Okay, well, then I guarantee you're a member of the volunteer fire department or a volunteer rescue squad. You know, you say baby seals up there in Canada or somebody, you know, people jumping on Niagara Falls. You know, you go, you go, you're in a rescue unit, volunteer rescue unit, right? Well, no. Okay, so you, you know, you're part of the Greenpeace people. You go rake the leaves around, you know, Mayor Ford's house or something like that, right? You polish knobs on the, you know, park benches or something, right? No. Okay, so you don't get involved in any of the community activities, whatever, so you're not part of any faith-based organization. Oh, so you're in Army One. It's all about you. It's all about what you want. So you're supposed to go to the jury, the people around the community, and you're supposed to ask them now to do something even more for you. What are you giving back to us? So the jury's going to look at you and say, well, what do you give back to society? Why we, society, should give you anything? Why are you so worthy of our time? Why should we care less about you? What do you have to offer to us? So like I said, if in a faith-based organization, the lady would have to be an active participant, an active member. She'd actually have to pass out, you know, uh, you know, some literature for the church, or she'd, you know, pass out Bibles, or she'd have to blow ladies' fire in, in, in a pew somewhere. Or she'd have to go uh, sweep the floor somewhere at the church. She'd have to, you know, work out in the garden. She'd have to actually become an active member and participate. She'd actually have to do something other than sitting around all day watching uh, Bob Barker or Jerry Springer. So I'm trying to get her off her ass to make it actually become an active member and participant of a society. You want society to help you? You want society to pay for you and your kid? What are you going to give back? You can't just keep saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. You can't just keep being entitled. Well, it's mine and I want it back. Oh, you know what you sound like? You sound like a three-year-old. That's my lollipop, give it back. You sound ridiculous. You know, what have you done to earn it? What are you going to do in the future? What what part of a member of society have you become? Why should we care? 
you know, if we asked you to give us something back, would you help us get something back? Well, no. Why not? Well, I work 40 hours a week, and that's all I should have to give. Oh, really? So how much of your paycheck do you give to the government? Oh, well, I don't want to give the government anything. Well, how much do you want to give them property taxes? I don't want to give anybody property taxes. Well, just what do you want to give back to society? Well, they should just be grateful I exist because I'm such a benefit to society. They should just be glad I'm here and I'm alive. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, is, is that what mommy always told you? You mommy special boy, is that it? You know, so like I said, I try to show people the, the absurdity of them, uh, their existence. You know, why should society do anything if you don't do something back? You know, why should, you know, the you know, government or society exist to protect and secure the property and, and you know, the, you know, for each other? This is what we, this is why we get together as groups. So we all help each other. Uh, what are you going to, what are you giving back? And that's why I try to make people understand what are you willing to give back to a, to a, to a group or society? You know, what are you doing? You know, what are you, are you doing your part? So, like I said, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, Mark is doing good and Mike and uh, Gus, you know, everybody, Larry's trying, I mean, everybody's trying to give something back, you know, which is great, you know, and, uh, but like I said, if people don't understand what I'm doing, you know, you just ask, like, what's the importance of this lady going to church? What is so damn important? The church is the number one health uh, provider on planet Earth. If this, this baby needs something, this baby's going to be taken care of. If this, if this, okay, you still don't get it. Okay. Say this woman and her, the mom and the baby gets sick. The women are going to be scared out of their fucking minds to take this baby to a hospital because they're going to figure that, uh-oh, the baby's going to pop up on some sort of a watch list. Uh-oh, so the baby's got a really bad fever. Uh-oh, you know, we better just, you know, slug it out here at home. And, you know, if the baby dies of a fever that could have been easily taken care of in a local hospital with a shot or an aspirin, no, the mom and the grandma panicked because they're afraid to bring the child out into the public. So we better hide the child. And the child could get measles or whatever the fuck it gets. And uh, the baby dies. It's like, well, why didn't you take the baby to the hospital? Well, they, they had a shot for it. The, the, the kid they had an antibiotic he could have gave it. Why didn't you come to the hospital? It's like, oh, we were scared shitless that the government would take the baby. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But um, then why didn't you go to the church? The Catholic Church is the number one health, free health provider on planet Earth. Free health. They will provide free health. They're the number one on planet Earth. It's like you don't think it's important that the, this, 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 this grandmother has access to medical treatment for a three-month-old kid? Oh, no, let's just write letters. Just write letters. She's got to be part of the church. She needs to be part of a place where the, the baby can get medical attention if the baby needs help immediately. I don't mean in, in, in six months when they write the letters and the, and the state government's back down. Oh, the state government finally stopped knocking on our door six months later. Okay, well, the kid needs to go to the hospital. Oh, you know, oh, the kids get, oh, it's a little gangrene on the foot. It'll go away in no time. A little gangrene will go away in no time. What are you, crazy? Well, I don't want to bring the baby to the hospital because they got a warrant for my arrest, too. 
Oh, so they got a warrant for you in arrest, and they got a warrant for the baby's arrest. Okay, so just let the kid die. And what are you going to do when the kid dies? What are you going to bury it? You just want to bury it in the backyard somewhere and say, oh, we've got it. We don't know where it is. You know, what are you people, nuts? So you might not understand exactly why I say, look, she's got to get part of a church-based, faith-based organization. She has to. She's got a baby. She's got no choice. She needs backup. You know, writing a letter, yay, hooray, we wrote a letter, what we do? Okay, how is, how is the baby going to get medical attention? Oh, gee, Carl, we didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, how many times do kids, you know, go to the hospital when they're young? A lot. Why? Because that's when they're most susceptible, when they don't have an immunity built up, and their system isn't, you know. So this, this is, the most, you know, the most important time to make sure that that kid's got, you know, medical attention immediately. It's like, no, you know, call that, that doesn't matter. You know, don't worry about churches. Call, you got to stop promoting this church stuff. This is just silly. Oh, really? Where's the kid going to get medical attention? That the parents are scared shitless to take him into the public. Parents are scared shitless to take him, you know, into any kind of a, um, into a public hospital. You know, you got to make the people say, oh, wow, there's other sources of, uh, Medicine, yeah, other than MMS and pot, yeah, other than MMS and pot, yes, believe it or not, there's other sources of medical attention on planet Earth. Yes, it, it, it does exist. You know, you don't have to be afraid of it, you know, it's called, the, you know, Catholic Church. It's like, oh, wow, we didn't know that. It's like, uh, well, now you do. And that's why I'm trying to get other people to understand that. And like, you guys might not understand it. You guys might not have kids anymore. You guys might not have kids that young anymore. But I guarantee you there's a lot of women listening to my show who have kids. Because a lot of the stuff that I do is based on children in child custody. And uh, probably half the people that listen to my show probably listen to it, you know, from Googling me and finding out that I help parents get back kids. So I guarantee almost everybody who, half the people who listen to my show have something to do with children-related issues. So, um... Yeah, take care, Bob. Man. Yeah, Bob's in uh, Michigan there. Hey, there's Al. How you doing, man? Hey, how's it going, brother? Oh, not too bad, man. Hey, Don. I see Mike's on the phone here. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever find that other man, Chris? Um, Chris? Um, no, I, actually, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, he hasn't phoned me. Okay. Yeah, like I said, um, I don't remember if I told him I was going to give him your phone number or your email address. I don't remember. Okay, I haven't checked my emails. I've been working, you know. But uh, I'll I'll check them in the morning. Okay. Sunday, right? So I can't start work until 9. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going through the chat board. My phone died a couple minutes ago, man, so I got like 6% power. <laughs> well, that's why it said you left the chat. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just funny because um, uh, it's just funny, man, because it's, it's like really cold out right now, so I'm kind of worried like about all the animals. And, uh, you know, got like a, you know, like for you guys, it's nothing. I mean, it's like, you know, like a uh, Oh, let's see. I guess wow. minus. I guess yeah, it's about minus thirteen. Oh uh, no, it's raining here. Raining. Yeah. 
I went and I got up for work. I got up for work and it was raining this morning. We've had like 16 Celsius above whatever that is in conversion. Um, Last couple of days. So my wife, uh, I talked to her tonight there while you're on the call and, and she said, like, we have no, we usually have 10 feet of snow in our backyard this time of year and there's no snow at home. They were going to, they were going to shut down the highway because they were scared that the graveyard was going to uh, uh, wash out onto the highway. So they shut uh, the highway down for three days. Yeah, yeah when I was up there last year, you guys had uh, mudslides everywhere from, uh, not mudslides, um, avalanches. Yeah. And that yeah, so they, were worried, they were worried yeah, they that the avalanche above was going to wash out the graveyard and onto the highway. Oh, that's funny. They just like they got that they got that that big mountain pass down there coming towards uh uh Calgary from uh B C. I can what's the name of that big pass they got up there? Oh Rogers. Rogers. Mm, yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. It's right on that big highway up there, the B the Q E up there on uh Yeah, no, that's there. Rogers, that's the that's like there's many passes between Alberta and my place and yeah. Rogers is like the famous one. That's where I took my avalanche control course. Oh, my yeah. rescue. Yeah. People die there all the time. Yeah, and then there's funny. crow's nest pass, which also kills people all the time. Yeah. But what's the name of that national glacier park up there? The forest up there. What's that called? Well, we have National Great Glacier Park. Is that that's what it's called? That's just past Rogers Pass. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about up there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's <laughs> we have many passes and uh, we have many avalanches. And this time of year, like the the weather we're having, yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Even in the spring, we have uh, uh, mudslides. Closes down the highway for four days. Yeah, yeah, I know. When I was up there in uh, like uh, February, March last year, man, it was just like we we pulled over someplace to get uh, fuel, and uh, man, those parking lots, man, were just like mud. I mean, I'm sure they made but, a concrete during the during the year, but you know, during the dry season. But holy cow, I mean, it was just mud everywhere up there. That's that's too funny because. Uh, my son and I drove out to the coast to meet you. Remember, you were with Joan Catherine. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we drove like eight hours through all that crap, that bad weather, and uh, mudslides, snowslides. We, uh, I think we go through like four passes to get to Vancouver. Yeah. But we made it. We even stopped at a friend's place in the Soyuz. And he decided to feed us tandoori chicken and gave us all uh, food poisoning. And so on my way to meet you for the first time, uh, James and I were both on the side of the highway on the way there, puking our guts out from this bad Indian tandoori chicken, man. It was terrible. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. that's when you came up to help Joe and Catherine. Yeah, because that's what I'm saying. It's... um. You know, like I said, uh, the other people, um, and, uh, 
Yeah, what I was talking about is somebody was saying that, um, uh, oh, that's who I was talking to, that Vital guy. Right. And, uh, Vital went to court the other day for a traffic ticket. And okay. I told him, and uh, what I told him to write was something super simple. And, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly, I don't think Vital's on here. But, uh, I, I yeah, Mike, you know. uh, if Mike remembers what he, he had Vital right. But, um, I told him, I told Vital, I said, look, I said, you just, you know, it just said basically, you know, I was just saying to him, just say, look, um, you know, just give like a notice to the court and just say that uh, I'm a man and, um, you know, and, um, and at the time of the stop, I was not acting on the license at the time of the stop. So something just like that. So you just make it at the time of the, the issuance of this uh, citation. I was, I, you know, I am at, uh, was not uh, acting under a license at the time of the issuance of the citation. I said it ended right there. Right. And then, and then he added on to it. Um, huh. I'm trying to remember exactly what he added on to it, that onto the ticket thing. I said, you said what? I said, say that again. And it was like two syllable, three syllable words. I said, what did you say? And I said, um, I said, first you're giving the world notice, just telling the world, look at this. I got a shiny pebble. It's it's a brown shiny pebble. That's all you're trying to tell the world. I got a brown pebble. It's a shiny shiny brown pebble. You're giving a notice. And then I said, but then you went on to say something saying that. Um, Mad some shit. You know, yeah, it's just asked like a question, you know. You know, like like who is you know, who's to say that I wasn't or something like that. And it's like look, you, you know, um I don't remember exactly what he said uh um with Vital. I mean I'm trying to I'm trying to remember exactly what Vital said, you know, in that letter. But I mean I got on Vital's ass because I said Vital, it sounds like you're trying to explain yourself. Yes. You know, and don't try to explain yourself because they're not worthy of an explanation. It's like if somebody comes up, you know, like I said, you've seen that many times in your life. It's like, you know, don't don't explain yourself. You know, like your mom and dad would tell you, don't explain yourself to the, the, these clowns. They, they, you owe them no explanation. Just tell them to go F off and be done with it. And so you, you don't got to sit here and, and talk to them for an hour. It's none of their damn business what the hell you were doing. You know, it's, I think he said it's something like he was, you know, transporting or taking his property from point A to point B. And I was like, that's what I think I jumped my shit. That's why I jumped his shit. It's like you're saying, like, he was taking his property from here to there or something like that. It's like, no, you give him a notice and he's saying, I was not acting under the license at the time of this citation, this issue, the issuance of the citation. That's it. And then he went Which on is, to say, uh, I was, I was a man, and I was taking my property from here to there. It's like you don't have to tell them what you were doing with your property. You don't have to tell them if you were drinking it, smoking it, injecting it, taking it. You don't. You don't have to tell them shit. It's your property. You just give them a simple notice. I was not acting under the license at the time. Of this. I was not acting under the license at the time of the issuance of the citation. That's it. Just stop it there. If anybody says to you, "Well, um, wait a second, you were traveling in your car," I go. I was like you were taking your property from point A to point B. You say, and if I was, what, what's it to you? Who are you, my mommy? Who are you, my daddy? 
Well, no. Then what's it to you? What is it? What's the matter? If the judge doesn't say, well, you were driving your car from here to there, or the judge says you were transporting your property, or the judge says you were taking your property from point A to point B. So says, really, is that what I was doing? Well, yes. Why, were you there? Did you witness a judge? Well, no. You know, but this officer says you were. Oh, really? Then who's he to me again? He's my servant? Yeah, and, and what 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 can I possibly care us what my servant believes or my servant witnesses? I don't care. I don't explain anything to anybody. You know, the only you know, thing I would do in obligation is to my fellow man. Is is my fellow man here claiming I've done something wrong? Yes, I know. No. Then what the hell am I doing here again? I already gave you a notice a month ago. That's the same thing that you, like, the last two topics that you touched on tonight was the same thing that you talked to Mike about in the past, you know? Like, it's not exactly the same situation as the woman in the church, um, uh, the grandmother keeping her kid, but that was the same thing you talked to Mike about. Like, okay, you're saying this and you're saying that, but who in the community is going to come forth and say that you are who you say you are? And the second one, the one you just touched on, is the same thing you were talking to Mark about at the time when he got pulled over. Like, he didn't give a license and stuff, but, like, who's saying that I was operating, you know, that I wasn't going from point A to point B, right? And that's what I noticed tonight when I was listening. You listening, Mike? Mark? (laughs) Yeah, Mike's Mike. I uh, I was muted out and doing something. I kind of missed that. Oh. Anyways... Everybody, everybody thinks me and uh, me and Mike hate each other or some fucking thing. But that's uh, you bring it up all the time on the talk shoes. Yeah, amen. Thank you for all your help, Mike. You know, no problem. <laughs> I and my family, I and my family love you dearly. I'll even pay for a three cent stamp. <laughs> Yeah, this this genie lady is like sees see Mike's message. Gana lady is Gana lady's lovely. Oh, okay. That's you saying the. Are you saying Mike's message is lovely, or the Gana lady is lovely? No. Hey, uh, Carl, do you know in the Skype? Oh, in the Skype room, in the Skype group, her her name is Lovey. That's what that is oh, her Skype okay. name. Oh. Sorry. Oh, it's a daughter's name. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, yeah. that's right. She's got a fun last name too. That's right. Her name is um, Livingston. Yeah, living. I thought she kept saying Living Soul. <laughs> I remember that. I was like Living Soul. I said, "What the hell kind of name is Living Soul?" I said, "Don't go with that Living Soul shit." She said, "No, Living Stone." I was like, "Oh, Living Stone or Living Stone?" Oh, okay, Living Soul. Yeah, but you said that you you wrote a letter to the pediatrician. No, she uh, she got an, a, a pediatrician and an eye doctor appointed for the baby, and they agreed to go through with that. So she just wants to let them know that she no longer requires their assistance, and she doesn't want information disclosed. Yeah, but... They they got licenses. They're mandated reporters. They're going to disclose every damn thing. You're not going to stop that. See, you write a letter to a pediatrician. They're going to do what they want. 
you write a letter to an eye doctor, they they got a duty and obligation. You write a letter to a man who's acting as a pediatrician, that might be one thing. But you write a letter to a pediatrician, nah. Pediatricians got to do what pediatricians do. A tree's got to do what a tree does. A rock does what a rock does. But I'm not talking to a man. You're talking to an eye doctor. So if they're pediatricians, they're going to say, look, I've I got a duty and allegiance to uh, abide by a certain set of codes that I agreed to. You call them out man to man, that's different. And still, but even still, if they're a man and like that, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're so indoctrinated in doing what they do, they're gonna believe they're totally immune of any prosecution that whatsoever. And like I said, you know, and like I said, you know, I don't know why, somebody, I don't know why anybody. Well, I guess, I guess when no law, nobody ever contests me when I say certain things, and I, you know, it's like, so show me that it's not true that the Catholic Church is the number one health provider of the world. If this lady needs a pediatrician or an eye doctor, if she belonged to the Catholic Church, they, they'd get her one. They'd show people that are not mandated reporters. So that's what I'm trying to say. They, they you know, they've been the number one health care provider in the world for hundreds of years. They know what they're doing. They're not stupid. I mean, especially nuns. I mean, they dedicate their lives to this stuff. I mean, I'm trying to remember that movie, man. It was a movie with uh, Audrey Hepburn in it, and she was a nun. And she was trying to get placed in Africa to go help the black people in Africa. You cannot believe the training that those women went through to just get accepted to be a nurse over in Africa. The amount of knowledge that they had to know, the types of malaria, the types of mosquitoes, the types of you know, the quinine, the, the, all the medicines they had to know off the top of their heads, the training that they had to know. Well, it was incredible. It was a hell of a movie. And I'm sure, you know, if anybody on this chat board saw that movie, I'd be totally amazed. But what these... That was African Queen. What? That was African Queen. Audrey Hepburn, not Catherine Hepburn. And they're not related. Really? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But thanks, though. I was no, thinking Audrey Humphrey Bogart. And... No, 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 Audrey Hepburn. No, 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 no. It was a very serious movie about a woman trying to be a nun, and she was trying to get over to Africa. She got tired of getting stuck in Europe because she wanted to go where the action was. She wanted to go where the people really, you know, where lions and tigers and crocodiles were eating everybody. You know, she really wanted to get in there and the blood and guts and the to prove that she was really uh, not a, you know, not a wimp. Okay. You know, so uh, it was a great movie. And, uh, but like I said, it just showed the, the, how hardcore these women were. These nuns aren't little, like, dainty little lambs. I mean, these 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 these, these nuns were ass-kicking. You know, they, they're going in. You know, they're like, holy shit. You know, they actually wanted to go into, like, harm's way. They really wanted to go into, like, you know, dangerous situations, they really, you know, what are they, crazy? You know, I can almost guarantee there's no, if you, if the guys on this show uh, who listen to my call, you know, watch that movie. It's like, would you want to do what those nurses had to do? I mean, hell no, I ain't going there. That's crazy. That's crazy land. I, you know, they're going to, you know, I get killed over that. You know, like, hell yeah, you can. 
But these women actually were willing to give up their lives to go in there and kick ass. I was like, holy shit, these people are fucking, you know, these women are crazy. So, uh, oh, that's actually what it's called. It's called the nun story. Holy crap. <laughs> the nun story? Yeah. yeah. That's actually what the name of the movie's called, the nun story, 1959. But see, that's what I'm saying, man. It's, the, the amount of movies I've watched is, is scary, man. The amount of old movies I've seen is ridiculous. You know, I mean, I can't stand watching TV, but I love watching movies. You know, and, um, yeah, it says in Belgium, uh, the stubborn daughter of a prominent surgeon decides to leave an upper-class family to enter a convent, expecting to work as a nun in the Congo with tropical diseases. She says goodbye, and uh, da-da-da-da-da, retrograde institution, Silent and ex- excessive humbleness and humiliation. There's a long period working in a mental institution. She's finally assigned to the Congo, where she works with an atheist and a cynical doctor. That will prove to be difficult. But yeah, like I said, just watching the training that it, she had to go through to become a nun, and then and then to become a missionary to go into the Congo. You know, they just didn't say, it's just like, oh, wow, let's, you know, let's go be some hippies and smoke some dope and go to Africa and go help the kids. No, man, it was unbelievable what they had to know to be assigned. You know, um, to to be assigned to go on a mission. You know, it was like, you know, it was like the Navy SEALs. I mean, these women had to be some real hardcore, tough women. They, 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 they didn't take, like, little, frilly little, you know, Quiffy women. These these women had to be badasses. Like you know, you know where you're going. You're going in a Congo. You know where the Congo is. Um, you know what a crocodile looks like. You know, you know what a snake looks like. Yeah, they're, they're as big as your leg. You know, um, you, you understand where, where you're going here. This isn't this isn't a this isn't a joke. This is some serious hardcore. Uh, you know, Davy Crockett. You know, uh, Navy SEAL adventure here. You know, this this isn't, this isn't a joke. You're not, you're not going to have a pillow and blanket waiting for you when you get there. You do know that, right? There's no hotel. You know, there's no shower. You, you do realize what's going to happen when you walk in there, right? You know, so that's what I was amazing, just to see what these women were actually willing to do. That they left a nice, comfortable lifestyle in Holland or Belgium to actually go into the Congo and try to help people. Like, are you kidding me? I can't imagine any guys on my show. It's like, you know what, let's give them my nice, comfortable life in wherever, Canada or the United States, and let's go help, you know, kids in the Congo. You're kidding me, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. <laughs> so, like I said, it's just funny when um, when somebody when somebody wants to say, like look, go find these Catholic nuns, man. It's like, they're tough. You know, you never hear anybody say, like, a Catholic nun is wimpy. You have to say Catholic priests are wimpy, but you ain't going to hear somebody say a Catholic nun is wimpy. You know, they kick ass. You know, they're tough boys. You know, they know they know what time of day it is. They know how to get down and dirty. They know what it takes. So, um, yeah. So tonight I went I went I went to get on your call tonight. There was no call. I was like, What? What's going on? Did I miss it? So I'm yeah. checking through and then thank God that Gus had put it up that you were on your other show. 
Shoot. Oh, okay. Yeah, your private call. Yeah, because I don't know how much longer this show is going to be on. Yeah, see, like even Angela just wrote, she said, I hated Catholic school. It's like, yeah, but, you, you know, if you're any good at it, they, you know Latin, you know Latin better than anybody else on this board knows. So it depends if they made you learn Latin. But like I said, you kind of hated it. But it depends. See, most people, most people send their kids to Catholic school up into eighth grade, and then the kids just say, "I hate it so damn much that they fit, that their parents say, fine, you can finish up, you can finish school.'" Yeah, well, all the rich kids went to private school in my neighborhood. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The parents who actually wanted their kids to stay away from riffraff, you know, went to Catholic school. Yeah, so me and my buddies from public school used to play rugby with the private school guys at St. Paul in Winnipeg. Yeah. Yeah, but like yeah, I said, good like, yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Most people, like I said, the, the kids stayed in, almost every kid I knew who went to Catholic school just stayed up in there until 8th grade, ninth, 10th, 11th grade high school. They would just beg their parents like crazy, come on, Mom, let me just go to high school like the rest of my friends. You know, why are you making that's, me... Uh, that's no different than public school. It used to be in the 70s. Like, in public school, was the same thing. If you made it to 10, you were doing good. Yeah. I'll see what's yeah. funny. See, since, uh, yeah, they sent us out to go door-to-door to try to convert people. That's right. You should do it. You know, you should have some community service. That's right. Yeah, see, the school I went to, they only went up to eighth grade. See, that's what Angela said, eighth grade. So that's what it is. You know, they they make it up to about eighth grade. But that's funny. She said her school only went up to the eighth grade. That's right. So most kids that I knew, they went to Catholic school up to the eighth grade. You know, you can find the Catholic high school, but most kids just were like, and like I say to people, when you went to, if you find any, you go back in, in the 1950s and 1930s, the people only went to the eighth grade, and the eighth grade was the equivalent of a twelfth grade education nowadays. So, um, yeah, so the yeah, so right, so it's a, an eighth grade education back then is what we learn. The kids learn now up in the twelfth grade. Yes, and the same thing with me. As soon as I, as soon as I was um, when I went to when I went to school in the eighth grade, that's as much formal education as I went through. After that, I um went to, uh, instead of doing liberal arts, like regular school is as liberal arts, I went to mechanical arts. I went to learn how to do, you know, working with machines, how to work with uh, diesels, how to work with transmissions. I, I learned, you know, how to draft, you know, how to do uh, drawing. I learned See, back, in the, back, back in the 70s, they had that in a trade school, where you can I take see. with your courses like grade nine and then but college, trade college was only grade ten. But wow. now trade college, everything is you have to be a graduate to get into anything now. Wow. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. It was funny, we just needed um yeah, once we got out of eighth grade, that was it. I mean that's as far as like my formal education went was eighth grade. And then I went right over to mechanical arts. You know, the liberal arts stopped me in eighth grade. Hey, my brother Earl, he has grade eight education, but he's the uh, international uh, field engineer for uh, natural gas 
um, or, or diesel converted to natural gas engine company. And they oh, fly them over to Moscow and they fly them over to India and they fly them over to Mexico City and they fly them over everywhere to yeah, well, um, fix all the things that the engineers screw up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That was a big, that's what the Germans used in like World War Two. He is German. <laughs> they had to convert a coal into every damn thing. Yeah, no, but that's what he does. Yeah. And he's got grade eight education. And the engineers are always coming on to him. Hey, Earl, how do we do this? Hey, Earl, how do we do that? And that's true. Yeah. I, I've watched it for years. Oh, because what's funny is... Um, oh. Um, like I said with this 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 show tonight, it was funny, man. I really didn't uh, do like answers and questions like I usually do, you know, because to me, Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.